Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, uh, friends beyond the binary, it's time for the podcaster who I don't think I've used the word whence, uh, uh, but tonight we'll be asking who or who, you know, who is in doctor, uh, who cares about the holiday season, doctor who does, uh, and who says who, like he's in Whoville, uh, Scooch does, because it's time for Sleep With Me, the podcast puts you to sleep. Uh, hey, are you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble or getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep? Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep. We do with a bedtime story. All you need to do, if you so choose, is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. I'm going to do the rest. What I'm going to do is attempt to create a safe place where you could set aside whatever's keeping you awake, whether it's thoughts or feelings, physical sensations, changes in time or temperature. Whatever's keeping you awake, I'd like to help with that. I'd like to, uh, well, here's what I propose to do. And then I'll kind of explain it too. If you're new, that's why I do this. But it's also... Because uh, I like to be a familiar friend. In fact, uh, so familiar, you say, well, Scoots, I'm so familiar with this that I could just fall asleep. Uh, would be our long-term goal. What I'm going to do is I'm going to send my voice across the deep, dark night. I'm going to use lulling, soothing, creaky dulcet tones, pointless meanders, uh, tangents that are rustified, uh, extra words. Super. I don't know if I have superfluidity. Uh, but, like, if you could make superfluous words, like I say, like, uh, whatever they, you know, when there's a gas and it's a liquefied, and, uh, you know, I've talked about this stuff before. I don't, that kind of stuff I don't get. They say, isn't that, and I guess, but I haven't delved, delved too deep, and I say, wait a second, it's a liquefied natural gas. No, 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 no. It's a liquefied natural something else. Uh, and I guess you say, well, you put the gas in your, I say, okay. But that's just straight gas. You don't you don't say liquefied natural petroleum gas or whatever the heck it. Anyway, I got to get to. I can't go off topic this soon, and especially talking about the big FF fossil fuels. I don't know if that's uh, though that whole thing of liquefying. Oh, well, I was saying, what was I saying? I already have no idea. I think I was talking about oh, super 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 fluidity, my super superfluous. Something else with a litter of uh, thing has superflu- superfluidity. The whole idea of the podcast, I guess, is to keep you company. If you're new, let me give you a few pieces of information in all seriousness to introduce you to the show. One, here's the structure. Show starts off with business. That's a key way we keep the show going and free. But if you're new, they're not that important because you're new. Check it out first. Then we have an intro. Now, this isn't a traditional podcast intro. It's a 12-minute show within a show where I kind of talk about how the podcast works. And I demonstrate, you know, it, like if I had a lab, like, well, if I had a, gr- a grasp of science, engineering, uh, the scientific, you know, if I had the scientific method down, that's what I always say to everybody, I, even in school. I said, well, if I had a lab... I would get the scientific method right down. Or even earlier, this is how I'd get stuff. It's, well, if I had a trap, I wouldn't be getting these Fs if I had a new trapper keeper. 
Because that's what happens, Pops. My papers fall out. They had this thing called a Trapper Keeper. It was basically an overpriced binder with sideways folders. It actually, it made sense at the time. I mean, it, here's the thing. I don't have any spare change lying around, but if I did, and this is a free piece of advice, Warren Buffett, call me. Let's reinvest in this Trapper I, I can tell you it's coming back uh, next school year. I bet you I'm, I'm willing to bet a... Uh, I'm willing to bet your money on it, Warren, uh, if you'll give me a percentage, if it works out. Okay, what was they saying? Oh, so the intro is a show within a show. Yeah, where uh, there's a lot of superfluous dialogue about how the podcast works. Uh, some listeners fall asleep during the intro. Some listeners get ready for bed during the intro. Uh, some listeners listen during the day. So a few people skip the intro, uh, but it's, it introduces you to the podcast and to the concept over and over again in a new way every time. I hope it feels familiar for a regular listener and welcoming for a new one. Uh, Then we have some business between the intro and the show, or the episode part. And then tonight we'll be uh, talking about uh, a Doctor Who episode, about uh, Christmas. uh, uh, You know, there's a lot of cover bands, Beatles cover bands called The British Invasion. And other than Beatlemania, that's probably the number two name for a Beatles cover band, unless someone trademarked it. And uh, or maybe there's just two two of the names, like uh, Yellow Submariners, sub, Yellow Submariners. That's, I think if I had a Beatles cover band, I'd need to play music. I'd need my scientific method, my lab, and my trapper keeper. Uh, but we would, we'd be the Submariners, the Yellow Submariners. Sorry, Submariner. Submariner, how do you feel about that uh, Aquaman movie coming out? I don't know when it comes out. Uh, Might already be out. Uh, Carl Drogo is the star of it. Uh, He's Jason is his name. He's a strap. He defines like uh, if you look up look up strapping in the dictionary, you'll see him in there, and it seems pretty charming too. Charismatic, you're right. So okay, so the intro is a show within a show. Oh, then we'll be talking about who, who you know, we'll doctor who. Uh, then at the end is some uh, thank yous and good nights. So that's the structure of the show. It's a little late to tell you this, maybe if you're new, but don't try to figure the podcast out. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It is a bit counterintuitive, in a way that if you hold it gently, you'll say, "Oh, okay." Okay, kind of. I kind of get it. It's hard. Kind of get it. It's hard to get. There's not much to get. I mean, really, this might sound haughty, but the the substance. This podcast is substantive. If I could have pronounced it correctly, it would have been haughty. Or was hardiness is in its haughtiness. I guess if I had a soup place, that's what I'd say. The haughty soup shop. Uh, But I was going to say this podcast is substantive. Substantive. And it's something, and it's in, in something, but I messed it up. But then I thought of a better idea. Uh, haughty Soup Factory. The Haughty Super. You're right. Maybe, maybe. But we'd say hearty and our, our haughtiness is because it's of our hardiness. Uh, what was I saying? I was trying to, oh, so, oh, your podcast doesn't make a lot of sense. That, that, there you go. I proved that right there. And... I was just trying to think of something. I did have something with that substantive 
our substance is in our insubstantially substantive or something, I, whatever. Uh, so don't try to make sense of the show. Just going to kick back and passively consume it. See how it goes. I mean, most people that review the show say it took two or, two or three times so they can get used to it. It doesn't work for everybody, but I'm here to help. Uh, it does, Like I said, I hope it works for you, but it doesn't work for everybody. Uh, so I guess that's a uh, structure of the show. Yeah, we'll talk about Doctor Who and maybe like eight more minutes. Um, oh, you don't need to listen to me. You don't need to take me seriously. You can. I mean, I'm serious about making this show. I'm committed. I've done 700-something episodes because I'm here to help. I've been there. Uh, but there's no pressure to fall asleep. The reason the shows are about an hour is so I can be here the whole time while you fall asleep at your leisure. But here's the other layer. The shows are complete. I'm here to the very end in case you can't fall asleep. Uh, for Or for those other listeners that won't or if you're one of them. I'm here for you. I'm your boyfriend. So I'm going to be here till the very end to keep you company while, whether you're awake or asleep. So yeah, I can't remember what I was talking about before that I thought I was going to go back to. I mean, that's a haughty and hoardy, hoardy, a hoardy, the hoardy hoarder. What about that for like a uh, used, like a secondhand shop? Uh, I think that's probably better. We could ser- serve hearty soup there though on, on Saturdays only. Let me try to do an ad read for that. Just read, come on down to the haughty hoarder. Uh, it was uh, Saturday's soup day. It's hearty, and we're hard, you know hearty in our haughtiness here. Here at the the haughty hoarder, a hearty with uh, whatever another word for secondhand items uh, that starts with H would be great. Uh, but come on down. Oh, by the way, because we're haughty because I'm always grouchy. Except on these commercials, because I want you to come to my store down at the Haughty Hoarder. Uh, this is, I, I guess I'd have to use a pseudonym. I'd be Harry from the Haughty Hoarder, or Harold's Haughty Hoarder, or Horace's Haughty Hoarder might be better. That's a name. I mean, Harry kind of sounds, doesn't sound like a haughty name. It's a hearty name. Uh, then who, how, Howard, uh, I think Harold Horace, Horace is haughty hoarder. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I'll work with the pseudonyms when I launch this imaginary secondhand shop that whenever, I mean, luckily that'll only exist in my imagination. Well, let's see. Let's recap. So I'm here to help. I'm here to take your mind off. So I'm here to keep you company. I covered the structure show. I demonstrated and covered the fact you don't really need to listen to me too closely uh, to see how it goes. Yeah, I think that's it. I'm trying to think of what else I could have missed. I mean, like, uh, the main thing is I've struggled to sleep, and I continue to have uh, ups and downs with my relationship with sleep, particularly last night. Uh, I had, like, just it was just one of those nights, and I said, what in the heck? Uh, I mean, I did have to be up early. You know when you have to be up earlier than normal? That's always, like, uh, that's why this podcast is no pressure to fall asleep when you want to. But when you know that alarm's been bumped up by an hour or 45 minutes, you say, okay, how the heck am I, like, how to get to sleep again? Don't you hate, so, so here's a way, just kick back, uh, just listen. I'm your boar bud. I'm your boar friend. Maybe if we get to know one another, I'll be your boar bay, your boar bra, your boar cuz, your boar sib. Uh, but I'm here to help uh, if, if I can. 
And I really appreciate you giving the show a shot. You're giving it a try. I was just trying, I'm trying to remember what I was talking about at the beginning of the podcast when the first time I got distracted. Oh, liquefied natural. So, yeah, I was talking about uh, superfluidity of my superfluousness. There's the first time I've gotten back to back words correctly in a while. But I, I don't know. I just get, I guess I hate to point out uh, errors with, you know, the giantest corporations in the world or whatever, but I say, it's not, if it's liquefied, how the heck? I mean, and maybe someone could point that out to me. I mean, I'm sure they will. But uh, he's uh, like, uh, like, what's ice in this context? Is ice liquefied, frozen uh, water gas? Uh, I mean, I guess, I, again, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention during these things. Uh, but you'd say so is water liquefied liquefied natural water 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 gas rain cloud cloud gas I'm trying to think of whatever what other things I consume that uh they can analyze in this way or what you know I say what well, scoots you know you seem like you're totally relaxed I say okay must fall asleep pretty fast then the scoots you totally are chill uh nothing seems to get at you what are your pet peeves? Please tell us. Oh, is this Pet Peeves Weekly? Thanks for calling. You know, it's been on my pet peeve. Everybody does that joke, Scoots. It's been on my pet peeve list uh, that you haven't called me. We, yeah, every interviewee says that. Uh, well, I bet you not every interviewee has this pet peeve, uh, Dawn. It's uh, liquefied natural gas. What's up with that? You know, it just peeves my pets. I say, I mean, it makes me want to do a Jerry Seinfeld. How can it be a gas if it's a liquid? Uh, hello? Okay. Well, well, I guess I'll try cold calling cat fancy again, even though I'm allergic to cats and I don't have any, and do my bits about fancy cats. Hello? Okay, even my brain hung up on me. Anyway, I'm here to help. I'm here to be your friend, uh, to keep you company in the deep dark night. I appreciate you checking this show out. I hope it works for you. Give it a few tries. Uh, but here's the thing. I work very hard because I strive and I yearn to help you fall asleep. Thank you again for coming by. All right, we're here with the episode of Doctor Who. It starts with a view of the moon and then a view of the earth. Uh, and this one, I think we'll probably, we might be listening to these out of order, but I'm making them in order. Uh, so how you doing? This is my first Doctor Who recording in a while. Might be your second or third listen, though, because this is a holiday episode themed to the Christmas uh, Beatlemania. And we zoom into the earth. We see Jackie and her white Christmas tree, uh, like a, one of those, uh, you know, human-made ones. And she's getting it up. She holds a gift for Rose. And sits and contemplates it, thinks of her daughter. Lots of love, Mom. She gets a dreamy look in her eye. She, her, she has a lot of holiday decorations in her place, a lot of them. A lot of Santas. And we go over to where Mickey works. Uh, and said, Mickey's got a job working in her garage. There's also a Santa, an older Santa, and or not Santa, uh, Frosty and Tinsel in the garage. Jackie has some purple tinsel in her place. The tinsel in Clancy's garage was red. And he's, he's talking to Steve. They have a snowman decoration. They both hear the TARDIS, both Jackie and Mickey, and they run out to a normal uh, spot where the TARDIS goes. 
And it comes in, it has a bit of a rough landing. And, you know, it does some ping-ponging. Probably got seen. Definitely a lot of uh, good graffiti going. Hits some rubbish bins. And the new doctor rolls out. He's all grins and smiles. Here we are, London Earth Solar System, eh? Kind of stumbles around. Jackie, Mickey, blimey. And they're confused. He goes, wait, I was about to say something. There's something important I was going to tell you. And he says, hold on, hold on. And then he says, oh, wait a second. Uh, and then he he says, oh, Merry Christmas. And then he takes, he says, I need to take a nap. Uh, and they go, who is he? Where's the doctor? And uh, uh, oh, Rose comes out of the TARDIS. She goes, that's the doctor. And Jake says, doctor who? Uh, but she means, yeah, that's the actual doctor. And then the episode opens. And it's good to be back. This is a Russell T. Davies episode. And after it opens, uh, we see the doctor in pajamas uh, sleeping. Uh, Jackie has swiped a stethoscope uh, uh, from the seashore. Not from the seashore, though. Uh, she swiped a stethoscope from a student. Oh, stethoscope, stethoscope swipes from a student. And Rose listens into his two hearts. Uh, also, she gets her. She took her pajamas. To Jackie's got a new uh, bow. Uh, Howard from the market. He was like delivering stuff, uh, and then he brings over some free oranges. And the next thing you know, hubba hubba hubba, uh, PJ's in the house. Uh, uh, here, Jones is on the telly. Uh, Jackie's 18 quid better off uh, since Harriet Jones is uh, in office. Uh, British Britain's golden age. Uh, Howard or Harriet? Oh, I didn't know if she was 18 quid better off from Howard or Harriet, though, because the oranges. Uh, they're talking about the Guinevere 1 Pro, which is, is set to land at Mars, a descent to Mars, but then a door opens. And, uh, like, uh, well, I don't think it was Mars, so it was, like, uh, one of the moons or something. And Guinevere 1 goes in that door uh, to shop with Mickey. Oh, 20 quid. J- j- uh, I think uh, Rose borrows 20 quid from uh, Mickey or from, I guess so. Yeah, he says, here's the Christmas present. And then they go shopping. She goes, you see, I'm not used to buying Christmas gifts, you know, when the tortoise, we don't have that. Uh, you don't, things like that don't exist. It's timeless. And Mickey's doing the comedy. He says, oh, I love hearing, tell me more about the TARDIS. I love hearing about the TARDIS and the doctor. Like, TARDIS this, TARDIS that, TARDIS in the garden full of balloons. And Rose goes, I don't talk about the TARDIS nonstop. Sometimes I talk about the doctor. Uh, TARDIS, Tides of Comfort. Oh, then a band is playing Tides of Comfort and Joy. They're at a Christmas market. Beautiful, beautiful brass band playing music. Um, Mickey, oh, at first I thought they were paper mache Santas, uh, but as if they were like metal, like the, the, how they looked like Santa. And it was like an early edition of Santa Sanarchy or whatever, SantaCon. Yeah, because it's it gets wild, and they say we're just trying to Christmas shop here, not to have a debaucherous time. No mache. 
Maybe that means no mache, yeah, but metal. They grab a tag. They say, we don't want a metal metal brass band. We were just hoping for Christmas shopping. Uh, they hit a taxi. Meat paste comes up. Uh, I think Jackie brought that up, and I looked that up, but we won't be talking about that anymore. I did. Uh, there will be an article in the show notes about it. Uh, she wanted him to bring home some meat paste. Uh, then that's Jackie on the phone. Also, chipolatas, uh, which I think are breakfast sausages. Uh, let's see. Bev is on. Jackie's on the phone with Bev. Uh, Mo and Peak District. I don't know what that means. Oh, but Bev, you're talking about Mo and the Peak District, maybe? Uh, flats all topsy-turvy. Yeah, Rose just came in and, you know, jacked the place up. Oh, Rose asked about Mo. She says, oh, Mo's in the uh, Peak District. Rose, buddy. Star Green Tree. Oh, then we see the tree. It's green, not white anymore. And Rose goes, what your white tree? And Jackie goes, I thought you bought it. And Rose goes, how? And she goes, shopping. It just showed up. Uh, there was a ring at the door and the tree was there. And then the tree goes into auto mode and uh, kind of makes a mess, uh, which is a big bummer. It does this whirlwind jingle bells thing. Uh, and they can't even get it. It's making such a mess. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Mickey tries to stop it with a chair. It doesn't work. Uh, Rose says, Doctor, can you help clean up or something? And the doctor sits up, zaps it with his, uh, what do you call it, uh, five-frequency screwdriver, sonic screwdriver, and uh, like a remote control. Oh, no, he says it's a remote control, and they say, who? They say the Santa's from SantaCon, of course. Uh, They're pilot fish, and then they teleport out. and the doctor says, uh, I need to get some more rest. And they say, what do you mean? Uh, and he says, by the way, the pile of fish, they came, came early. It means other people are going to come visit Earth. Uh, and he says, I'm not doing anything. And Jackie lists, like, everything. You want this? You want that? A liquid paraffin? And something simple, bowl of soup, a ham sandwich, uh, and we get, like, uh, do we get to it yet? Let me see. The doctor says, why is there an apple in my dressing gown? She goes, oh, Howard, uh, he gets hungry. The doctor says, in his sleep? She goes, sometimes. At some point, somebody asks him if he wants any tea. But then the doctor goes back to bed, and he has to get back in bed. Let's see. I lost my dressing gown. Twelve on something... Uh, probe, scavengers, and Mickey goes on Google. Oh, we see like somebody from uh, StarCraft on TV. It wasn't the Zerg. I think it was like the Protoss. It looks like the Protoss and the Zerg like got together, and they say Talados. It's just like a, it was like a cutscene from Star StarCraft. Uh, they say something something Talados. Uh, we've combined with the Zerg now. And they say, I thought Protoss and Zerg were, you know, the opposites. Uh, and they say something about big government meeting about their uh, unit, U-N-I-T. Oh, uh, they bring in, I think they bring in um, whatever. The, oh, there's a big government meeting about the, the, the probe, U-N-I-T. Harry Jones says she's never off duty. 
uh, by the way. Also, the, when the Telados were talking, that was available for all of our... Uh, uh, she goes... Uh, hell, oh, then they talk about how uh, the probe was like five something above... Uh, five million, five thousand miles above the planet. Uh, and they say, now something's coming towards us, a ship, uh, pretty fast. And uh, Harry Jones says, thank you, Sally. Uh, then we see Mickey. Oh, he's hacking in. He's really good at hacking. I don't know why he's working at a garage. Uh, he says something big and fast is coming this way. And then they see the Protoss, uh, Zerg, say, Zakmak uh, Talados. Uh, and they said, yeah, I just talked more about it in the notes about talking. They talk. It looks like a, like a, yeah, it kind of looks like Protoss. It talks like the Zerg. And they say, we got to translate this, yo. And they said that we need it. Somebody says, too bad we don't have the TARDIS translator, but it's down without the doctor. Part of the circuit's missing because the doctor's sleeping. And phones are ringing. PA systems are going. There's music. There's a silver globe where the government's meeting. They get a call. Oh, U.S. wants to butt in on your business here. And here Jones says, tell U.S. to keep it. His president's not my boss. Uh, shows off or something, or maybe the U.S. wanted to show off. And then she says, is this news real or what, or, or something? And the news person says, off the record, this is going to be our longest night. Uh, then it's a code nine. And Harry uh, Jones is talking with a guy from the government, you know, the UNIT. And he says, she says, you know the doctor? We need the doctor. He goes, you know the doctor? What the heck? He goes, and then she goes, what about Torchwood if we can't get a hold of the doctor? This is a mystery of the season, I think. She says, get them ready. He goes, you're not supposed to know about Torchwood. Then we realize that these Talados, Zergs, are Sycorax, and they want our minerals and stones, according to the translation. And then they say, Sycorax, rock. Uh, and here Jones says, Christmas is a day of peace. And she says, we'd like to extend this thing, peace, Christmas, holiday peace to you. Somebody says, you know, we never surrender. Maybe it was her about Earth. Uh, that, yeah, because they say, give it up. Uh, and we see Jackie snoozing on the doctor as the doctor sleeps. Rose is thinking. And she was, she's a little bit frustrated. She says, the old, you know, the previous proper doctor would wake up. Uh, you really, ha- you know, you really, oh, then somebody says, you really love him. I think uh, Mickey, and they have a big hug. I think that's what that says. Uh, we see the insulation for their house uh, down in London. Resume, uh, perhaps a blue... Oh, there's some sort of blue light spell, uh, which makes people's heads go blue, some people, and then they just march around London, uh, and they go across, uh, people, they go up and they go up and they go up like balloons, and they don't listen to anybody, they're just walking and waiting, and so then there's like, uh, wind and dramatic music, uh, and they say this is going on all over the world, Paris, Rome, even regular buildings. Uh, one third of the world is just walking around. And Rose is uh, out on her own. Uh, Guinevere 1 is leaked. Uh, 
or something. Guinevere won something. Oh, leaked out everybody's info. They said, she's what did she didn't have that triple N authentication on Guinevere one? And the dude says, No, I just put it put it right on a plaque on the front of it. And here Jones says, Does Torchwood have what we need or what? Because it looks like we don't know what we're doing over here. And she goes, It's all A positive. And then they say the Queen's speech is canceled for Christmas because everybody's walking around the royal grounds even. They say, don't worry about it. Everybody stay calm. And then Harry Jones says, Doctor, if you're out there, we need you. Rose is good at it. I mean, I don't think she said that, but I just put that. Because uh, the doctor still sleeps. And Rose kind of is like, the doctor I know is gone. The doctor I know is Rose says, hey, doctor, the doctor I know is gone. And uh, then there's a bit of a rocky rock. Uh, and then the ship shows up. It's like, it looks like a dried... Uh, L-A-V-A, uh, like a kind of moon-shaped horseshoe crab. And we also, I saw that this was a special effect. I think the Big Big Ben was under repair with scaffolding. Uh, Rose gets the idea. Uh, and, uh, like, uh, what does this say? We've got uh, bread for the TARDIS. Move it. It can do anything at home. Move it. Uh you know, take the head. Uh, Big Ben's in a repair. Oh, Rose gets an idea. Oh, she goes, we got to get in the TARDIS. Let's move it. We can't get anything done at home. And she says, move it. Then Jackie's trying to uh, pack everything. We see a guy with a handheld pre-smartphone computer, an IPAQ from Compact, IPAC uh, device. Uh, uh, he's using it... Uh, they teleport up. They teleport up the TARDIS. Oh, first they teleport up all the um, government employees with the translator. Uh, there's lots of cheering from the Talados or the Sycorax, the science dude. He's he's like uh, pretty much incorrect about every point he tries to make, unfortunately for him. What does this say? Jennery, Gary, Doctor, pass the tinsel. Uh, let's see. J- Jerry, doctor, pass the tinsel. Jackie is overprepared. Uh, they don't want any civilians to talk to the Sycorax. Uh, uh, they say, with respect, sir. Uh, oh, this is what the science guy says. Or maybe Terry Jones says, we're children. We need compassion. And they say, no. The Sycorax say, no, thanks. And they say, well, what about our rights? They say, no. And then Harry Jones shows her badge. She says, Harry Jones, you know. Flydale, MPs, Flydale North, uh, now PM. And they say, no doubt, we know who you are. Uh, and they say, we're going to give you a bunch of rotten choices. You make one. And she says, those are all rotten choices. And they go into the TARDIS. Jackie drops, uh, she's got so many bags of stuff. Uh, and Rose says, I can't fly this thing because I was banned from flying it. Uh, Jackie has a T. Uh, something very British machinery or something. Uh, maybe she just had tea, but that's very British. Uh, and then Mickey works on the, getting the TV going on the TARDIS. He says, you know, how to, remember I asked you like last season, how to get this TV going. And uh, then there's bleeping at Taladas Central. And then they energize the TARDIS. They say, we've got a TARDIS alarm here. Energize that TARDIS up here. And uh, then somebody says, you're going to be a misery all the time. 
uh, now that Bravo, I don't know. I don't know what that means. Uh, but the, basically, these, these sicker acts are a big, uh, big uh, bunch of jokers. And let's see. You're going to meet misery all the time. Not that Bravo, oh, I don't know. Rose grabs uh, uh, something. Uh, but oh, Rose goes outside, and then she's outside. She's with the Sycorax on the ship. Uh, but Mickey gets the door closed in time. I guess they had left without Jackie. Uh, the, the tea also gets spilled. Uh, it leaks everywhere in the TARDIS and hits like a steamer. So it creates a tea steamer. All the Sycorax are cheering. And, of course, Harry Jones says, Oh, hey, Rose, where's the doctor? Uh, and then we see the tea steam with some chanting music. We know it's good. The doctor breathes in some tea steam. And the, the Sycorax say, yes, yeah, someone's got to be the doctor. And Ro, the, the yellow, no, they say, what about this yellow girl? She's in charge because she has a TARDIS. Uh, Rose says, I got to step up. I got to be the doctor. Then all of a sudden, everything starts switching to English. Oh, first Rose says, I address the Sycorax according to Article 15 of the Shadow Proclamation. Everything she learned in the first season. Hey, get, you, you need to hit the road according to the Slitheen Parliament, Araxocorophallotorpus, uh, Gelth Confederacy, Mighty Jagrafesh, and the Daleks. Uh, Bye-bye. And everyone's like, oh, no, this isn't good. Uh, and then she can start to understand the Sycorax, because uh, then uh, they're like, wait a second, the TARDIS must be working. But the Sycorax doesn't like that. Uh, then the hero music comes, and they say, oh, TARDIS is working. And the doctor comes out, and he says, hey, did you miss me? And the doctor goes into full hero mode, kind of says, hey, let's cut out, cut, cut this out. Uh, uh, he breaks, oh, the, one of them had a broom. He breaks the broom over his knee. He goes, you got to be careful with your broom. And then he goes, hey, Harriet Jones, fly down north, blimey. It's like, this is your life. Uh, he goes, all I needed was a good cup of tea. Superheated infusion of free radicals and tannin. Healing the synapses. And he goes, Rose, how do I look? She goes, different. He goes, good different or bad different? Uh, and she goes, different. I liked how the doctor had his hands uh, in his pocket. He wants to know if his hair's red. She goes, no. Uh, he goes, oh, I thought I wanted to be a ginger. Then he goes, did you give up on me? That's, he goes, oh, wait a second. Why am I not being myself? Uh, super charming and funny. And then Harriet's like, where's the other doctor? He goes, I'm, I'm him, just different face. Uh, he goes, she goes, what? And she, he gives her all the info she needs uh, to know. And then he starts playing around the Sycorax. The Sycorax goes, who are you? He goes, doctor goes, cool, that's a good question. He goes, I demand to know who you are. And he goes, I'm the doctor, but beyond that, I don't really know. Uh, it's all untested. He goes, uh, what do you think? Am I right-handed, left-handed? What, you know, what, what, what am I style? He goes, they certainly got a gob. And he goes, I'll make it even. He goes, look at this cool giant button you have here. He goes, what kind of button is this? Is this an action button? And he goes, this is a do not press button. And then he goes, I'm going to press it. Uh, let's see. Oh, and then he says, oh, they said that was our hip, hypnotic button uh, to help us uh, with our, you know, taking over Earth stuff. 
he and that clears up all the blue light blue life stuff blue light stuff on earth uh and he goes uh yeah you can't hypnotize humans forever they you know they're always evolving and he goes look at these humans uh, consider their uh you know potential let's just hit the road they, they got a lot to do uh he goes, from the day they arrive, blinking into the sun, there's more to be seen than can ever be seen, more to do than. He goes, wait, that's from the Lion King. But anyway, still good information. And then they say, I challenge you to a dance-off. Everybody laughs. It's the Sycorax are the best dancers. The whole crowd's cheering. And he goes, do you stand as this world's champion? And he goes, dance-off for the planet then. So then they're dancing, and they're dancing inside and outside. And then the, the, the Sycorax says, I bet you can't dance with one hand behind your back. And the doctor says, I can. And they keep dancing. And the Sycorax, like, seems like uh, Sycorax had sick moves. They say, yeah, we got sick moves. We're a Sycorax. We rock. Uh, there's even some slow-mo dancing. Uh, the doctor says, I'm actually into 15 hours of my, like, uh, regeneration, so I have super uh, dance moves. And they, uh, the, the cigarette says, uh, your dancing is like witchcraft. And the doctor says, no, it's Time Lord. And he goes, that's the sort of man I am. Uh, I'm a dancing man. And he ends up winning the dance-off. He says, okay, you're going to leave the earth? So he goes, okay, I'll leave the earth. No more dancing. And the doctor goes, okay, great. And then he goes, okay. He goes, not bad for a man in his gym jams. And Arthur said, or the doctor says, this is very Arthur Dent, you know, being in my pajamas and uh, uh, robe. Now, there was a nice man. Then he reaches his pocket. He goes, oh, a Satsuma's in here. He goes, that friend of your mother's, he loves those snacks, doesn't he? He goes, this is Christmas, if I ever heard of it, uh. All those presents right at the bottom, and there's one uh, Satsuma. Who wants it? And then the Sycorax gets up and says, Oh, your shoes are untied, doctor. And the doctor says, No second chances in dance-offs. I'm that sort of man. He says they're really cool, though. And then he says, By the way, Sycorax, since I won the dance-off, you got to go home uh, for sure. This is my planet, and these are my people. Uh, let's see, Jim Jams, Arthur Dent. Uh, even Mickey's really happy about it. Uh, doc, the doctor and the prime minister. Uh, key lock to heavens and told you you're getting noticed. Oh, so they have a talk uh, after they win. Yeah, everybody hugs. Everybody says, yay. And he goes, well, now everybody knows because the Sycorax run national television. And more and more people are noticing Earth, so you get noticed more and more. You get used to it. And uh, Rose goes, Jackie comes. They they go back to London. She says, oh, doctor's good. She goes, yeah, the tea did it. Uh, That's all I needed was a cup of tea. And she goes, you're really the – she goes, is that the prime minister? And everybody gives, gives a hug again with Jackie's there. Then one of the government dudes says, Torchwood's ready, uh, Prime Minister. And so they use some Torchwood, like uh, kind of like Star, Star, Star Wars thing. It takes out the, the, the sends the uh, Sycorax all the way to the big farm in space. 
And they say, Harriet says, uh, they were leaving. What are you doing here? The doctor says, Harriet, what are they doing? They were leaving. Uh, uh, that, you know, whatever, uh, what are you, what are you doing? And uh, they say, okay, well, uh, she goes, she goes, well, see, she goes, my job's for earth and earth first. Uh, and the doctor goes, Britain's golden age. And Harry goes, yeah, it comes with a price. And the doctor goes, I don't know about it. I don't know about it. I know I was pro-human before, minutes ago, but now I'm not so sure. And Harry goes, well, what about you, doctor? And she, he goes, don't challenge me, Harriet Jones. I'm a new person. And she goes, you're remarkable, but, uh, you know. And uh, the doctor goes, uh, yeah, well, I got six words for you. Six words. And she goes, stop it. Uh, and he whispers the other guy, don't you think she looks tired? And then they leave. Uh, uh, let's see what other notes are getting noticed. I said so. A bleeding prime minister. It comes with a price. A doctor. Oh, the dude's on Bluetooth for the government, of course. Uh and after she says that, she goes, Doctor, what did the doctor say to you, Bluetooth? And he goes, don't worry about it. And then we see the, another level of the TARDIS, a uh, living level, car, closet level. And there's good music. The doctor's trying on things. At first, he's like, a nutcracker suit? No. He goes, uh, scarf and jacket? No. Uh, then something else. I couldn't read my handwriting. It looks like torgery. Tore something, but then he puts on a suit, a three-piece smooth, smooth suit, and then a leather duster. At first, I thought it was a raincoat, but then I realized it was leather. And he looks, uh, and then he like uh, see, see, he goes, "Man!" And then we see a couple other levels, like a spiral staircase. And then Doctor rolls into Jackie's flat and grins, and it's Xmas. They're all putting on the Christmas crowns and the Christmas crackers. Uh, Watching TV, Harry Jones has been declared unfit for office. Harry Jones has been declared unfit for office. She goes, I'm fine. Why? I don't know why everybody thinks I'm unfit. Uh, look it up. Uh, Harry Jones is doing great. And she goes, it's Christmas. Uh, and then they go, and it's snowing outside. But they say, well, it's not quite snowing. It's uh, Sycorax tears, which are like snow. And they go, man, this is, and then they see little shooting stars and they go, yeah, this is also Sycorax tears. And the doctor goes, yeah, brand, brand new earth. No denying uh, people from other planets now. Everyone saw it. Everything's new. And Rose goes, well, what's next? The doctor goes, back to my old life on the TARDIS. Uh, Rose goes, on your own? He goes, aren't you coming? And she goes, Yeah. And he goes, really? And she goes, yeah. He goes, well, I thought because I changed. And she goes, well, I thought because you changed, you wouldn't want me to go. And he goes, no, no, I want you to come. And and she goes, great. And then Mickey goes, are you? And she goes, yeah, I'm going, Mickey. Uh, and Jackie uh, says, what are you two going out there looking for stuff, that, you know, challenging stuff? Uh, and she goes, the challenge is just the in-between. Uh, it's all waiting out there, Jackie. Brand new to me. Yeah, planets and creatures and horizons I haven't seen yet, but not with these eyes. It's going to be fantastic. And then the doctor and Rose hold hands, uh, still in a way that's, like, hard to define. 
Jackie's arms are crossed. Mickey seems down. Uh, and then they go, where first? And doctor goes, he points up to the sky, goes that way. And he goes, no, he points another way. No, he ponders it. No, hold on that way. And she goes, yeah. And then there's like this long smiling doctor look. Uh, and the episode comes to a close. All right. So a couple of things came up in this episode. One was the sign that said no ball games. Uh, I looked up this article on the guardian, uh, Lindsay Hanley from, uh, the 2nd of July, 2015, it was about the uh, North London was reviewing the use of no ball game signs on its estates to encourage children to play outside. And uh, the mindfulness of such signs seems to uh, reinforce an unfortunate British attitude towards the idea of people doing things. Uh, nimbyism uh, made concrete rather or rather metal. Uh, and they talk about how Banksy did that mural with the two children playing catch with the sign. Uh, such instructions forbidding ball games and roller skating sometimes, too. They're not even enforceable. They're simply there to discourage and prod. Uh, yet their continued presence suggests a long history of uncomfortable relations between children and adults on British estates. Uh, the use of those signs arose in tandem with the litany of rules, both written and unwritten, surrounding the maintenance of order and respectability on early council estates. Uh, there's a whole history about these post-war estates uh, uh, when they were rushing to build new homes. And the layouts and the landscapes uh, were urgently discussed. Uh, completing plans for the Woodchurch estate, uh, they said, well, let's allow it to uh, the state's residents to keep away from each other as much as possible and to retain the friendliness of little streets, uh, uh, to build houses looking away from each other, or to cluster them around village-style greens to encourage neighborless and informal social encounters. Uh, the latter was rejected by the Tory-led council on the grounds that uh, children would make them into uh, football uh, grounds. Uh, the, the author said, where I grew up, no ball game signs were ubiquitous and had little relevance because we played mostly on the paths anyway or on the road, which back then had less traffic. And, uh, you know, maybe at some point, you know, it discouraged children to just play and it, you know, it was more and more people owned cars uh, they, and they became more socially respectable. You couldn't play wherever you wanted. Uh, but still the back gardens had these invisible rules, uh, which stated that playing in public was no longer okay. Attempts at playing badminton with my parents resulted in us getting uh, told to pack it up uh, by our curmudgeonly neighbor. Uh, play streets, uh, the precursors to present-day home zones, were uh, legislated as early as the mid-20th century. It's just an interesting article over at The Guardian about it. Also linked to just a tiny, th tiny thing about the Banksy thing, but it just kind of was mentioned there. Then the stethoscope uh, was, came up. So I said, let's look up on Wikipedia, History of Stethoscopes. It was invented in France in 1816 by René Lenac uh, uh, at the uh, Necker and Fon in, uh, in Paris. Uh, and it was a wooden tube that was ma monoral. Because uh, it was like I kept having to just put my ear against people's things to hear their heart, uh, and 
Rene observed that a rolled piece of paper placed between the chest and the ear could amplify heart sounds without requiring physical contact. Uh, similar to the common ear trumpet used in cartoons uh, a lot uh, back then or later in life. Uh, and his invention was almost indestructible in structure and function from the trumpet. Uh, uh, called it the stethoscope or the chest scope and used it. Uh, and then, uh, let's see, 1851, there became like uh, Arthur... Leonard uh, developed a binaural, uh, bin, binaural uh, stethoscope. Uh, 1852, uh, George Philip uh, Kaman uh, perfected the design of the instrument for commercial production, which has been the standard ever since. In uh, 1858, there was a stethophone, which had two separate bells, uh, able to compare sounds, I guess. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so there's a little bit of interesting stuff about the stethoscope. Uh, this is also in the uh, query, uh, in uh, the, this query is also from the uh, Guardian, uh, from Somatic Enigmas. Uh, I don't have a date on it, it's loading really slow. Uh, why do we refer to the pound as quid? Uh, Martin Quentin from Wimbledon asked, uh, Mike Whitaker suggested uh, it comes from quid pro quo, an equivalent for something. Also suggests uh, originally referred to a sovereign. Also, Mark Power from Dublin said quid pro quo. Uh, Richard Thompson from uh, Denmark said, Once upon a time, Gaelic-speaking Irishmen in the British Army would refer to my money as motuid quid. Uh, uh, being an omnibus word for thing, peace, possession, collection, money. So uh, soldiers adopted a reference to what they heard as quid to mean the pound. A lot of people, though, put a quid, quid pro quo. So uh, I guess from quid, 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 which stands for the pound in uh, Doctor Who. Uh, so that's a little bit. What about a... Uh, a chipolata. I did not know what a chipolata was. Yeah, but it's a type of fresh sausage uh, created in France. Uh, the uh, breakfast sausage is basically uh, pork, salt, and pepper with some herbs and spices. Uh, common in the UK as part of Christmas dinner, wrapped in bacon uh, as pigs in blanket. Uh, so I didn't really, that was something I didn't I just learned uh, chipolata and satsuma. This was an interesting article because there was a little bit of uh, insulation exposed in Jackie's apartment. And so I said, why is some, uh, there's this big push of pink uh, insulation in the U.S. Uh, So I wanted to read about that. And this actually comes, this article uh, in The Blade uh, from Toledo, uh, written by Marlene Harris-Taylor from October 27, 2013 about Owens Corning, which has been in the pink for 57 years. The insulation company uses the color pink in its uh, insulation products and uses the Pink Panther in the advertising for 33 years. They just renewed the rights in 2007 uh, for another 15 years. Uh, The color is considered an asset that was registered as a trademark, uh, and it carries uh, the value of pink on their balance sheet, they won't space a place of specific numerical value on it, uh, but it's, you know, really been uh, 
a part of their brand. They used it as a way to distinguish its insulation products from other companies, and it was a brilliant move, according to Mr. Fisher. Uh, the challenge is that they're all pretty similar, so the pink and the pink panther sets it apart, uh, and it's well-loved uh, and well-known. And that was the idea to differentiate their products uh, when they decided to add pink to the color. It was used to be yellow, which wasn't that great. That was just part of the process. Uh, and they were doing research in uh, Newark, Ohio in uh, 1957 with red dyes. And they used the color pink to show that theirs was uh, different and better. And they said, quote, I don't, didn't, don't think we ever realized the power of pink in the marketplace. Uh, and we realized we had something different on our hands. It was the color. And then 25 years later, in the 80s, they started using the Pink Panther cartoon character in commercials uh, with music by Henry Mancini uh, from the movie franchise. And it continued to, they continued to uh, increase their market share. Uh, so much so that, yeah, they kept it up there. So it's just a major brand move. Really interesting. You can check out the article for more details. Uh, there was also this IPAC, IPAQ, an early handheld computer, which I didn't ever own one of these. I did want one. It was a pocket PC unveiled by Compact in April 2000. And it was uh, come from their earlier IPAC personal desktop computers. Uh, the product was uh, marketed by HP because they merged with Compact. It used a Windows mobile interface. There was also several Linux ones. Uh, and they had uh, sleeve accessories, technically called jackets. You could use it uh, for, wow, wireless or GPS, a card reader, extra batteries. And it was developed by their strong ARM uh, development group uh, in their Hudson, Massachusetts facility. It was seen as a highly promising platform. Uh, so I guess this was like the time of the Palm Pilots and stuff like that. Kept coming up with new models, 2005. Uh, like, uh, so they kept developing it, but I'm sure at some point it, uh, you know, they... Uh, you know, once you could do this stuff with your phone, let's see what other info I could get if there's anything else. There's a lot of different models. Uh, I used a Palm Pilot for a while, but personally I found the Palm 5 to be the best, but I had used a different ones uh, to try to stay organized in my past existence. Uh, but I, don't know, I just saw it there and I said, huh, I remember those things. Okay, what about gob? Because I didn't know what he said. I got a gob, the doctor. I didn't know what that meant, meant uh, so I had to look that up. Uh, another learning opportunity. Uh, gobbin, it could be from Middle English to drink greedily. Gobbin, gabbin, or globin, uh, to drink down. Uh, let's see, gob is a noun, lob, lump of uh, soft or sticky material. Uh, mouth uh, stuffing his gob with fast food, uh, spittoon stuff, uh, uh, prefabrication, prefab stuff could be a gob. What is this? Uh, a sailor. Oh, okay, so it's, it could be a sailor. Is that what it means? I don't know. I don't know what he was using. It. So is it mouth or that he's a sailor? can't even remember what he said. He said, I got a gob. It just means, you know, the doctor uses his mouth for a lot of things. Uh, okay, Satsuma, let's go on to that, uh, which is a uh, 
Easy-peeling citrus uh, species, also known as Unshu Makan, cold-hardy mandarin, Setsuma orange, and tangerine. Uh, it's of Chinese origin, uh, but introduced to the West via Japan. Uh, so I don't know if this is like one of the super popular little nectarines that everybody opens. Uh, I guess it is uh, a mandarin orange. is about the size of a mandarin orange, a seedless. Uh, one of the sweetest citrus varieties. Uh, uh, leathery skin dotted with uh, large and prominent oil glands gran- 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 attached around the fruit, but easily to pe- easy to peel. Uh, Jesuits brought the fruit in, uh, from Asia to North America in the 18th century, starting groves uh, in Louisiana, and it's uh, still popular there. Uh, and it spread... Uh, but it said it was originally in Japan too, so from in the Satsuma province of uh, Japan. Uh, so maybe the Jesuits were there and they brought it. So it's a little bit about Satsuma. You know, with the Wikipedia, quick research is always uh, quick. Now, what about the duster? That's what I thought he, uh, the doctor was wearing at the end. Full-length, uh, light-colored canvas or linen coats worn by horsemen to protect their clothing from trail dust. Uh, slid up the back for ease of wear on horseback, uh, intended for riding, button, buttonable real, rear slit, leg straps to hold the flaps in place, uh, protection against the rain could be made from oil cloth uh, or waxed cotton, uh, people wore them to protect their clothes, and they were popular in uh, in Western films. So I don't know if that was what the doctor had or it was just a leather raincoat or maybe it was not leather. And finally, let's cover the Christmas cracker, uh, also known as bonbons in Australia. Part of Christmas celebrations in the UK, Ireland, and Commonwealth countries, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, South Africa. Definitely getting more and more popular in the U.S. It's a segmented cardboard tube wrapped in twists of paper with a prize in the central chamber. Uh, making it Reverend represent an oversized sweet wrapper. It's pulled apart by two people, each holding an outer chamber, uh, causing the cracker to split, and one person gets the prize. Uh, split usually has a little pop uh, uh, to be, you know, fun for everybody, and uh, it can be, you know, just natural or an added effect. Uh, they're typically pulled at Christmas dinner table or parties. In one version, the person with the larger portion empties the, the tube and keeps them. In another, each person has their own cracker and keeps it no matter what. Uh, typically, these kind of, were a colored papered hat, uh, like a crown, a small toy of a plastic model, or other trinket with a model uh, joke or riddle, uh, or uh, a puzzle on a piece of paper. Uh, the paper hats with the appearance of crowns are usually worn when eating dinner. Uh, the tradition of wearing festive hats dates all the way back to Roman times. You should see the doctor and Rose in their uh, crowns. The doctor had a red one. Rose had a pink one. Uh, yeah, Roman times. Uh, and uh, they during uh, Saturnalia's celebrations, which involved decorative headgear. Oxford English Dictionary records use of cracker bonbons and pulling crackers uh, from 1840s. Uh, Tom Smith may have invented them in 1847 uh, during his development of bonbon sweets, which he sold in a twist of paper. His sales of bonbons slumped uh, 
came up with a new promotional idea. First, love messages in the uh, suites, then a crackle element, uh, just like a log on a fire. Uh, then he replaced the candy with a trinket, uh, fans, jewelry, or other items. Uh, it was originally called the Cossack, but the uh, onomatopoeic uh, cracker became uh, more commonly uh, used in name. Other elements of the modern cracker, the gifts, paper, hats, and designs, was introduced by Tom Smith's son, Walter Smith, to differentiate the product, uh, which as competition came up. They should have made a pink. Uh, they should have put some pink uh, stuff in there. Uh, and they merged with uh, Kaylee crackers in 1953. There's a fountain uh, dedicated to Tom Smith and the family in Finsbury Square in London. And the longest uh, cracker pulling chain of uh, 1,081 people was at, at uh, the Her- Herodian uh, School in Barnes, London, UK, 10th of December 2015. Also, you're not supposed to bring them on planes. Uh, so uh, that's a little bit about crackers, a little bit of the holiday season with the doctor and Rose and Mickey and Jackie and even uh, Prime Minister. Uh, MP Flydale North Harry Jones. Uh, thanks uh, and good night. Hey everybody, welcome back to our coverage of uh, Doctor Who. Well, this will be the second episode of the second season of the. I, I don't know. I can't remember. I think this might be the eleventh Doctor, but I'm not sure about that. Um, yeah, this will probably be the first episode you're hearing. We will do. We will cover the first episode of this season. But I want to put that in line with the holidays, since that's called the Christmas Invasion. And these are episodic anyway. So this is called the New Earth. New Earth. Now, no the in there. And it goes, starts with like a series of shots of the TARDIS and the Doctor walking. Really cool. He's got on Chuck Taylors, white Chuck Taylors or something like it. In his suit, he hangs his jacket, his duster. I don't think it's a leather, raincoat jacket. He hangs that up. Uh, yeah, he pulls his levers, he touches a green glass bauble, or a clear bauble, or maybe it is green glass, and it's lit. Uh, uh, flicks some switches, roses outside the TARDIS. Looks like she's going uh, backpacking in Europe. Uh, she's got a park on, too. She's saying her goodbyes. Pumping starts up. The doctor is really grinning now as he kicks it into gear. Uh, he's doing it with a lot, like he's throwing switches with flourishes. Uh, Rose says goodbye to Mickey, love you. Rose is on board. She's got a knit hat on at first. Uh, the TARDIS is out. Jackie walks off. Mickey stays for a little while. Obviously torn a little bit. Uh, and uh, then he walks off. They uh, say, where are we going? Further than we've ever gone before. Roads will need no roads. Uh as another doctor once said, I wonder if, Di- you know, that'd be interesting. I guess he can do it, but if Di- has Doc Brown or Christopher Lloyd ever appeared on Doctor Who? Just a question. I don't know. I guess Doc Brown wouldn't fit in there. Uh, first, uh, wind, hair. Oh, so they step off the TARDIS. Uh, there's wind in Rose's hair as she comes out. Uh, first, uh, they're in Galaxy M87. This is New Earth, uh, the doctor says. It's a super modern, flying cars and everything. Let me see, not bad, not bad at all. Uh, Five billion and 23 
I think that's a year, five years, five billion twenty-three. And New Earth apple grass is the grass smells like apples there. It really demonstrative, like in a good way, when you're watching it without in on mute. Uh, Rose is laughing. Uh, Rose is excited. She jumps up and down. She says, "He'll never get used to this uh, standing on different ground." I love it. Uh, uh, you know, standing. Also, we learn it's a new, 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 new York. Uh, the fifteenth uh, since the original, I think. Uh, but it's the same size as Earth. Uh, the planet is New Earth. Uh, same air, same orbit. Uh, you know, the call went out for humans. Hey, come live here. Yeah, let's see. Love traveling with you. Come on. Oh, they, they talk about, uh, you know, being in the, the, just like their first date. They had chips together. They lie in the grass uh, together and the doctor's jacket. Uh, and then the doctor says, come on. And they run off. Uh, then we see a magic ball camera. Oh, no. What is that called? When you uh, can predict people's futures and you look into that. I don't know how I can't remember that. It's not a looking ball, a glass ball, but it's called something else. And they say, oh, I'm looking in. It's not a magic ball. How can I not think of what that word is, though? And uh, this is a uh, the person looking, and it says, oh, there's a pure, pure human, uh, original human. And someone else's voice says, look closer. And, oh, this is, must be when they were kicking back in the grass, the doctor, and the doctor's jacket, uh, talking about, uh, can we visit go, go, New York? Uh, so good they named it twice. Uh, but he says, first, let's go to that uh, uh, building there uh, with the green moon. It's uh, where they care for people. And he goes, it's a universal symbol for uh, caring. Also, I got this message on uh Psychic paper, come to please come to uh, floor twenty six. And Rose said, "I thought we were just uh, sightseeing." And then they say, "Let's go get after it." Then we hear Cassandra's voice from a previous episode in the first season, and she says, "I recognize that uh, something." And it's Rose Tyler. She's the one. She goes, "This is beyond destiny." Uh, theme first, Green Moon Ward. Oh, that's the green moon on the side. Uh, please come. Obviously, cliffs in the distance, the sky. Uh, so Cassandra has a sidekick, and she says, this must be destiny. Uh, then we're in the lobby of the building. Uh, they talk about pleasure gardens. Uh, there's lots of green moons everywhere, like symbols. And they're in the lobby. The doctor says, there should be a shop in this lobby. How come there's not a shop? Uh he, he repeats that a few times, you know, where you could get gum or cards or flour or, you know, other things. We see that the building seems to be run by uh, humanoid cat nuns, and it's very lobby-like. Uh, then the doctor gets on the lift, a.k.a. elevator. Rose doesn't get, in on, get on in time. He says, watch out for the uh, spray spray, the freshener. I don't know what that says. Override? And there's air air dryers on the thing. So they spray you with a spritz that freshens you up, and then they air dry you. Uh, the doctor rolls off the elevator upstairs, but Rose, when she gets on the elevator, she ends up downstairs. And this person says, this way, Rose Tyler. But Rose has been around the block. She knows something's going on. 
And then we see the doctor is walking with one of the cat nuns. And they're giving a little bit of exposition. He says, how come you don't got a, a, a shop downstairs? I think. And she says, uh, oh, well, we're here to help people, not seldom things. Uh, and he goes, here, shops do good. Not for me, but maybe for other people. And she goes, she goes, I'm a, you know, exposition time. We're the sisters of plenitude. And we have a lifelong vow to help and mend. Then we see the Duke of Manhattan and the Duke of Manhattan's assistants. Uh, he's dealing with some petrifold regression. And uh, he goes, man, I've been a lifetime of charity and abstinence. What the heck? Uh, and there's jokes. His assistant is named Clovis. Frau Clovis, actually. There's a but- there, there's also a butler there on the right. Uh, uh, things turn to stone. New uh, Novice Haim is who the uh, one of the people the doctor's talking to. Then we see our good buddy face a bow because uh, the doctor says, I'm supposed to be here to meet somebody. And he goes, oh, yeah, I found it. Face a bow. And that was somebody else. And they leave doctor with Mav- uh, Mav- Mavis Haim. No, no, Novice Haim. And he goes, can you check for Rose Tyler? I, I, I'm waiting for her. And then she says, yeah, Facebook's sleeping. Sleeps a lot. Uh, Facebook's getting older. You, do you know the Facebook? The doctor has met once on Platform 1. And she goes, yeah, possibly a big farm. Uh, you know, the Facebook is either thousands or millions of years old. And But, but that's not even possible. The doctor goes, well, uh, I like impossible. And he goes, hey, it's me, the doctor. I know I have a different face. Uh, then we see uh, Rose downstairs. Let's see what else. Thousands and millions. He gets really close. To, the doctor gets really close to the face of Bo's glass and touches it. And it even looked like the face of Bo smelled the doctor, like sniffed it, like it knew the doctor was there. Then we see a movie projector. And it's a fancy party of our favorite Instagram filter, Cassandra. But she's a human in the movie. And then someone says peekaboo, and it's Chip, who is Cassandra's assistant. Uh, he's a golem, like uh, he's a cologne, and he's there to moisturize Cassandra's uh, Facebook in, uh, in a Facegram filter, or whatever. Uh, Chip talks in the third person. Oh, Chip! You know, Chip helps Cassandra. Chip uh, maintains her uh, filters on Instagram. Uh, you know, it moisturizes her. And Cassandra's still saying, well, I'm the last human. And Rose goes, this is New Earth. It's a planet full of people. And they go back and forth, uh, you know, uh, talking about Cassandra and her. Uh, and then she says, hey, uh, the cats are up to something, these nun cats. Uh, she goes, I want to tell you a secret about these nuns cats. And Rose goes, no way. Something trampoline, she calls her. Uh, what does she call? Let me see if I can find it. Uh, I don't know. She says, you're some kind of, you know, she goes, uh, whatever you do. And uh, she's, then she says, hello, Blondie, or something. And then they do like a switch, like, uh, and the, like the parent T-R-A-P, they do that thing where they switch a roo. I don't think that, that didn't happen in that movie. There's a Friday and it was a little freaky. I think that's the movie. 
But instead of uh, switching, just Cassandra goes into Rose. Uh, arms, she goes, holy cow, moisturize me. I got arms, I got fingers, I got he, uh, hair. She says, let me see. She says, chav, very chav, which I looked up. We'll talk about that later. Uh, then we're back in the uh, main building. We hear the uh, over thing. Hope, harmony, and health. Hope, harmony, and health. The doctor actually has water, and he gives uh, Novice Haim some water. We learn that the face of Bo lives in a, a kind of a jar of smoke, not water. He's the only Bo left. Ancient Bo, uh, he sings ancient songs sometimes. And the face of Bo watches the universe go around. And it says that one time before he goes to the big farm, the face of Bo will impart a great secret uh, only to one like himself, a wanderer, a man without his home, the lonely god. The doctor goes, huh, sounds interesting. And then the D- D- Duke of Manhattan calls the doctor over. The doctor also hold, was holding it while the Duke of Manhattan's talking to him. He's like holding his ear uh, earlobe and stuff. Uh, and uh, he says, I'm all clear. No more petrifold regression. I'm totally back. Uh. Oh, then we see Cassandra. She says, from class to brass as she's looking at her. Uh, uh, being rose, she goes curves uh, like in a bouncy castle. And let's see, all clear magic or cats or some science. Uh, and at some point, Rose's uh, phone rings, uh, and it's the doctor. It takes a while for Cassandra to, to figure out how to talk and whatever. Uh, doctor goes, "Where are you at?" And she she goes, uh, she goes to her sidekick. How's Rose talking? He goes, Cockney. And she goes, she goes, I'm on my way, governor. And he goes, I'm with the face of Bo. And she doesn't know what he's talking. She says, oh, that big old boat race. I love it. And then she goes, don't worry, I'm on my way. Oh, that's when the doctor talks to Duke of Manhattan holding his earlobes. Uh, and uh, they, they go, what is it, a magic? And no, a matron cast. But one of the head nuns says, no, no, it's just hard work, science. And the doctor goes, well, how on earth did you do it? Uh, petrifold regression's pretty, uh, and she goes, new earth. Uh, and he goes, well, what'd you do? She goes, simple, uh, but secret, uh, can't tell you. And then they call her away, and we see a little bit more of the mystery of the cats. Uh, let's see, also, uh, Cassandra's rose, she, she get, unbuttons a few buttons, uh, she fixes her hair, she puts uh, some perfume between her, uh, uh, in, in, on, between her buttons, uh, uh, let's see what happens. Then uh, uh, we see the cats. Yeah, we see more mystery with the cats. Uh, uh, doctor, oh, doctor has his glasses on, and he's looking. They see. He says the, he asks him again. They say something about cell washing. Uh, Crescendo palindrome. I don't know what that means. I can't Adam and Eve it. Uh, let me take a look here if I can find that. Uh, petrifold. Uh, positively sparkling. Oh, yeah. Somebody else was dealing with macaroni issues, and I think he was getting cell washed. Oh, and Cassandra Rose, he goes, uh, yeah, this person's suffering from palindromes, uh, but uh, now totally doing good. And Cassandra Rose says, I can't Adam and Eve it. And Doctor's, what's up with your voice? She goes, just, uh, you know, uh, 
kicking it on the new planet, uh, new city, new way of life. And then she kisses a doctor uh, who says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, and he, his voice goes up. He goes, yep, still got it. Uh, and she goes, let's go this way. They needed a terminal to check out some screens. Uh, subframe is locked. Uh, but they do some sort of inner installation protocol. And then there's big music. So we see a secret panel. And then they go into a room. It's kind of like the movie The Matrix. Uh, and they say, wait a second, this is like The Matrix, a movie. And they say, yeah, everybody's in, in their own room watching The Matrix movie. Everybody. And the doctor's like, you got to be kidding me, all of them? What is this? And they go, yeah, it's a research on if you watch The Matrix, if you'll think you're in The Matrix. He goes, I don't like this. Uh, then he talks to Novice Haim about it, who says, uh, well, I have a lot of cognitive dissonance, so I can do my job. And let's see. They say, yeah, we doctors, they don't like this. You can't just make people watch uh, uh, The Matrix to seize what ha- see what happens. They go, oh, yeah, no, it's for the greater cause. Uh, uh, so sorry. Uh, let's see. The doctor even raises his voice. He goes, "This is not uh, acceptable. Uh, I don't like it." Uh, no city. Pe-. He goes, "Do they know? Does the city know about this?" They go, "Oh no." And then he goes, yeah, "Also, Rose, I know something's up with you because you'd be more caring about this, more empathetic." Uh, he also says, "I'm being very, very calm. Very, very calm." Uh, then he says, uh, he calls somebody clever clogs and smarty pants. And he goes, I knew something was up. Uh, and he figures out Cassandra. Maybe she called him clever clog and smarty pants. Uh, so she gives him a snooze perfume and runs along. Uh, then she pulls some cords and the doctor wakes up. He's watching the Matrix. And he goes, what are you, Rose, what are you doing? He goes, Cassandra, why are you inside of Rose? Uh, and she goes, three minutes, doctor, and you're going to be watching uh, the, the, the Matrix movie over and over again. And he goes, let Rose go. She goes, yeah, as soon as I find an upgrade, I will. Now hush, baby. And then Cassandra tries to negotiate with the cat nuns. Uh, one of the sisters has to kind of... Uh, and held the chamber. Uh, so she lets everybody out of the Matrix because she says everybody turns off everybody's TV. So then they start wandering around like, I've been watching the Matrix. What's going on? Because uh, she says, Cassandra wants cash. Uh, she says, I'm going to ruin your tests. Uh, and then everybody watching the Matrix gets free and they're just wandering around. They're like, I need some Mountain Dew. I've been watching Matrix for four days. Totally. Uh, and one of the nuns says, by goddess Santori. And uh, then the doctor and Rose get reconnected. Uh, and he goes, uh, let's go downstairs. Everybody go downstairs. Let's put a, uh, you go, this people have had too much screen time, just like kids. They need a quarantine until they, uh, you know, just some sunlight and that kind of stuff. Uh, some fresh air. They need a fresh airantine. And uh, they say, get everybody fresh air stat. And everybody's wandering around like, uh, no, I need popcorn, you know, munchies. Uh, well, there's also a lot of phone booths in this episode, like uh, uh, like with white phones. 
and the domes around them. The lifts are closed. Uh, a chip has to hide. Excuse me, service, uh, video game, sound effects, uh, uh, freezer vinyl. I don't know, like, uh, I think they, they keep running downstairs, uh, uh, just down to, like, where uh, Cassandra was originally hanging out. Uh, oh, I think, uh, who was it? Uh, Frau Clovis is asking for service. And then they see everybody coming out, like, from the Matrix. They're like, what, man? Neo. Uh, you know, I can bend it or whatever. People are like, bend it. Uh, uh, then Cassandra and Rose. Let's see. Get up now. Oh, my. Oh, wait. Okay. Yeah, they go. Cassandra's got, we got nowhere to go. So the doctor goes, get out of uh, Rose's body. So she goes into the doctor's body. And she says, it's really good acting and fun. Uh, she goes, oh, this is different. Uh, I'm a man now. And she goes, well, I have two hearts. I'm beating out a samba. She starts kind of doing a samba. He's slim and foxy. She goes, oh, Rose, you thought so too. I've been inside your head. You like the doctor. And she goes, Rose, then the doctor says, Cassandra and the doctor say, well, Rose, what are we supposed to do? What would the doctor do? And she goes, go upstairs, which was just the opposite of what they did. Then they go upstairs. We see even the doctor of Manhattan, no, Duke of Manhattan, his doctor of Manhattan was from a movie. Uh, uh, he even helps. Uh, and then the, the Rose says, you got to get out of the doctor's body. We need the doctor. And she goes, I don't want to go in your body. It's Hormone City. And the cats aren't happy. And I think Cassandra says, go play with a ball of string. And then they say, move. And she says, you got to use the sonic screwdriver. And she says, how? And then they say, go back into my, go into Ro, back into Rose. And she says, oh, chavtastic. So they do a back in the fourth thing. And it's even Matrix, like, feels like she's in the Matrix. Uh, and then they say, you know what? These people need it. And too much screen time. Just like kids, some of them need to be held or hugged. Because they say, I'm not tired. I didn't have too much screen time. And instead of saying, yes, you did, you say, oh, here, let me just give you a hug. Uh, maybe you didn't have too much screen time. You're just fuzzy all around. Uh, then the doctor reaches the level with the face of Bo. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Duke of Manhattan and everybody working, saying, what's, what's, what are we going to do about these people uh, that have had too much screen time? There's too many of them, and they're moody. So what's the plan? And they go, well, I don't know. Uh, we, we, no one knows what to do. And the doctor's like, we got to get fresh air and sunlight, and I guess to hug everybody because uh, we don't want them heading to this big city and he goes, this could, he goes, I don't know, I'm sensing a sympathetic vibration. And he goes, okay, I got it. He goes, I got it. Uh, he goes, I got a plan. I'm going into action mode. And so he goes into like A-team mode, like a superhero music. Uh, starts putting stuff on, making stuff. He goes, I'm going down. Uh, he goes, you should come with me, Cassandra. I need your hands and you need to live a little. She goes, you're completely mad, and now I see why she likes you. And the doctor goes, let's go for a wild ride. And then he says, hold that lever. I'm cooking up a cocktail. This was Mountain Dew. I mean, this isn't recommended for everybody. 
But he's like, I'm taking Mountain Dew, New Dew, Strawberry, you know, all of them. Uh, combining and pat, and then he wakes everybody up and he says, start hugging everybody that had too much screen time after you've had a sip of Mountain Dew. Uh, pass on. He's very happy too. He says, pass it on, pass it on. Love and healing, uh, hand to hand. Uh, he's breathing and smiling. And he goes, I'm the doctor. I, I fixed things. Uh, look, uh, and there's still lots of more hugs. Uh, and he says, completely, completely, uh, fresh air and sunlight. Everybody's getting some fresh air and some sunlight. This is great. And everybody starts to feel better, especially from the hugs, I think. And uh, let's see what else. Uh, uh, live without, uh, or life will out, uh, he says. And the doctor's very, very happy. He even says, ha. Huh. Then we see the cats get busted. They see you can't just have people watching uh, uh, that much TV. Uh, then the doctor goes to the face of Bo, who's feeling better. Says, "Oh yeah, you got things to do." And uh, Cassandra doesn't like uh, telepathy. And Facebook, Facebook goes, "You know, doctor, I got fed up with screen time, but you've taught me to look at it anew." And doctor says, "There's legends. Say you're millions of years old, and you got great secrets for a lone wanderer." And the Facebook goes, "Yeah, but it can wait." Uh, doctor goes, "Really? Can, can't you tell me a secret now?" And he goes, we'll meet again, doctor, for the third time and the last time. And the truth will be told. And then Bo uh, teleports out. Uh, and the doctor goes, textbook and en en enigmatic. Let's see. Bo uh, teleports out. Uh, Cassandra Rose and Chip. Uh, Cassandra has to get out of Rose. So Chip volunteers to store Cassandra because he says, I worship and welcome uh, then Rose, the doctor hugs Rose. They say hello. Uh, and uh, let's see. And she goes, I'm a walking doodle because Chip had uh, different uh, drawings on him. And he goes, finest hour and hat. Uh, and Chip's almost out. So he says, it's time for me to go to the big farm as Cassandra. And the doctor goes, how about one last thing? Then we hear the TARDIS. Then we exit. Then we exit the TARDIS at a party. There's some gold uh, holiday decorations. I don't know if it's a holiday party. And we see Cassandra there. She's resplendent, the regular past Cassandra. She's talking about something. You know, she's the life of the party. She goes, "Don't quote me on that." Uh, Bien tot or something. And uh, then uh, uh, Chip walks up to her, Cassandra Chip. He goes, I just want to say you look beautiful. And she goes, well, that's very nice, you strange little thing. Thank you very much. And Cassandra Chip goes, I mean it. I mean it. You're really beautiful. Just the way you are. Just the way you are. Uh, and then Chip lies down, goes to the big farm. Uh, and Cassandra holds Chip. Uh, and uh, the doctor watches as him and uh, Rose walk off. He looks back and kind of watches uh, Cassandra kind of hold herself full circle. She's been uh, reassured, like kind of had her esteem inflated. And she's saying goodbye to Chip. Uh, and the episode kind of comes to a close on the doctor's look. Okay, let's run through some things, some things that came up in this episode. The first thing was a glass bobble. Uh, 
reminded me of a paperweight. Uh, and I said, what's the history of paperweights, right? And uh, so I went on Wikipedia, which is a paperweight is a small, solid object, heavy enough to keep papers from blowing away or from moving under the strokes of a painting brush uh, with Japanese calligraphy. Uh, decorative paperweights of glass are produced by artisans or, you know, in industrial ways. And they be, can be collectibles, uh, some of which are museum in museums. Uh, first produced in 1845 in France, uh, uh, such decorative paper, paperweights declined in popularity before undergoing a revival in the mid-20th century. Uh, so let's just take a look at that history. Uh, the classic years go from 1845 to 1860 and uh, uh, came from three French factories uh, named Baccarat, uh, St. Louis, and Cliché. Uh, uh, they made between 15,000 and 25,000 paperweights in this classic period. Uh, lesser quality ones were made in the U.S., U.K., and elsewhere. And modern weights have been made from the 1950s to the present. Uh, in uh, the 1940s in the U.S., uh, uh, the, the Charles Cazin made some, uh, a little bit, I don't know, some of this seems like a little contradictory. Uh, but yeah, it looks like there's two big periods of, uh, of glass paperweights and a few different styles of them. Uh, there's museum collections at the Art Institute of Chicago, uh, the Bergstam Mahler Museum in Wisconsin, Corning Glass Museum in Corning, uh, and in uh, Devon, England, uh, are some of the big ones. And there's also paperweight collectors, and you can read more of the articles. Uh, uh, Frau Clovis was in this article, so I said, let's look up Clovis and see what comes up. Uh, C-L-O-V-I-S, and uh, Clovis I was the first king of the Franks uh, who united all the Frankish tribes under one ruler. Not sure if I'm pronouncing this. Uh, uh, changing the form uh, of leadership from a group of royal chieftains to a single king in uh, a monarchy passed on to the heirs. Uh, let's see. Let's see what else. Uh, four, this is in the 400s. 481, at the age of 15, Clovis became king in what is now northern France. Uh, took control of a rump state of the Western Roman Empire and uh, had taken over some smaller Frank, Frankish uh, kingdoms and even a Visigothic kingdom uh, to the south. Uh, Clovis is important in the histori historiography of France as the first uh, king of what would become France. Uh, his name is Germanic, uh, composed the elements hold, fame, and wig, uh, W-A-R-ish. Uh, and the origin of the later French name giving Louis, uh, born by 18 kings of France. Uh, uh, Clovis is also significant due to the conversion of Catholicism in 496 at the behest of his wife, who would later be venerated as a saint, Clotilde. Clotilde. Uh, celebrated today in the Roman Catholic Church and Eastern Orthodox Church. Uh, Clovis was baptized on Christmas Day on 508, uh, and this led to widespread conversion, uh, religious unification across modern-day France, Belgium, and Germany. 
and could have been the precursor to three centuries later to Charlemagne's alliance with uh, the Bishop of Rome uh, under Otto I and the birth of the Roman Holy Roman Empire. Yeah, so it's an interesting uh, little piece of history there. What about uh, Chip in this episode talks to Chip uh, about Chip in the third person? And I said, oh, let's look some stuff up about the third person. This is from thecut.com, The Science of Us, uh, August 24th, 2017. This is by Brina Kerr. Uh, to de-stress, uh, try talking about yourself in the third person. And uh, they talk about talking about themselves in the third person uh, during a stressful time. And, uh, you know, how there was a lot of feelings coming up and... Uh, it even made a challenge work a challenge. And then one day they were on the beach, uh, and to clear their head, I realized that I was, if I was going to get through this, uh, I would probably have to manage, imagine myself as someone else. Uh, and then, and actually I've used this technique. It's very, very useful. Uh, thinking of myself as me, a person, uh, going through a tough time, I started to make plans, a plan of action as if I was advising a friend. Uh, someone I knew who deserved to be cared for, someone whom I loved and who happened to share, have my name. It worked. And they say, you could scoff all you want, but research backs this up. A recent study in scientific journal, scientific reports uh, says, talking about yourself as if you're someone else is a relatively effortless way to quell strong emotions. And a technique which isn't always used in most conventional talk therapy holds promise for people battling uh, uh, not easy times. Uh, you know, the, the, there's been a lot of investigations into it. It's very simple, fairly simple to do. You know, when things come up, drop the eye and use you, he, or she instead. And this helps people get something called psychological distance. Uh, by using your own name and possibly second-person pronouns, it creates a little distance and uh, makes you think about your feelings and thoughts like you're looking at someone else's experience. Yeah, they actually, actually point out that LeBron James, for example, has been called out for this uh, uh, about talking about himself in the third person. Yeah, but he said uh, you know, maybe it's a sign of uh, healthy self-talk. And you see other public figures have used it. Uh, but evidence of this isn't just anecdotal. Uh, scientific studies are starting to back up uh, and use uh, scientific method to figure this out. So maybe it is uh, something, you know, we, we, we maybe something somebody like Drew could try out uh, and, you know, get back to you. Or actually maybe something Drew uses all the time when he talks about Bill uh, his man, no, Bill's real. Okay, well, I think Drew uses it, though, so sometimes. Or does Scoots use it? Well, both. Uh, didn't realize it was an advantage till now. I didn't, I don't think he knew uh, how healthy he was in this uh, uh, melange of a brain he has. Oh, you don't know if Drew knows the meaning of that word? Okay, well, let's just move on to the next point, which is about the uh, band Blondie. And a Wikipedia article about that, because that came up, the word. And Blondie is an American rock band founded by singer Debbie Harry and guitarist Chris Stein. Uh, new Wave and Punk uh, are part of both of those uh, scenes in the mid-70s. 
Uh, their albums contained elements of both those genres, uh, were successful in the UK and Australia, but more of an underground hit in the US until the release of Parallel Lines in 1978. Uh, then they had some hit singles, Heart of Glass, Call Me, Rapture, and The Tide is High. And they had an eclectic mix of styles, including disco, pop, reggae, and even early rap music. Uh, they disbanded in 82. Debbie Harry considered, continued to uh, pursue a solo career. They reformed in 87. They had another number one hit in uh, the U.K., with Maria in 1999, 20 years after their first uh, hit single, Heart of Glass. They've sold 40 million records worldwide, still active. Uh, I think they're playing at the New York State Fair, or they did this year. Uh, they're inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2006. And I'd say they're yeah, pop icons, for, for sure, especially Debbie Harry. Uh, what about Chav? That came up. I, it was a, my first introduction to that word ever in Chavtastic. I knew it wasn't a positive thing, but I said, what is a Chav? Uh, and it's spelled C-H-A-V or Charver in parts of northern England. And it's not exactly a nice thing. It's a way to describe uh, antisocial youth dressed in sportswear. Yeah, it shows a way for adults to talk about a youth subculture in the UK. As a younger person, a low, like a brash and loudish behavior, who wears real or imitation designer clothes. Uh, opinions divided on the origin of the term. Uh, it might mean uh, child. Chavy has existed since uh, the 19th century. Uh, Eric Partridge mentions in his 1950s dictionary of slang and unconventional English, uh, but the current pejorative uh, was recorded uh, by Oxford English Dictionary. It's first used in a Usenet forum in 1998, and then in newspaper in 2002. By 2005, it was more widespread uh, to, to describe antisocial, uncultured youth who wore a lot of flashy jewelry, white trainers, baseball cats, and designer clothes. Which I guess Rose has a, war, a track suit, kind of, uh, on in this episode. Uh, but I think it's more, uh, it's funny because it reflects more, much more poorly on uh, Cassandra. Uh, uh, than uh, than on Rose, I guess, showing that she would use pejoratives like that. Uh, criticism of the stereotype, the BBC documentary suggested that Chav culture is a pre- is the evolution of other uh, youth subcultures. Uh, so it's just, just, just things kids do, and it's, uh, I don't know. But, I mean, I think in this episode it's used in a way that really gives us insight that... Uh, Cassandra said to do J-E-R-K. She also uses the term Cockney. Oh, you know what? No, she doesn't use it. Uh, I think uh, uh, her buddy uses it. And uh, Cockney, just in case she is, uh, it has a kind of different meanings and associations. Uh, but it was also a term uh, originally to just to refer to city dwellers and then to Londoners. Uh, born within Bow's Bells uh, in the city of London. And then it eventually became to refer to those in London's East End, 
or to just working class people in London. Uh, Linguistically, Cockney English refers to accent or dialect of English traditionally spoken uh, by working class Londoners. In uh, 1980s, uh, some features of Cockney English became more frequent in broadcasting and the media began to speak of a new standard called Estuary English. But most uh, linguists rejected this analysis uh, and the term is used less frequently now. Yeah, earliest recorded use was uh, 1362 in Piers Plowman, where it meant a small misshapen egg. Uh, uh, concurrently, the mythical land of uh, luxury, C-O-C-K-A-I-G-N-E, uh, became humorously so to, associated with uh, English's ca- England's capital, the English capital of London. The present meaning comes from its use among rural English people in the 1520 as a, a pejorative for, for people from the city. And from earlier since in Canterbury Tales, uh, a child tenderly brought up. Uh, may have, so a couple of ways it, uh, it could have developed. Uh, but yeah, it's just a little bit about that. Uh, Clever Clogs was another good... Uh, the term I was introduced to in this episode, uh, probably the best one. Uh, clever clogs is a uh, someone who is rather too clever, a smart aleck, smarty pants. Uh, so I, I don't know. I guess maybe it was used in another episode, but I was like, uh, I really like that clever clog. Good old clever clogs. You could call me that. Uh, uh, what about en- ending enigmatic? Uh, it's a tough word for me to say. And let's just make sure we know what it means. Uh, mysterious pertaining to an enigma. Let's see. Let's. See. I guess let's look up enigma then because that's not very helpful. Uh, being derived. Uh, uh, something or someone puzzling, mysterious, or inexplicable, or a riddle or a difficult problem. Uh, would be uh, being derived from the ancient Greek verbal noun enig- enigma. Uh, dark saying, speaking, and riddles, or from the Latin for riddle. So that's a little bit about enigma. What about doodle? Uh, it's a nice word. I love that word, doodle. I like a doodle. I don't really doodle a lot. Though when I was in school, I was a doodle. When I was in school, I was a doodle. But what is a doodle? What's well, a, a drawing made while a person's attention is otherwise occupied? It could be simple drawings that have concrete representational meaning or just composed of random abstract lines, uh, generally without lifting the drawing device from the paper. Uh, it can also be called a scribble. Uh, they're most often associated with young children, toddlers, and scoots. Uh, this says because of their lack of hand-eye coordination, uh, and the inability to keep things within the lines. I always think of it as a good sign. Doodlers are, I'm pro-doodle. Doodles and noodles, that's my new cafe I'm opening one day. Uh, Doodles and noodles. uh, And, you know, no poodles, though. We'll have oodles of noodles at doodles. Come by toodles, uh, that's what we'll say when you leave at uh, noodles. What is my place called? Uh, you could be doing in uh, the history of the word, though. Uh, 
it meant simple the people that weren't super intelligent in the 17th century. Uh, so it wasn't exactly a, uh, in the 1936 film, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. Uh, in the final scene, the main character introduces the word doodler, which the judge has not heard before. Uh, is the name we made up back home to describe a person who makes a foolish designs on paper when they're thinking. According to this, it wasn't a common word usage at the time. Uh, so, uh, that no one outside of Mandrake Falls but maybe knew it. Uh, uh, perhaps the word doodle used here in its modern sense of absent-minded design on paper was not entirely new and was not invented in the script, uh, but it is attested that way. It's also used in the original way in Yankee Doodle, uh, originally sung by British troops about uh, Americans uh, in a non-positive way. It can aid in the person's memory, according to applied cognitive psychology, uh, by expending just enough energy to keep one from daydreaming, which demands a lot. Of, whoa, boy, I didn't know that daydreaming demanded a lot of brain's processing power. It, Drew didn't know that, but Drew will think about it now. Uh, so it's a little bit about doodles. I'll also include the link to uh, stuff about Cats, the musical. We covered it a few years ago. Uh, uh, but there are like a Wikipedia article being here about cats musical since there was a lot of cats in this episode. I think they'll come up again. So if they do, we'll, we'll maybe cover it then. Uh, but that's it. Uh, good night. All right. So we're talking uh, series two, two uh, episode three, Tooth and Claw. And uh, Ron uh, Donachi or something is one of the actor, first actors we see who's. Uh, I meant to look up what, uh, what does it say? Spencer Hawking, get glassy wind or grassy wind, mountains, bells. There's some monks hiking. They have staves or staves or staffs. Uh, they kind of look like they would be chanting. Oh, but Ron Donachi, Donachai, he's uh, from, you'll recognize him from Game of Thrones. Uh, someone balks, uh, and they say, hey, we want your house. And they, he says, you can't have this house. I'm the caretaker or whatever. And then we get super action movie. The monks become like orange uh, action stars. And uh, tonally, it was a little bit different than the rest of the episode, except for one or two. They're in these orange uh, NINJ type things. They're doing super high jumps. There's action music. I mean, I guess they'll probably come in uh, later on as why. And they're all doing this action against uh, the people that were caring for the manor. Uh, so, so it's like, uh, so what are they? Are they taking out servants? What is going on here? Like, oh, they do parkour in the kitchen, and then they go down. They they go do put everybody in the basement, and they say they put this canvas tarp down there. I don't know if you've gone camping. And, uh, you know, had a canvas tarp or not, like, a tar you know, any kind of tarp, and then just squished it up and threw it in the trunk and then threw it in the garage in a corner. But that's exactly what's happening here. And they say, good luck with that. Uh, this tarp has not been, they say, we're leaving you down here till this tarp is clean. And uh, they say, we went camping about 45 years ago. And they say, see you. And everyone that works there is like, What? I think also because they say, well, it won't be that hard to clean it. But then the episode opens, obviously, with a twist. Who knows? 
And uh, then we see a TARDIS a dump, a damp, uh, something. It's uh, late 1970s. The doctor says, uh, bin bag, uh, overalls, uh, bin bag versus, let me look at some of this. Uh, uh, but Rose has overalls on. Oh, he says bin bag. I think that, oh, he's talking about her outfit uh, for the 70s. Uh, then he starts rocking some Ian Dury and the blo- Dury and Blockheads. So number one, 1979, Doctor Spunkin' Out. Uh, Rose can't believe it. He's like, she's like, oh, you're a punk with a little rockabilly. And the guy's like, well, we're taking the we took the TARDIS to go see the concert. Uh, you know, this is why we use it. Uh, the Battle of Trafalgar, uh, Anti Gravity Olympics, uh, Caesar on the Rubicon, and uh, Ian Dury at top rank, uh, Sheffield, England, uh, 1979, November 21st. And uh, then they start to, uh, the movie, the movie music's rocking. The doctor's like banging a bell or something, a TARDIS bell. But they have a rough landing as they head towards Sheffield. The uh, doctor goes, I love the 70s, man. Muppet movies, good. Thatcher, eh. Skylab, uh, mixed. Uh, uh, but then they get off the TARDIS and they say, holy redcoats or whatever. They say it's 1879. I guess that was 17. Never mind. But, uh. Uh, they're in, they say, what's up, Scotland? Uh, there's something about them looking dazed and confused. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, there are people in red coats. Uh, and they say, why is this girl not clothed properly? And I said, I, I didn't really, that's like a little bit of an ongoing joke. Uh, and they had a Scottish accent. That's how the doctor figures it out. Uh he goes, oh, I'm, I've been chasing her around because she's in these overalls. Uh, and Rose starts doing a bad Scottish accent. Oot in a boots. Uh, almost as bad as mine. Hootsman. Hootsman. And uh, he says, don't do a Scottish accent. Then he shows his psychic paper. He goes, I got credentials. I'm some doctor uh, from Edinburgh. Uh, but the approach, uh, he says, approach slowly with all due deference uh, to the... Um, the coach, the carriage, and they open the door, uh, and it's the queen, Queen Victoria, her majesty, and she goes, credentials, and she goes, oh, you're our, my lord provost, I guess. Uh, oh, they say, Queen Victoria, Empress of in- India, defender of the faith, and Rose goes, sorry about the outfit. She goes, yeah, I got, I got five daughters, uh, and she, yeah, she looks at the psychic paper. She, they, they, yeah, we're trying to get to Aberdeen or something. And the doctor goes, how come you're not on the train? They go, oh, like a uh, line was down. Uh, and he goes, an accident? And she goes, uh, she goes, no, probably something planned. But she says, you know, I'm a total, total, t-. she goes, I'm totally tough. Uh, good morning, drive one, Balmoral. 1879, six, you know, six people tried to take me out as queen. What a laugh. Uh, Rose wants her to get to say, we are not amused, which I think must be from a show. I didn't have time to look it up. Uh, uh, we see the big house they're going to it has a big telescope. Uh, can't do it. The monks are there undercover. They're pretending they work there. There's also a big cross out front, uh, Charming if rosy, charming if rustic. Oh, that's what the queen says. This place is charming if not rustic. 
so and then I think she makes a bet with a doctor at some point that she can get the queen to say we are or I'm not amused or we're not amused. And also it's called the Torchwood Estate. So holy uh, backstory, property of the crown. They say lock it up, uh, shush, shush. And we see a telescope again. The uh, doctor says something, I like him, but it's a bit rubbish. Um, I don't know what that, maybe about this guy's dad. Uh, uh, too many, oh, you guys, oh, because the telescope, he says there's too many prisms, the doctor says. It's totally weird. Uh, it doesn't make any sense why you have that many prisms on a, uh, a telescope. Uh, pretty infinite word of God. Uh, Queen calls the doctor a polymath, uh, or some, maybe the guy's dad, the original Torchwood. Johnny Torchwood. Also, he was in the Fabulous Five or something. Uh, stars and magic he was into. And then they talk about how Prince Albert hung with this Torchwood dude, you know, back in 1875 or something, I don't know. And how Albert and him loved to talk folklore, magic, uh, they also loved puppies and camping tarp, tarpaulins, I think they called them then. And they say, hey, by the way, you got any clothes for Rose Tyler, Miss Tyler, they call her, because she's, uh, she's dressed like she's going to a hoedown, and those haven't been invented. Uh, maybe they have, but just in the American West. And uh, they say, dinner's at 7. She's still trying to get the queen to say, I'm not amused. Uh, and they say, great news, there's going to be outdoor camping. There's a full moon tonight. Uh, only can't, you know, only thing is most of our tarps are, you know, spoiled. Uh, sunsets, uh, roses and armoire. Oh, we see a beautiful, when the sun sets against these mountains in Scotland. Uh, then we see Rose in an armoire. She's looking at outfits. There's big music playing with uh Oh, we also see there's like the, the, the monks or butlers. There's like, I said, I've never been in a house with this many butlers. Actually, I don't think I've ever been anywhere with a butler, but, you know, even in my imagination. Also, butlers are making dinner because everybody else is trying to clean that camping tarp. They say drinks for everybody, all the uh, all the redcoats, too. Uh, then Rose meets a friend in the armoire who says, you know, they got us cleaning these camp tarps, but you can't clean them. It's uh, some sort of strange thing. And then all the guards will fall asleep, and the doctor, Rose says, I don't know, the doctor will know what to do. He knows that if we're going to camp outside, we have to have tarps. You know, They say you could just sleep with your tent on the ground, but everyone knows it's not true. Plus, you know, that millimeter really makes it more comfortable. Uh, Flora, I don't know, I have that, oh, that was a Rose's new friend's name. Rose finds a sleeping guard, she says, well, you're just going to sleep inside, I thought we were camping outside. Uh, they get busted by a monk who's, you know, undercover butler. That could be another, instead of undercover boss, what about undercover butler? Where, uh, butlers go undercover. I could. How about that? Uh, that could be like the next movie, the TV show I'm in, Undercover Butler. It could be a serious idea down the road. Undercover Butler. Somebody remind me of that, actually. At Dinner by Candlelight, uh, Ro, uh, not Rose isn't there. She's cleaning tarps now. Uh, but the doctor, the head of, uh, the son of uh, Torchwood, uh, Jimmy Torchwood's his name, 
they're having dinner by candlelight. They're talking about this crystal. Or no, maybe they're drinking out of crystal. And the doctor says, tell me about your dad. Tell me about these stories. Uh, he goes, well, I miss my dad. He was the, he was the torch. Uh, that's what they called him. He wasn't actually, uh, he didn't have any superpowers that we know about. And he loved camping. Uh, crystal on the table, taro glasses. I don't know what that means. Uh, oh, two glasses at each uh, place setting. Queen's a little bit sad. You know, she misses Prince Albert's. Uh, especially when they tell stories. Uh, serious dangling. What does that mean? Oh, serious dangling black earrings. If I would have finished the sentence, uh, the queen's wearing them. She says, tell us, everyone downstairs. Uh, uh, oh, we see that the uh, butlers now have dark eyes, uh, full moons or full moans. Uh, and how, Oh, yeah. There's a puppy barking, too. And they say, once in a generation, you're going to camp outside on unclean tarps, the tarps that wouldn't be cleaned. Rose goes and she says, we've got to get outside and camp, but we can't clean these tarps, and they're never going to dry. Uh, and then she says, you know what? I've spent enough time in the TARDIS. These tarps aren't from Earth. Uh, it's that simple. Uh, these are intergalactic tarps, and they're no good. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, there's also a bunch of puppies. Uh, somebody I saw recognized from, oh, uh, the doctor. I recognized him from Harry Potter. Uh, then dinner, uh, and the butler's like whispering to the moonlight, and the doc- that catches the doctor's attention, of course. Uh, he says, what are you doing? And then he said, the doctor says, uh, what's going on here? And he says, oh, there's puppies out there that went to the bathroom on the tarps. Uh, that's what they're barking about. And that's, he goes, the doctor goes, no, something else. Uh, wink, whoopee whispers. And uh, they say, I don't know, the, the, they say, don't look, uh, pull. And that means you, your ladyship. Uh, oh, that's when Rose is trying to pull. She says, also, these tarps are incredibly heavy. Let's pull it out and shake it out. Uh, and she's trying to get everybody to shake the tarp out, uh, to, you know, get it flat on the ground. Because they were trying to clean it crumpled up. Who does that? Uh, then at dinner, it's total chaos. Uh, and they say, what do you want with the starping and the camping and the and they say the throne, yo. Uh, Rose gets one of the tarps spread out, uh, and then doctor, she runs into doctor. She says, let's get out of here and figure out what's in. She says, where the heck have you been? And then they see these puppies, which clearly are like space puppies that pee on things with space powers. Uh, and the doctor's transfixed. The puppies are going arfity-arf, uh, as they lock the doors, they say, go to the bathroom on these expensive rugs or something. The queen's very calm. She says, I'm prepared. Uh, and then somebody says something to her. She goes, the direct form of address is your majesty. Uh, then the doctor, Rose, and the crew, like the queen and uh, the dude, uh, Jimmy Torchwood, they're working on a plan. The puppies are everywhere. The doctor's kind of still transfixed. Then there's a bunch of action scenes. Action on top of action on top of action. And then we see the monks again. They're in their orange outfits. Uh, 
And the doctor's like, he tries to warn somebody about uh, the peeing puppies in the tarps. He says, you can't camp on those tarps. Uh, they're covered in space puppy pee. Uh, puppy looks for something, not then the queen grabs her a box. Because so she, she had this box, uh, what I thought was like the crown jewels that she locked up. And uh, they say, what is happening? And then the queen lies. I don't know what that was about. Uh, uh, then they're surrounded by uh, the monks uh, who want them to camp outside on the tarps. Uh, the queen's in denial about the puppies. Uh, uh, then the doctor says, let's go jogging around the uh, estate. Uh, so they're j- jogging around the estate. There's chanting music. Uh, uh, then there's a chest. Uh, I have it. Uh, oh, then this is the dude, uh, Jimmy Torchwood, says, I'll buy you some time. Or somebody says that. And then Rose is transfixed. Then they go in a room with a suit of armor, and they're trying to come up with a plan. Ends up it's the library, uh, which I just saw the second Jurassic World. This scene really reminded me of it. Uh, and uh, said, what is with the waiting here? Why are we, what are we waiting for? Even the doctor doesn't know. Uh, and then him and Rose hug to break the tension. Uh, Jimmy Torchwood apologizes. Bald... At the hectic, uh, bald athletic, uh, Rose is still c- clowning around. The queen is not happy. This is not my world, she says. Uh, then the doctor starts to put things together. He says, there's some mistletoe. He goes, there's mistletoe oil in the wood. There's mistletoe. He goes, there's something with this mistletoe. Uh, it's got some power. Uh, or maybe it's how they train the puppies, only to pee on mistletoe. And he goes, yeah, not, and he goes, no, 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 not to be on mistletoe. He goes, the puppies uh, go away from mistletoe to go potty. And the dieter says, we're, your father had all the brains. And he goes, we're in a library, books, uh, the greatest uh, puppy training tools in the world. And he puts his reading glasses on, which I thought was cool. Uh, then they're all calling Queen Mum. I had to look at a mum or mom. Technicality? What is that word there? Uh, let's see what it says. The queen, because the queen grills the doctor here. Let's see. What are the descriptions? My father didn't treat it as a story. Uh, explain yourself. Uh, let's see. Run around. Uh, also, the uh, the wife of Jimmy Torchwood is like, uh, well, she's she's thinking fast with the uh, mistletoe. Oh yeah, so the doctor finds a woodcutting bo- book about mistletoe, and they say, wait a second, here's the story that these puppies and the tarps came in on a comet comet together. Uh, let's see, doctor carvings in wood. Uh, chopping, oh, there's the chopping in the middle, mistletoe. Yeah, they're doing research. Everyone's talking at once until the doctor finds the woodcutting of, like a picture in a book, woodcutting of uh, mis- uh, uh, these puppies from space. Also, see, it's very uh, steampunky. And then the queen has this big diamond, uh, which I think probably came up earlier. Oh, no, she says, hey, keep an eye on this diamond for me. If if I'm going to have to go out and camp with puppies, I don't want them to get puppy stuff on this diamond. Uh, the coal I, coal, coal I know, I don't know, I didn't have a chance to look this up. I forgot uh, to see. Uh, 
And she goes, uh, this thing's not good luck. And doctor goes, tell me you take a look at it. And they say, it's worth the wages of the entire planet for a whole week. Uh, and Rose is like, can you imagine my mom? She'd take this thing and run. And they say, the doctor goes, why do you carry it? And she goes, well, I'm taking it to the royal uh, jewelers at Hazelhead to get recut. Uh, Rose goes, it's perfect. And she goes, well, Prince Albert was always trying to shape it. He re- the doctor says he reduced it by 40%. And she goes, yeah, he never thought the shine was right. Uh, it was still unfinished. And the doctor goes, wait a second, unfinished. He goes, unfinished business, uh, like a business in this house. And he goes, you, he goes, Prince Albert and uh, Jimmy Torch, Johnny Torchwood, uh, were working on a plan. He, this is the perfect diamond for the perfect moment. Uh, he goes, this whole thing was to catch the puppies and the tarps and uh, it teach the puppies where to go potty. And to purify, he goes, this is to purify the tarps so you can camp outside. And the queen's mind is blown. Then all of a sudden the puppies get in the room and everyone's like, wait, 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 if you're not covered in mistletoe, you're going to get beat on. Uh, Then the wife of uh, Jimmy Torchwood, Johnny Torchwood, Jimmy Torchwood, I don't know, she throws mistletoe so they can jump over it like mistletoe water. And then they're running to the room with uh, the observatory. Uh, trying to get up there. Uh, why travel? Not separate at all. The doctor goes, oh, yes. Uh, the shine wasn't what? Uh, not separate at all. This is all part of a plan. Uh, I need time. Uh, the diamond. And he started, the doctor says, Rose, help me crank this telescope. She goes, what are you, stargazing? He goes, no, no, no. This isn't a telescope. Uh, it's a moon magnifier. You gotta lock this thing on the moon so it cleans the tarps uh, with moon power. So they do that. They they, they, get, go, they go right into moon mode, moon cleaning mode. Yeah, the puppies they start to sense. Uh, it also like makes them just sit down. Yeah, because I guess they can't smell the like puppy stuff on the um, tarps. Uh, yeah, they very oh, there's even this cool uh, like uh, iron uh, moon shape on the uh, thing. Very cool. Uh, they catch their breath for a minute. The queen gets kissed by and licked by puppies, which she doesn't like, of course, because she's a queen. You know, so they haven't properly vet, you know, been vetted. There's a cool shot of the valley. Uh, Rose's shirt. Let's see. Then they uh, let's see. This is like after. So the everything's solved basically. Because they use the telescope to to purely, I think I already said it, it like shoots moon stuff. Uh, instant cleaning. You know, you just need a hundred carat uh, royal diamond to do that. Uh, yeah. Then oh, so then they see the rose is like uh, knighting the doctor, or the queen is knighting the doctor and rose, uh, Sir Doctor of Tardis, uh, and Dame Rose of the Powell Estates. And the doctor goes, many thanks, Mom. And uh, Rose says, thanks. No one's going to believe this. Uh, and the doctor goes, you know, your husband made you pulled this off. Uh, uh, and she goes, yeah. She goes, but I'm not amused, which Rose is happy. She goes, and, you know, and now you're banished, uh, doctor. Uh, exiled from this empire, never return. I don't know what you are, either one of you, but... Uh, 
you can sort with stars and magic and think it's fun. Uh, but it's not. It's the reverse of that. And she goes, I won't allow it on these shores. And uh, I hope you reflect on uh, how far you strayed. And she goes, leave my world and don't come back. Uh, doctor also says, like, uh, what? I'm sorry. Uh, but in the chance of, like, I don't, I didn't hear you. I'm sorry? Like, wh- what are you saying? You're kicking us out? Uh, you just made me a knight. Or whatever, OBE. Uh, WTF, uh, the way the roads. And the doctor and Rose are walking and talking uh, through the hills after they get off a cart. Uh, it could be Blarney. Uh, because they say, what if those puppy kisses made the uh, queen uh, not let any kid, you know, any descendants have puppies? And then they, Rose makes a joke about Princess Anne. And they go, yeah, I wonder if they're ever going to have uh, puppies. And they say, well, maybe. And they have lots of laughs about that for some reason. Uh, then it cuts back to the manor, and the, because uh, Jimmy, Jim, one of the, the other Torchwood, like uh, uh, he had, uh, he had to go to the moon actually to help reflect it. So he's not, you know, he's staying on the moon in the sky. And so his wife says, "I'm going to sell this place, uh, and I don't want to stay here, you know, or pull it down." And the queen goes, "Let's keep this on the lowdown." Uh, your husband and the ingenuity of his father will live on. And she goes, I realize, you know, Great Britain's, you know, there's going to be a show called The X-Files, and we need our own X-Files here, and we're going to call it Torchwood, the Torchwood Institute. And if the doctor should return, uh, Torchwood will be waiting. Basically, I won't forget this, uh, to stop the doctor, I guess, and that's how the episode comes to a close. All right, let's start with some vocabulary words. A polymath, uh, according to Wikipedia, having learned much, a universal person whose expertise spans a significant number of uh, subject areas, uh, known to draw on complex bodies of knowledge just to solve specific problems. Uh, da Vinci would be, or Galileo are two examples. Uh, uh, especially in the Renaissance and uh, uh, the Enlightenment. Uh, Batista is another one, or maybe that's someone who was uh, talking about it. Uh, so, you know, also there's, there's another word for it, know-it-all, that, that's uh, famous, and I'm just kidding. Uh, splainer, <laughs> polysplainer. What about timorous? uh uh, which uh, t- timorous uh, T I M something I don't know it's uh, you know somebody with uh, that's uh, uh, worried uh, uh, running around uh, timid A.K.A. James Joyce used it in Ulysses uh, George Orwell used it in Burmese days and this is all according to Wiki 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 Nick you know. Wikipedia's dictionary, basically. Uh, what is a Lord Provost? I had to look that up. I mean, I figured it was some sort of protector. It's a Lord Lieutenant of one of the principal cities of Scotland, kind of like a mayor. Only Aberdeen, Dundee, Edinburgh, and Glasgow have a Lord have a Lord Provost. Uh, 
Uh, Bert also uh, calls it civil leader, civil leader Lord Provost. Uh, uh, it could be a, it's a higher status than Lord Mayor. Uh, but I, like, uh, so maybe it's just, I don't know, maybe that other dude was the Lord Provost. Uh, doctor just put on his glasses again on the replay. Uh, Balmoral Castle. I would like to check this out. It's the largest state house in uh, the Aberdeenshire of Scotland. Uh, it's a residence for the members of the British royal family, one of them. Uh, when it was purchased by Prince Albert in 1852, uh, well, let's see, it remains a proper a private property of the royal family and not of the Crown Estate. Uh, is soon after it was uh, the, the hall. Oh, when they first bought it, they said the house is too small. It's built a castle. So William Smith of Aberdeen did the the, the architecture. Uh, though Prince Albert amended the designs. Prince Albert sounds like a polymath. Uh, it's a Scottish baronial architecture. Uh, it's a Category A listed building. I wonder if you can go on tours. Maybe it's actually in use. Uh, you know, they, they hung there. Uh, King Robert uh, had, a, oh, this is the history of the area. In a, a visit in uh, 1842, uh, Queen Victoria and Prince Albert uh, uh, they said, uh, you know, just let's buy this place. And, you know, we'll come out here in the country and kick it. You know, look up the telescope, and then one day it'll be like the X-Files. Uh, it's built from granite quarried at the Invengelder on the estate. It, uh, it consists of two main blocks, each arranged around a courtyard. Uh, southwestern block has the main rooms and northwestern, north, northeastern service wings. It's got an 80-foot clock tower topped with turrets uh, uh, with a balustrade uh, similar to Castle, Castle Fraser. It's, uh, yeah, it sounds like, oh, it looks very, it really does look beautiful. In uh, Victoria, after Albert, you know, went to the big farm, she hung there, uh, staying as long as four months uh, during the summer and autumn. So uh, it's pretty cool to know. But visit it, you know, if you can. Or hey, hey, uh, give me an invite. Now I don't know if anybody remembers this, but at some point, this uh, monk chanting, listening to monk monks chant, uh, and sometimes with music, became a big thing in the '90s. And it, now it's, it's still kind of like uh, it was a fad instead of something like, hey, if you listen to monks chant, it's great. Uh, particularly Gregorian chants, and the album that kind of broke big was called uh, uh, Chant. Uh, it was an album of Gregorian chant by the Benedictine monks, uh, monks of uh, uh, Santo Domingo de, de Silos in Spain. Uh, it was recorded perhaps as early as the 70s, uh, but it was re-released in 94 by Angel Records or something, and it was strongly, mar- you know, Marketed as an antidote to, I'm going to listen to this tonight as for stress. It's the best selling album of Gregorian chant ever released. That's why we're talking about it. Uh, when it says number three, double platinum, two million copies in the U.S., worldwide, six million. Now, here's the thing they've been doing this since the 11th century, these uh, uh, monks of Santo Domingo de Silos. Uh, they did take a break in the 1830s uh, when. Uh, 
you know, there were such, you know, disagreements. Uh, uh, the uh, the style of singing is influenced. Uh, uh, let's see, I'm getting a little confused here. Oh, they even had chant uh, chant Noel and uh, chant two, and then chant three. You know, I gotta look this up on Spotify while I got while we're here. You know. Yeah, you know what? I don't see it there, so I might have to look up where you can get it. Uh, but yeah, that was the thing back in the '90s. We were we were wild back then. We really speaking of uh, what about Ian Dury and the Blockheads? Uh, the doctor is a big fan. Uh, Ian Dury, which I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. Uh, it was an English uh, singer-songwriter. Rose of Aim in the '70s uh, during punk and uh, new wave. Uh, and uh, he was born in uh, Middlesex, uh, and then grew up in, uh, or pretended he was from Essex. Uh, his father was a bus driver and a boxer. His mother was a health visitor and a daughter of a Cornish doctor. Uh, he trained with Rolls Royce to be a chauffeur. And uh, it was absence. Let's see, his father chauffeured for a millionaire. Oh, maybe that was his dad was a chauffeur. Uh, let's see, he was a kid. You know, this is then he was in Kilburn and the High Roads, uh, a reference to the road in northwest London. And uh, he formed this band in '71. Uh, the Dury was a vocalist and lyricist, Russell Hardy. And some other students were in the band. Uh, then he was in the Blockheads uh, uh, under the management of Andrew King and Peter Jenner, or Jenner the managers of Pink Floyd. And uh, they were one of the top acts of a new wave. Uh, they were like lyrical poetry, wordplay. You may have to listen to some of this. Uh, it drew diverse musical influences, including jazz, rock and roll, funk, reggae, and music hall. And uh, let's see, guitarist Chaz Jankel. Uh, the, the, took, uh, Jankel took Drury's, Drury's lyrics. Uh, uh, yeah, and they, they formed a band. Uh, they even got banned, you know, even some of their music got banned by the BBC. Uh, let's see. You know, they split up, you know, obviously split up and got back together because they're a punk new wave band all the way back, all the way into the 90s. Uh, and then they broke up again in 92. Uh, then played in uh, Europe uh, and uh, Ireland in the late, mid-90s. Uh, and then, uh, you know, uh, stuff, stuff happened, you know, it's not a, yeah, let's see. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it sounds like something you should definitely check out. Uh, now what about top rank? Cause that's where they were supposed to go was a uh, top rank. Uh, and so I said, is that a real place too? like top rank in Sheffield? And according to Sheffield uk. uh, if it loads here, it's, it's taking a little bit, uh, you know, we'll see. Will the history load or will it will load the history of uh, Sheffield? It will. This is a forums. Uh, I see a picture of uh, top rank uh, Sheffield City Center, uh, the top rank uh, 
So Buzzcocks played there uh, Sunday, October 21st, uh, two pounds, 250 at the door, Joy Division. Uh, let's see. Oh, no, Buzzcocks plus Joy Division. Uh, who else? Uh, Simple Minds, uh, The Police. Uh, these are people saying which shows they went to there. Uh, the Clash, uh, Ian Dury, The Jam, uh, Joe Cocker, uh, Book, uh, let's see, uh, Horse Slips, uh, Magazine, uh, Sushi and the Banshees, uh, uh, oh, a lot of, uh, The Darned, <laughs> Bow Wow Wow, uh, The Fall, uh, let's see what else we got. Simple Minds, uh, someone said already. Yeah, uh, let's see what else we have in here. Buzzcocks, we saw. Yeah, Police, uh, Cramps, uh, Sting. Maybe it's just reference the police show, though. So, yeah, it sounds like a cool place. Uh, they people got to check out. Oh, here's some other ones. Uh, Oh, Human League, Bauhaus, Bauhaus, uh, I can't say that either. Um, uh, Ramones, Undertones, uh, Devo, yeah, so everything, uh, you know, all these, uh, let's see if there's any other ads here. Pretty long, uh, so it's just a Sheff Sheffield.co.history, uh, or that is Sheffield History, um, what do you call this, forums. Uh, what about the Muppet movie? I haven't seen. I don't know. I know I've seen the Muppet movie. It's been a while. I mean, the original. It was a 1979 musical road comedy film, uh, the first theatrical film starring the Muppets, uh, directed by James Frawley and uh, produced by Jim Henson. Uh, screenplay was conceived by Muppet Show writers uh, Jerry Jewell and Jack Burns. It was a co-venture of American and British uh, Henson Associates and ITC Entertainment. In uh, the second half of The Muppet Show, the third season depicts, uh, oh, is it a bridge between the first half and the second half uh, where he sets out to go to Hollywood, uh, Kermit does, uh, encounters uh, several of the Muppets who all share the same ambition of finding success in show business uh, while dealing with a restaurateur who wants uh, Kermit to be a spokesperson. It had uh, Steve Martin, Mel Brooks, uh, James Coburn, Dom DeLuise, uh, Austin Pendleton, Charles Durning, Edgar Bergen. Uh, it was surreal humor, meta-references, and cameos. Uh, and it won uh, two Academy Awards nominations for the musical score and the song Rainbow Connection. And in 2009, it was deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant uh, and selected for, for, for preservation in the National Film Registry. Uh, so, I mean, I see, I'll have to see this one. Uh, it sounds a bit like uh, Blues Brothers, you know. Uh, I have to check it out and watch it with my daughter. And, uh, yeah, see, so it's, it sounds like a fun little film. Uh, and yeah, that's the Muppet. Sh what was it? The Muppet movie. Let's see how long it is and stuff. Uh, Ninety-seven minutes, uh, ninety-five minutes U.S. version. Its budget was eight million. It brought in seventy-six million. So very successful. 
Uh, what about Skylab? That was something I read about as a kid. I never even believed it. Uh, it was a United States space station uh, launched and operated by NASA for 24 weeks between 73 and 74. In 79, it came back to Earth, uh, which I guess has two, 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 it's barely like, uh, uh, which uh, got worldwide media attention. It had a workshop, a solar observatory. Uh, and, uh, you know, people lived, I, I mean, I remember reading about it and I said, what a ripoff. And, you know, I didn't get to be around when, uh, it got lifted by a Saturn V rocket in a low earth orbit. Uh, and the three missions delivered three astronaut crews there. Uh, final two missions, uh, they even had, a, I, I'm thinking there's even movies about this. Yeah, but then it it, uh, it got ran into a bump, and they said, uh, "Hey, can we fix this? You needed shades, uh, jammed solar panels. It had a telescope mount, a spectral solar observatory. Air, you know. I mean, this thing seems super advanced. This is when you're like, what are we doing now? Uh, you know." Uh, the record time for a human in orbit was uh, extended beyond the 23 days set by a Soyuz crew, uh, by the Skylab 4 crew. Uh, so yeah, this is good, just a cool thing. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think, uh, it's, it's all on, uh, Wikipedia. You can check it out. Uh, one last thing I want to find out about this was calling the queen mom and mom. This is at forum.wordreference.com. Uh, somebody says, I watched the movie The Queen, and do uh, they call it, to say Queen Mum or Ma'am, Mother or Madam, what's it short for? I believe it's Ma'am from Madam. Uh, you're supposed to address her as Her Majesty. For the rest of the conversation, Ma'am is standard. Is there a line on the, in the movie about the pronunciation? Something like Ma'am rhymes with ham. Not ma'am, rhyme, mom, fom. Uh, I watched a documentary where they said it was ma'am with ham. Uh, I find it strange, though. My family, ma'am, is used for mother. Uh, now I'll try to register it. Uh, never say mom, fom, farm, marm. I don't know. So I guess that didn't answer any questions for me. This is from telegraph.co.uk. And this is called How to Keep Up with the Windsors uh, from 2011. Back in the day, uh, Christopher Middleton wrote this article. Uh, uh, a lot of emotions up. A uh, revelation that the soon-to-be groom, uh, uh, Mike Tyndall, is... Uh, uh, only ever to redress the Princess Royal, his fiancée's mother, is ma'am. On one hand, mother-in-laws all over the country be secretly wishing that they too might receive a similar deference uh, for new arrivals in the family. On the other hand, they'll be wondering how they would feel if they had to address the mother of their son or daughter's spouse by her title rather than her name. Uh, the words, who do they think she is royally? Might not be far from their lips. Uh, uh, let's see. At the same time, Mamgate uh, 
It disclosures will set the rest of the country's contemplating once again what's it like to marry into a family where the P's and Q's have to be watched around the clock uh, and the house. It has to be a rough one, uh, said the author of The King, The Ring, and the Crown, Sarah Gristwood. Uh, for example, when the Queen, queen Mother uh, was uh, marrying the, all the family, I mean, this is, we went through it again recently. Previous centuries, it wasn't a problem because the spouses were usually also royal uh, from other countries. Uh, uh, but since the royals have started marrying within this country, that no longer applies. It's not just a wedding itself. No one expected the Middletons uh, to book Westminster Abbey, uh, hire a few hundred horse guards, and close down the center of London. Uh, at Christmas, is it going to be one year at Sandringham and the next to Hugger Mugger at the Middleton's place? Uh, imagine not. Uh, just as the parents of Sparta had to give up their sons, uh, so do Carolina and Michael Middleton. They've handed their daughter to royalty. Uh, not that they will be not that they, not that they will have been informed about this officially. Uh, practically all outsiders who have married into the royal family. Uh, Diana Spencer, Sarah Ferguson, they've all ended up floundering in Windsor Soup, uh, uh, complaining on no formal instructions on royal procedure. Uh, this might be an ongoing thing. Uh, I was thinking, I was hoping I'd ha- have some tips in here. Uh, but in short, this seems to be the golden rule when joining a royal family. If in doubt, uh, do nothing. Yeah, and I hope you're uh, royally uh, tucked in there. Uh, let me tuck you in a little bit more, and uh, good night. All right, everybody, we're talking uh, Series 2, Season 2, uh, whatever you call it, uh, Episode 4, School Reunion, which is a witty little title uh, uh, because it's a reunion that happens at school. Uh, so I just, And I just got it, but I'm just noticing as I'm record or watching the the version as I recorded that uh, the the first scene is like the headmaster walking through the school. And at first this, the, the uh, walls are like off white. Uh, but then as he gets closer to his office, they're bright lime green, like neon lime green. And I said, what in the heck kind of is that? Is, that, uh, is this supposed to be good for learning or something? Uh, but let's see, it's a dude. He, he goes down the stairs. At first, I didn't know he was the headmaster. He's in a suit. Uh, he's hands in the air and kind of like this, I guess, upper crust type motion. Or maybe like he's counting on his fingers. He's uh, on the lookout. Uh, gets the headmaster's office. There's a young kid there. It says he has a tummy ache. He says, why don't you go home? And the kid says they live at Ambrose Hall, which is a place where like, or Annie lives. Uh, he says, oh, poor child, come in. We see the crest on the wall and on the uniform is DV, the crest for the school. And then my handwriting goes, it says T-R-U-B-O-U-B-L-E, Rory Vale. I mean, that's the name of the school, Durryvale or something, Durryville. I don't know, maybe I'll figure it out later. Man, you know, and then the bell rings. Then we get a WTF because uh, we see the doctor come into class to teach. She's in this beautiful brown a suit with like uh, sky blue pinstripes, uh, very casual, but so classy. And I said, if it wasn't for those blue pinstripes, the shoe, like the suit, I don't know. He like uh, the cut. If if a cut of a jib is how you wear your clothes, uh, 
I like the cut of his jib. And he also has this reading glasses on or style of glasses. I said, what? And all the kids said, what? Even the doctor. And then it opens. And then we have the doctor saying, teaching physics. He says physics about 55 times. Uh, he writes it on a dry erase board first. Uh, throws his marker down with some fl- a flourish of style. Like, I'm the kind of teacher you could talk to. And he says, physics, 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 physics. Uh, then he starts uh, quizzing the kids. Uh, he says, okay, let's do a quick one. Two strips of nylon charged with static electricity hung uh, from a string so they can swing freely. Uh, what if they get brought near each other? And the kid raises in Milo. He goes, off you go, Milo. And he goes, they'd repel each other. He goes, correctamundo. And he's like, geez, that's a word I don't think I've ever used before, and I don't hope I don't again. Then he says, question two. If you I coil a piece of microwire, place it in water, and uh, turn on the electricity and measure to see how the water's temperature is affected, uh, I didn't understand that, but he says, how do I measure the electrical power going to the coil? Only Milo raises his hands. And he says, anybody? And he goes, Milo. And the Milo says, measure the current in the P- in the PDs and the ammeter and the voltometer. And then the doctor's curiosity struck. He goes, okay, Milo. Uh, he goes, uh, true or false? The greater dampening of the system, the quicker the energy loses its surroundings. False. Uh, what's non-coding DNA? Uh, that doesn't code for protein. And then he says, what's 65,983 times 5? And Milo answers instantly, 329,915. And then he says, how do you travel faster than light? And Milo goes, by opening a quantum tunnel with an FTL factor of 36.7 recurring. And the doctor's like, oh boy. And then we see a sign on the wall. We go to the cafeteria, it says, eat more chips. And uh, everybody's getting lunch. The staff gets their own lunch, which is a nice perk. Uh, looks like it's either fried fish or chicken, chips, gravy, mashed potatoes. Uh, really a gigantic lunch. I said, Doctor, buddy, the good thing you're uh, whatever, eternal. Uh, doctor's eating his chips with a fork. Rose is not happy. She's working the lunch line. And uh, we're serving lunch. Uh, Doctors all grins, uh, ponders his chip. While he was eating it off a fork, he was pondering it. Rose comes over to clean the table and uh, kind of catches up with the doctor. He goes, I wish I had school dinners like this, or Rose says that. And doctor goes, uh, you like, uh, something's, there's gravy in here. Something's up with the kids that's too smart, or one kid is. And he goes, the chips are different. Rose goes, they're gorgeous. Uh, and he goes, it's well-behaved here. He goes, Then he says, I thought there'd be happy hoodies uh, with ASBOs and ringtones or something. And I said, what in the heck? Is he talking? Maybe it's 2006. I mean, I guess I got ringtones. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I didn't even look that up. Rose isn't happy. Uh, then she gets, she's, they've been working there two days. Oh, she has a blue apron on. She even has to wear a white hat. Uh, and he says, blame your boyfriend. This was his idea to investigate this one. Uh, then Rose gets busted for, you know, talking to the teachers. They say, you work in the lunchroom. 
Get back to work. Uh, then another teacher in a suit. I said, you got to wear a suit to teach at this school. That sounds rough. Uh, he comes over, he talks to Melissa, Kenny, and Luke. Uh, and the headmaster's watching. I think Melissa qualified for, like, advanced classes. Kenny's supposed to is in a band for eating chips. Uh, Rose is cleaning as they bring in this big barrel into the lunchroom. Then Mickey ro- ro- calls Rose from his desk or something where he's working. He's got a book of abbreviations, and he's holding, he's uh, hacking into something, and tor- he's got a torchwood lockout. Uh, there's also a book next to him, The Ascent of Man. Now, it turns out it's not a book, uh, or maybe it is. Uh, let me look, look at it. I'm going to try to get a good look at it. Torchwood Access Denied. Oh, yeah, it is. The, it must be the book version, but I looked it up. We'll talk about that later. Uh, barrel, the barrel gets spilled. There's also a sign that says BFST, and that's where Kenny, whatever room, uh, uh, not Kenny, um, Mickey's working in. Best friends to stick together. Remember that, BFST. Uh, there's also a drawing of a flag with eyes. Rose calls in for help as they spill the barrel. You want me to help clean it up? They go, we got it covered, yo. Then we go to the computer lab where one of the suited teachers is uh, showing the kids these green screens with spinning cubes and word-coded words, symbols, some sort of logoology or something. And the kids are all on their headphones with blank stares at this spinning green cube, type typing away super fast. There's frantic music. Yeah, the teacher stares. It's a long scene, a little montage of kids typing and watching spinning green cubes. Uh, then we see the headmaster talking kind of with uh, nervously to a woman as they go downstairs. He's kind of bragging about test results and the quality of the chips at school. She's Miss Smith. He's Mr. Finch. And we'll talk about her a lot later. They talk about cubits in the teacher's lounge or something. How uh, Also, there's a sign in the teacher's lounge. It's 20 pence uh, per something for tea and coffee. I don't know if it's per teacher per month or per semester. And you got to pay Paulette. Uh, so you owe Paulette 20 pence for tea and coffee. Uh, then they're talking about the change out, like uh, the doctor's eating a snack as they talk about how the, like, the change out all the teachers, one who won the lottery, moment of music or something. And it's a journalist. He says, hello. Uh, and he says, I should think so. So the doctor meets the journalist and he's a, uh, and he's he's smitten or something. And she goes, who are you? He goes, John Smith. And she goes, oh, I had a friend. Uh, uh, he was a very uncanny man or something, uncommon man. He used to travel to call himself John Smith. And the doctor's all something, all grins, all nervous. Second duty, second day, good for you. Oh, good for you. Uh, let me look this up because my handwriting is... Uh, but he's talking to this uh, James Smith. Uh, let's see here. We got the teachers, Finch, doctor. Yeah. Oh, hello. I should think so. John Smith. Uh, yeah, brilliant. Nice to meet you. Yes, very nice. Uh, she goes, oh, yeah. Have you worked here? And he goes, no, it's my second day. And she goes, this is the school. Something's up with it, I think. That's what I'm, and she goes, I'm going to have a look around. And the doctor's, good for you. Oh, good for you. Oh, good for you, Sarah Jane Smith. 
And this was new new to me because I didn't, you know, I don't have a lot of history with the doctors. Uh, the doctor breathes and smiles. Uh, uh, then a kid with uh, something posture investigates uh, bad posture, I would assume. He sees the teacher has uh, kind of transformed. Oh, yeah, it's Kenny. It turns out Kenny plays a role in this. Uh, Kenny's got bad posture, though. So he sees a teacher who, uh, like, the teachers, like, have this strange thing where they pretend they're uh, birds, uh, like nocturnal birds. Uh, uh, then it's the evening. We see it's a reporter sneaking into school at night. Uh, and at the same time, Dr. Mickey and Rose are sneaking into the school. And the doctor has trouble being witty. Is that what it says? Uh, let's see. Mass department. Let's see. The, like, uh, Rose says, it's weird being at school at night. I used to think the teacher slept here. And doctor goes, okay, team. Oh, yeah, he's having trouble. Oh, not team. Crew. And he goes, Rose, go to the kitchen, get some oil. Mickey, uh, look up the, the, the new staff. They're all math teachers. Uh, go look at the math department. And they call them maths, uh, people in the U.S., uh, just so you know. And Rose goes, you can be okay? And Mickey goes, please, to Mickey. He says, investigation? I'm an expert. Uh, then he goes the wrong way. And she goes down the other way. And then we see the reporter, Sarah Jane. She sees one of the birds. Rose gets the oil sample. Uh, split up. Uh, doctor hears a bird noise. Uh, eat more chips. We see another sign. Reporter runs across the TARDIS, and then there's, you know, some music uh, to counter, you know, act that. Uh, and the doctor waits. He says, hello, Sarah Jane. And she goes, doctor, it's you. You've regenerated. He goes, yeah, half a dozen times. She goes, so you look great. He goes, so do you. She goes, well, I'm older now. What are you doing here? He goes, well, you know, we've been around. We're looking into stuff. Uh, and she goes, I thought you were, you know, at the big farm, you know, big tortoise in the sky. She goes, I waited, thought you'd come back. Uh, and he goes, everybody else uh, went to the big tortoise, you know, all the other time lords. I'm the last of the time lords. Uh, and she goes, I can't believe it's you. Then we hear Mickey say, oh, boy, I found something. And they all run, uh, and then Rose is running. They're looking for Mickey. Rose meets Sarah, and Sarah already gets a little past the She goes, oh, doctor, you tell you're getting older. Your assistants are getting younger. And uh, Rose goes, I'm nobody's assistant, yo. And then Mickey's like, I found the biology tests for next week. Should we sell them to any kids? And they say, no, no, no. Uh, then they're walking the hall, halls. Let's see. Uh, Rose goes, can we focus on this? Uh, why are the biology tests not uh, at home in the teacher's briefcases or whatever? And Rose goes, who are you, by the way? Then they're walking the hall. And Sarah says, I used to travel with the doctor. Rose goes, really? Never heard of you. And the doctor goes, oh, yeah, I mentioned to you Sarah Jane before. And Rose goes, no, no, no. And uh, she goes, so this season, it's not 100% clear, but I think it's pretty clear that Rose and the doctor are uh, hubba hubba, wubba wubba. Uh, 
Because Mickey even says the misses and the X, uh, every man's, you know, trouble, trouble. Uh, then they say maybe the biology tests were for the teachers uh, so the teachers could pass the tests. Uh, because it, all the teachers are pretending they're birds uh, sleeping in this room. They find them. Uh, let's see. TARDIS, teachers sleeping. Mickey runs out of school when he sees that. He says, I don't need to see teachers pretending they're birds. The doctor says, I need the TARDIS. Uh, and uh, let's see. Then something and is searching or something. They go to Sarah Jane's trunk and K-9's in there like a robot dog. And Rose says, it's so disco. Canine Mark Three, to be precise. Uh, and the actress says, boy, in year 5000, this was cutting edge. And uh, she goes, well, she goes, uh, Sarah goes, it needs to be repaired. Uh, I brought it with me. I don't know why she has it in her trunk, actually, because she's like, it's not working. And the doctor goes, oh, dear. Uh, meanwhile, one of the teachers is a bird and is watching them like a bird. It says, I'm like a bird. I'm not going to fly away. I'm going to fly around here. Uh, I need the TARDIS. A doctor talks like it's a real dog about a canine. Uh, then they're at a cafe or bistro or something working on canine, fixing canine. They're talking about breaking up and going back. Uh, and the doctor still has some things he's keeping. Uh, because uh, it's like uh, and Mickey's giving Rose a hard time, and who says oh boy? So it's like a quite an interesting uh, love quite love uh, quadrant. And Sarah said, "Jesus, I thought he had Christmas Day when those ships came." And Doctor goes, "Yeah, I was up there with Rose." Uh, and Sarah says, well, "What happened? Well, you know." Uh, and doctors, I can't handle goodbyes, basically, especially time-related goodbyes. Uh, can't do it. She goes, where'd you drop me off? Croydon? Uh, and she goes, right? And she goes, no, 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 Aberdeen. And the doctor says, isn't that next to Croydon? It, then K-9 comes activated, and it says, hello, uh, doctor. And the doctor goes, yeah, it's me. And K-9 says, affirmative. Very much a little bit like C-3PO. Uh, then the canine can uh, uh, even uh, scan oil, which is acrylatane oil or something. And the doctor says, oh, that's who the teachers are, acrylatanes, uh, composite, uh, an amalgam, uh, kind of like England, like bits of Viking, French, whatever. Uh, they, you know, they kind of take the best uh, from everybody. They're kind of colonists, uh, so, you know, depending on your opinion, good or, you know, not great. Uh, but for them, they, they keep the traditions they like. Uh, and Mickey goes, what's the deal with the tin dog? He says, this is Sarah. And the doctor says, or Sarah says, the doctor likes an entourage. Uh, sometimes humans, sometimes non-humans, sometimes tin dogs. And she goes, what are you? And Mickey goes, me? I'm the, uh, let's see. He goes, I'm the flyby man, man with the plan. Yeah, let's see, where is it? Uh thought I wrote, wrote what he said, but he says, yeah, I'm their technical sport. He goes, oh, no, I'm the tin dog. Curse of the Time Lord. That was another thing doctor says because I can't uh, say goodbye. That's the next day we see school, bell ring, action music. Everybody splits up. Uh, 
uh, they they say uh, I don't know that I, I don't know what they said, but uh, they split up. We see Mister Finch's shoes. He's staring at the doctor. Doctor's staring back. They're in a pool room meeting. Oh, they left Mickey in the car with K nine. That's the scene. I must have not. Uh, yeah, so like, uh, but yeah, so the doctor and Mr. Finch say, doctor goes, who are you? He goes, I'm Brother Lassa. And he goes, since when did k- kill a tr- k- krill trains or whatever fly like birds? He goes, oh yeah, 10 generations ago from the bassans or the bassoons. And he goes, you're human. He goes, yeah, I like a human. He goes, everybody else is just a morphic illusion. He goes, what are the time, time lords? You always thought you were hot stuff, huh? Uh, you didn't like change and chaos, though. And now you're the last one. And the doctor says, what are you up to? And Finch goes, you don't know already? And the doctor says, no, I'm asking. And Finch says, well, figure it out. And then the doctor says, if I don't like it, I'll stop it. And he goes, well, I thought you were peaceful people. He goes, you seem to be something new. And the doctor says, yeah, I'm old now, and, not, you know, I'm tougher. You only get one warning this season. It's my theme. And the dude says, I don't got any problems. Doctor, what's up? I'm just here. You know, we're just colonizing this school. Why don't you leave us alone? Yeah, then Mickey's in the car saying, oh, why do I, you know, complaining to K-9? Why do I get stuck with the dog? Uh, uh, you know, whatever. Also, there's no running sign at the pool. Uh, then Sarah Jane's having trouble with the sonic screwdriver, but Rose can handle the sonic screwdriver. Uh, and uh, so they still, and she goes, uh, don't feel threatened by me. Rose goes, I don't. And she, she, Sarah goes, yeah, because I'm not really interested in picking up the passionate thing we, you know, me and Doctor had. And Rose goes, really? And she goes, yeah, no, no, no. I, it was hard to get back to Earth, and I'm used to it, uh, I don't want to be caught in the doctor's great hair and dreamy eyes and stuff like that. And Rose goes back when you met. It was like like rationing times, the Middle Ages. You probably couldn't handle that space stuff. And then they go back and forth like who's got to like uh, we even hung in the lock and nest. And Rose goes really. She goes it's kind of like me and Shireen, uh, you know, fall out over the man. Now we're arguing over the doctor. Uh, does he, when you were with you, when we were together, where you were together, was he like talking nonstop and then you're like, what? Uh, and then he looks at you and says, what did you spill water out of your mouth? Uh, and she goes, yeah, does he still stroke the TARDIS? And Rose goes, yeah, yeah. And she's like, I'm like, do you two want to be alone? And then they're cracking up. The doctor comes in, they're still laughing. And the doctor's like, cut it out, cut it out. Uh, let's see, laugh at him, new ship, uh, shop or something, new shop on the, the headmaster. The headmaster's like basically like his final face time. Everybody's at recess playing ball and stuff, and they say, everyone, they get inside for a big test, except for Kenny, the kid with the spiked hair. Then the staff, the regular staff, they, they get uh, they, they get birded. And the doctor's trying to work on a computer. He goes, what are they teaching these kids? Uh, uh, Finch is in his office with a toothpick. He locks uh, uh, the doors, and then they do a process, the kids' montage, where all the kids are looking at the green cubes on the green screen. 
uh, everyone but Kenny, who's running in the halls. Uh, he's looking in all the classrooms, trying to figure out what to do. And he runs downstairs. He calls. To, he's stuck in the school, but he calls to Mickey in the car. He says, get in here. So Mickey's like uh, almost decoded. Oh, then we see the cubes. The kids have almost decoded. Doctor says, no, it can't be. As he tries to figure out what they're doing. Then Mickey hits buttons on the canine who states the eye. Mickey goes, what are we going to do? And canine goes, we're in a car. Just open the door of the car. Uh, and then we go back to the doctor. He goes, oh, this is what they're doing. They're kind of trying to do this paradigm, Scasis paradigm, universal theory. And uh, you, then you control the universe, time, space, and matter, like gods and goddesses. And, yeah, the oil, the chips, the computers, the kids, it's all uh, its all doing it. And then Rose goes, well, what, do you think I'm super smart from the oil? Doctor goes, uh 59 times 35, and Rose goes, 2065, whoa. And they go, why kids? And they go, well, kids have a better imagination to break the code. And, you know, they're using all the kids. Kind of like kids breaking capshkas or whatever. Magic chips, just brains, uh, let the lesson begin. And uh, then Finch says, you know, this is it, Doctor. We're going to solve the paradigm. So do you want to join us or not? Uh, and, uh, well, you, 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 you know, Doctor, we're going to change things. He goes, change things? Are you thinking about, uh, you know, they say, you, Doctor, you act like a radical, but you want to keep the old order. We want to change. Uh, and uh, Doctor goes, you change? And they go, yeah, no, no, we have power. But you could give us wisdom, uh, work with us. Uh, he goes, you could go back and uh, save the rest of the Time Lords, reborn. And the doctor looks tempted for a minute because uh, yeah, he says, I like the things they are, power versus wisdom, timeless Lord's return, timeless race, or timeless. Oh, he goes, I'll give Rose, I'll, I'll make Rose timeless. He goes, there's so many goodbyes. How lonely you must be, doctor. Uh and he's tempted, but then Sarah Jane says, pain and loss, they define us as much as happiness and love. And they said, where were you when I, I need you all the time, Sarah Jane, saying that to me. She said, everything has its time, doctor. Cracks a monitor. So then the doctor cracks a monitor. Mickey gets into school with Kenny. He's running around the school with Kenny and K-9. Finch calls everybody into bird mode. Uh, so teachers are flying around in bird mode. Uh, and then everyone ends up in the cafeteria. The canine goes into laser mode, uh, like a laser that makes the birds fly away. He calls it defense mode, but then canine says, my batteries are low. Uh, and then the doctor goes, it's the oil. He goes, they, they can't handle the oil. Uh, it'll clog their bird pores. Uh, uh, so he goes, Mickey, go and plug the kids. Uh, Kenny... Kenny, they get stuck, and Kenny goes, well, we'll just turn on the school bells. Birds don't like school bells. Then they're running around. Uh, Mickey uh, something, does something good. And then they say, canine laser the oil barrels. Uh, Mickey follows the conduit, turns the power off, so the kids aren't under you know, working on that control. Uh, teachers are on patrol and K-9 stays behind. It sounds a bit like C-3PO, you know, when K-9 says, okay, only here to serve, you know, that whole thing. 
And then the kids get away. School get, goes to the big farm. Papers flying everywhere. And then this like uh, young Hermione Granger says, uh, "Hey Kenny, did you? This was all you're doing. Uh, you're like a Ron Weasley. You're a hero." And Kenny goes, "Whoa, hubba hubba." Uh, something side. Oh, the doctor gives Sarah a hug, but it's a side hug. And I said, holy cow, I never related to the doctor more in my life than all this uh, awkward intimacy. Uh, Gordon Tardis, cup of tea. Uh, he says, uh, do, do you want to come in the Tardis and have a cup of tea? Uh, pre, let me see. Let's see, canine oil barrels. Uh, school. Oh, yeah, they're in this park. Uh, so then the doctor, she goes, oh, you've redecorated. The doctor goes, yeah. And she goes, yeah, I preferred it as, uh, but this will do. And Rose goes, I love it the way it is here. And Sarah goes, can you still do math? And Rose goes, no. And she goes, but you're still clever, more than a match for him. And Rose goes, you and me both, uh, doctor. The doctor goes, hey, we're going to head off, Sarah. But if you want to really be awkward, you could come with us. You know, just stay out here, you know, but, but, you know, you know, get, get, as long as we know the boundaries, uh, or maybe not, I don't know. He doesn't say anything about that. And she goes, no, I'm on my own adventure now. I got my own life. Uh, and Mickey goes, can I come? And he goes, no, no, with you, doctor. He goes, I'm not the tin dog. I want to see what's out there. And I said, Mickey, what are you doing? Like, uh, what are you, but Sarah goes, yeah, do it, uh. Sarah Jane Smith, Mickey Smith, you need a Smith on board. And doctor says, okay, Mickey, you crack me up anyway. And then Rose goes, listen, Sarah, is this, what do I do here? This is even, and she goes, uh, it's worth it, believe me. Uh, and if you need to, after, you know, after the breakup, come find me. Uh, let's see, nope, uh, I want to see what's out there. Mickey's in, Rose not pleased, uh, holy rectangle I put, uh, uh, then, uh, oh, Rose had a shirt that said pirates are cool, I think, uh, and, uh, Sarah, then there was just a doctor and Sarah alone, she goes, listen, I wanted to thank you for the time we did have together, and the doctor goes, well, you can tell it to your grandkids, she goes, yeah, she goes, you're a tough act to follow, she goes, you know, after that, uh, and uh, he goes, uh, no goodbyes. She says goodbye, doctor. He goes, no, no, no. And she goes, say goodbye, please. And he says, goodbye, my Sarah Jane. And then they have a real legit hug. And uh, he he gets on the back on the TARDIS. Uh, and uh, as the TARDIS vanishes, uh, K-9, a rebuilt K-9 is there. And Sarah goes, K-9, and the K-9 says, Mistress? And she goes, what happened? And she, K-9 says, Master rebuilt me with new systems, uh, hyperlink faculties or something. And she goes, so you're a brand new model. And K-9 says, affirmative. Uh, and she goes, yeah, he does that. Uh, let's go get to work. And K-9 says, affirmative. And uh, then the episode uh, comes to a close. Uh, so let's see what came up on this episode. The first thing was Sarah Jane Smith, uh, which I didn't realize she had such a history uh, with Doctor Who. Uh, she's played by Elizabeth Sladen, 
And uh, let's see, I lost my page here, but uh, it's coming up. Uh, and uh, yeah, so she has a long history with uh, Doctor Who and two of its spinoffs. Uh, she's a dogged investigative journalist who first encounters the Doctor uh, trying to break a story on a research facility, then becomes his traveling companion uh, for four seasons. Then they part, part ways. Uh, she goes back to Earth. Uh, then she becomes a committed defender of Earth, uh, occasionally reuniting with the doctor, uh, all while still writing articles as a freelance journalist. Uh, she's one of the doctor's longest-serving companions, co-starring in 18 sorties with the third and fourth incarnations of the doctor from 73 to 76. Uh, her and Canine appeared in the 1981 pilot Canine and Company. I wonder if that's out there to watch. Uh, she was in the 20th anniversary Fifth Doctor story, The Five Doctors, in 1983. The 30th anniversary story, Dimensions in Time, in 1993. Uh, two radio serials with The Third Doctor. And uh, in a spinoff audio drama, Sarah Jane Smith. And uh, she's also in several episodes with The Tenth Doctor. Uh, and as a central character of her own series, uh, The Sarah Jane Adventures, which went from 2007 to 2011, and included appearances by the 10th and 11th Doctors. Uh, let's see, originally it was offered to April Walker. Uh, let's see, yeah, it kind of covers it. Uh, she first appeared in The Time Warrior, where she managed to, they, uh, yeah, she was going undercover. I think her last episode, uh, let's read about the following the 2005 Doctor Who revival. revival. She was in the school reunion. Uh, then uh, uh, they both investigate Headmaster Finch. Uh, exposition reveals uh, their past. Uh, Rose and her have back and forth. Uh, uh, the success of the episode re- led to the development of the Sarah Jane Adventures, uh, produced by BBC Wales for CBBC. Uh, in the Sarah Jane Adventures, she investigates things uh, covertly from her manor house in Bannerman Road, uh, driving an emerald green Nissan, uh, which is uh, her sentient supercomputer, Mr. Smith, and a uh, sonic lipstick device. Uh, uh, let's see, so that's interesting. Can, I don't know, K-9, uh, K-9 left Sarah to close off a black hole at some point uh, uh, due to the concurrent development of the K-9 television series. Uh, so there's a little bit about Sarah Jane. I mean, there's a lot more. Uh, she's also been in Doctor Who novels and short stories. Uh, she was consistently voted the most Doctor Who companion until the advent of the new series in 2005, uh, which now there's uh, Rose Tyler and Donna Noble competing. Uh, but she felt it was because the doctors she, she worked with were so popular. Uh, in 2012, Toby Whitehouse, who wrote Sarah Jane's return at school reunion, said she was his favorite companion from the classic series, uh, she was a comic companion. I think she, more than any other before, redefined the role of the companion. Uh, there are elements of Sarah Jane Smith you can see in every companion downward to Amy. 
She changed the companion from being a helpless person to a feisty, opinionated, strong equal. And at the time, that was quite an extraordinary thing to do. Uh, you know, they were supposed to be uh, powerless. I'm now paraphrasing. Uh, and decoration. And what Liz Sladen did was uh, quite extraordinary. We forget how revolutionary she was at the time. Now, another thing we saw that next to Mickey was The Ascent of Man. And it was uh, it looked like a book, and I guess it is a book, by uh, Bran... Bronowski, uh, but it's actually a 13-part British documentary TV series by BBC and Timely Film, first broadcast in 1973, and it was written and presented by British mathematician and historian of science Jacob Bronowski, Brano- uh, intended as his series of personal view documentaries in the manner of uh, Kevin Kenneth Clark's uh, 69 series Civilization. Highly acclaimed for its informed but eloquent simple analysis, uh, elegant monologues, and extensive location shoots. Uh, title alludes to The Descent of Man, Darwin's second book in evolution. Over 13 episodes, uh, Bronowski Bronow, Bronow, traveled the world around the world to trace the development of human society through its understanding of science. Uh, commissioned to complement a civilization where Clark argued that art was informed by, uh, was reflected and informed by major driving forces in cultural evolution. Bronowski wrote the 1951 book, The Common Sense of Science, uh, which the quote says, It has been one of the most destructive modern prejudices that art and science are different and somehow incompatible interests. Uh, both series were commissioned by David Attenborough. Uh, then controller of BBC Two, whose colleague Aubrey Singer had been astonished by uh, Attenborough's prioritizing in arts, uh, in arts given his science background. Uh, the book of the series, The Ascent of Man, a personal view, is almost a word-for-word transcript of the television episodes, uh, uh, diverging only from the narration when the lack of images might make meaning unclear. Uh, it was sh- shot in 16-millimeter film. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, additional music uh, from Pink Floyd and the Moody Blues. Yeah, it was released on DVD in 2009, 2007. And the episodes are 15, 52 minutes. Lower Than Angels, uh, Harvest of the Seasons, The Grain in the Stone, The Hidden Structure, Music of the Spheres, uh, Starry Messenger, Majestic Clockwork, Drive for Power, Ladder of Creation, World Within World, Knowledge or Certainty, a Generation Upon Generation, and the Long Childhood. Uh, so this is something maybe worth checking out. I'm not sure if it uh, streams anywhere, but uh, hopefully it does. But what about Cubits? I thought that was a good word for anybody taking the SAT. Cubit, C-U-B-I-T, is an ancient unit of length that has several definitions according to the various cultures that use the unit. Uh, it could be somewhere between 444 and 529.2 millimeters. That's 17.48 uh, to 20.83 inches. And it was based on the forearm length from the tip of the middle finger to the bottom of the elbow. Uh, cubits of various lengths were used in many parts in antiquity, including the Middle Ages and as early as early modern times. Uh, 
still used in hedge laying. Uh, the length of the forearm being used to determine the interval uh, between stakes placed within the hedge. Uh, it comes from the Latin noun cubitus, uh, elbow, or cubo, cubare, cubi, cubitum, to lie down. Uh, also, that's where recumbent comes from. Uh, so that's a little bit, bit about cubit, party har har. What about disco? Uh, this ain't no party, this ain't no disco, this ain't no fooling around. Uh, uh, disco, according to Wikipedia, is a music genre and subculture that emerged in the 60s, mid-60s, and early 70s uh, in America's urban nightlife scene. It started out as a melange of music from venues popular with African-Americans, Hispanic and Latino-Americans, Italian-Americans, uh, LGBT people, and psychedelic hippies in Philadelphia and New York City in the late 60s and 70s. It can be seen as a reaction to the dominance of rock music and the stigmatization of dance music by the counterculture. So not that different, I mean, in some ways than the 50s revival. I mean, in a different way, but uh, parallels the whole 50s uh, renaissance uh, and shanana. Several dance styles were developed during this time, including the bump and the hustle. The disco sound is typified by four on the floor beats, uh, syncopated bass lines, string sessions, horns, electric piano synthesizers, and electric rhythm guitars. Uh, lead guitar features less frequently in disco than rock. Well known disco artists include Donna Summer, the Bee Gees, Gloria Gaynor, Casey and the Sunshine Band, the Village People, Thelma Houston, and Chic. Uh, and many at the height of the genre's popularity. Many non-disco artists, including Donald Duck, recorded disco songs. Uh, performers and singers garnered public attention. Uh, record war- producers worked behind the scenes, developing the genre of films like Saturday Night Fever. And thank God it's Friday contributed to mainstream popularity. In the 70s, major U.S. cities had thriving disco club scenes, and DJs would mix dance records at clubs like Studio 54, uh, discotheque goers also often wore expensive, extravagant fashions. You know, people were also, you know, partying pretty hard there. Uh, here's something interesting. This disco was the last popular mu- music movement driven by the baby boom generation. Uh, it began to decline in the United States in 79 to 80, and by 82 it had lost all popularity in the U.S., uh, and uh, there was even anti-disco nights. Uh, but disco was a key influence in uh, EDM, house music, uh, and had several revivals. The uh, origins of the terms come from discotheque, which meant a library for phonograph records, uh, and then became a term for nightclubs in Paris. Uh, by the early 1940s, the term disc jockey and DJ were used to describe radio presenters. Uh, in 66 and 74, there's proto-disco and Philly R&B musicians uh, adopted several traits from the hippie and psychedelic subcultures, uh, like uh, using music venues with loud uh, sound, freeform dancing, trippy lighting, colorful costumes, uh, psychedelic solo groups like the Chambers Brothers and Sly and the Family Stone influenced proto-disco acts like Isaac Hayes, Willie Hutch, in Philadelphia Sound. 
In addition, the perceived positivity, lack of irony, and earnestness of the hippies inform proto-disco music. Uh, uh, let's see. A forerunner to disco-style clubs were private dance parties uh, held by New York City DJ David Mancuso in the loft, a members-only club at his home. When Mancuso first uh, threw his first high, high, uh, house parties, uh, it gave a chance for the gay community uh, to escape getting... Uh, uh, bugged by uh, the authority figures uh, in New York uh, and where people could freely dance together and, you know, just get down and boogie, I guess, and lay down and boogie and play that funky music. Uh, uh, first article about disco was written in 73 by Vince Aletti for Rolling Stone. 1974, WPIX-FM had, had the first disco radio show. Yeah, Philadelphia Soul, New York Soul were evolutions of Motown sound and typified by lavish percussion, lush string orchestra arrangements, and expensive record production process. Uh, and that all became part of the prominent mid-70s disco songs. Yeah, so this is a little bit about disco. Uh, and you can find out more on Wikipedia or where, you know wherever you know, the beat strikes you. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Loch Ness. So just a, just the place. Uh, it's a large, deep freshwater loch in the Scottish Highlands. Uh, extends to 23 miles southwest of Inverness. Uh, its surface is 52 feet above sea level, 16 meters, and it's best known for you know saying, "Does any uh, ancient dinosaurs living here named Nessie?" Uh, it's connected to the southern end by the River Orch uh, in a section of the Caledonian Canal, canal to the Loch Oich. Oich, 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 Oich. Uh, at the northern end are the Bona Narrows, uh, which opens out into Loch Dock 4, which feeds the River Ness. Uh, in a further section of the canal to Inverness, uh, ultimately leading to the North Sea, via the Moray Firth. Uh, it is one of a series of interconnected murky bodies of water in Scotland, uh, low water visibility due to a high peat content in the surrounding soil. It's the second largest Scottish loch uh, by surface area, 52 kilometers, 20 squared, uh, 22 square miles, uh, after Loch Lomond, uh, but due to its great depth, it's the largest by volume in the British Isles. Uh, steepest point is 230 meters. That's 126 fathoms, 755 feet, uh, making it the second deepest lock in Sky Scotland after Loch Marar. 2016 survey claimed to have discovered a crevice that pushed the depth to 271 meters. Uh, but further research said that was an anomaly. It contains more fresh water than all the lakes in England and Wales combined and is the largest body of water in the Great Glen, which runs from Inverness uh, to Fort William. Now, there's also a movie about this uh, that I, I'd have seen a few times, but never clear-headed, uh, and it's called The Incident at Loch Ness. Uh, it's a mockumentary by Werner Herzog and Zach Penn. It's just a small cast of, uh, it's like, it's, it's, I don't know, I really liked it, uh, but I, this was, I haven't seen it since I've uh, become a clear headed person. 
It's like uh, Herzog's filming a movie called The Enigma of Loch Ness. Uh, and uh, they're kind of showing him. Ricky Jay's in there. I think Jeff Goldblum's in it, too. And uh, Zach Penn says, we're going to make this movie into a blockbuster. Uh, so I have to rewatch it. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of tension between Herzog and Penn. Is Penn tries to control things. Uh, and it's actually, this is a spoiler, just to say, tell you. I haven't seen the DVD, but uh, maybe the extras. Uh, it's a mockumentary film within a film within a film uh, idea invented by Penn. Uh, the ruse has revealed an Easter eggs uh, hidden on the DVD. Uh, Penn wrote a scriptment, which is part script, part treatment, uh, outlined the structure of the film and key dialogue, but uh, most of it was improv. Uh, as shown on the DVD, it was like a, like a, a hoax because uh, some media people thought that it was an actual film. Uh, Adding to the verisimilitude was the fact that everyone that appears on screen is a real person, and most are, in fact, who they say they are, uh, even the the crew. It gets a 62% on Rotten Tomatoes and 62 on Metacritic. Uh, Roger Ebert enjoyed the film, saying three out of four stars. Uh, watching the movie is an entertaining exercise in forensic viewing. And the insidious thing is that even if it's a con, who is a conner and who's a con e? And Kenneth Turan of the uh, Los Angeles Times called it an amusing mock documentary that spends considerable energy artfully trying to make you believe it's as real as real it can be. Yeah, so that's a little bit about that. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, good night. It's time to uh, tuck you into a nice uh, bed of peat moss. Uh, get comfortable there. Some discos playing and it just cubits away as a canine and a Sarah Jane uh, keep watch over Earth. Uh, good night. All right, so we're talking uh, episode five, uh, whatever, series two, episode five of the Girls in the Fireplace, 11th Doctor, I believe. You say, Scoots, you've been doing it. I say, yeah, I believe. Uh, the Girl in the Fireplace. And immediately made me think of a girl with a pearl earring. And there's a masquerade party that people are playing uh, some sort of chase game, like uh, chase chase somebody at the mat, chase the masquerade, which is a fun, friendly game. Uh, then our hostess, I believe, she sees a broken clock, uh, like a broken phone. Is that what I put? The clock is broken. Oh, yeah, it's broken like a phone, like a, like shattered, you know, like the face of a phone you dropped. Uh, a dude in a red velvet, rich a red, rich guy in red velvet, that's one thing I noticed. A red velvet suit, uh, a red velvet suit, and Nanette was originally who I thought this was. Turns out it's Nanette, uh, and she talks into the fireplace, uh, she says, don't worry, uh, the, the man's coming, uh, uh, he, he's coming, he's on his way, he's always watched out for me, and tonight he'll be there. And he says, who, what man? She goes, the only man other than you I've ever loved, sweetie, sweet, sweet red velvet rich guy. Turns out it's a king, but uh, she says, no, no, don't look at me like that, uh. 
She go, he goes, go to, she goes, go to your queen. And then she goes, doctor, doctor, can you hear me? Uh, he, he almost, she almost says, Annie, Annie, can you hear me? But she says, doctor, doctor, can you hear me? Except as Annie, are you okay, Annie? And, uh, the clock's, you know, not working. It's time. Uh, then we see the TARDIS. It's a uh, spaceship. Let's see, what am I saying? 3,000 years later. I, uh, TARDIS, uh, TARDIS snarl, ship rotating, TARDIS sound. Uh, the ship that we see it looks like a bunch of vents on a rod. Uh, you think the doctor says dark like Mickey's mind? Is that what he really says? Uh, let's see, nothing here. Uh, brilliant. Again, uh, my, my first uh, spaceship. Uh, Rose goes, it's abandoned. Uh, doctor goes, yeah, nothing here. We'll just do a quick scan just in case. Uh, what's the date? A thousand years into the future. Oh, no, 3,000, give or take. Uh, 51st century, Digmar cluster, long way from home, two and a half galaxies, Mickey. Mickey, meet the universe. It's so realistic, he says. Uh, the says, some cowboys were doing repair work in here. Warp engines are ready to go, full capacity. Enough power to punch a hole in the universe. Uh, and they go, but nobody's on here. Rose is like, what are they out for a smoke? And the doctor goes, no, I've checked all the smoking pods. And then Mickey says, I smell Sunday roast. Rose is also wearing a Wichita Falls t-shirt. Yeah. Then we see 18th century fireplace and mantle in a room. Uh, yeah. And the doctor goes, that's something you don't see every day. Not even a hologram. This thing's legit. Uh, and you could see, Rose is like, uh, you could see something on the other side, but Rose goes, that's on the hull of the ship. And there's a young girl there, a double-sided real fireplace. And Nanette is who I thought it was at first. Uh, he says, where are you at? She goes, Paris, of course. Uh, and uh, doctor goes, don't worry, this is just a routine fireplace check. Nothing to be concerned about. What year? She goes, 1727. What does this say? Cities is this insiders? Uh, let's see. She says 1727 doctors, great year, except for August. Uh, stay inside. Enjoy the rest of your night. Uh, oh, yeah, stay indoors. Okay. And then Mickey goes, what's the 51st century? And the doctor goes, yeah, some sort of spatial tempo, temp, temporal hyper, hyperlink. Uh, and Mickey goes, what's that? And Doctor goes, oh, it's a made-up word for magic door. Uh, Rose goes to France in 1727. Uh, then Doctor rotates. We see Nanette again, whose real name is Renette. Uh, she's four years older. Walls and walls window. Oh, Doctor walks around and looks out the window. Snow in Paris. Uh, a horse calls. Uh, you see the doctor lights some candles in her room. She has a hobby horse in her room. Uh, there's a clock ticking. Doctor talks about resonance, uh, loose connection. Uh, they talk about the clock. There's, clock. there's ticking, but there's no clock. And then we see, uh, we, we learn that there's a clockwork person as the doctor watches over a clockwork robot. Yeah, I just saw the house with a clock in its walls, uh, so that was timely. This is like way out. It should be out on video now. I mean, streaming and DVD. 
doctor looks under Renette's bed, uh, gives a spritz of water to some plants with his sonic screwdriver. He, oh, he meets the clockwork robot. He goes, what are you, scanning her? He goes, yeah, not yet. Yeah, you're incomplete. Uh, drivel, does that doctor? Sends it back, uh, aces it. Oh, they had a little duel, 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 uh, Mickey's wearing a Nintendo's Roots shirt, I think. Uh, and the doctor says, this is some space-age clockwork we're dealing with. Uh, some sort of short-range teleports going on here. Oh, because the, the clockwork thing teleports out. Uh, the doctor says, don't go look for it. Give me a second. But he heads back right back to France. And uh, Rose has a forum thing. Rose has a form thing. It looks like a carburetor. Oh, foam thing. A thing that like, like, uh, looks like a carburetor. And her and Mickey rush off. I still thought it was a Nanette at this point uh, when I was taking notes. Uh, checking. Uh, he says, I'm back to check on your room again. There's a birdcage in her room, a harp. Uh, oh, she comes in. Doctor says, oh, hello. I was looking for uh, Renette. Uh, and she has a knowing smile. Uh, but uh, she's now uh, uh, not a child anymore. And uh, she's uh, uh, she's very regal, I would say. And uh, she touches the doctor's face. She goes, she goes you know, she's not normal that you have an imaginary friend uh, uh, that goes beyond childhood. She goes, you're to be congratulated on your persistence. And the doctor goes, goodness, Renette, how you've grown. And she says, reason tells me something. Because yeah, she goes, oh, you haven't aged a single day. It's imp- impolite of you. Uh, yeah, reason says you shouldn't just be appearing in and out of my fireplace. Uh, and uh, they have like a really big kiss. Uh, oh, she goes, yeah, you're human. And she she goes, uh, yeah, we've known each other for so long. Uh, oh, reason tells me you can't, you're not real. And he goes, oh, don't ever listen to reason. Meanwhile, someone's yelling for her to hurry up. Uh, and then, yeah, then they kiss, like, uh, like hubba, hubba, hubba. And uh, then this, uh, somebody says, Mademoiselle Poisson. And she runs out, and then Doctor realizes, no, Renette Poisson, uh... Madame Etoile, uh, Louis, mistress of Louis the Fifteenth, uh, uncrowned queen of France, actress, artist, musician, dancer, courtesan, gardener, and he says, "I just snagged Madame de Pompadour," which I always thought that meant something else, but it just means kiss because they used it on Harry Potter recently when I was watching Harry Potter, and they're just talking about kissing. Uh, Louis XV, uh, doctor cannot behave, uh, or believe it. He can't believe it, Madame de Pompadour. Uh, doctor re- re- uh, returns, not happy. Mickey and Rose are gone. Doctor runs into a horse on a spaceship. Uh, Mickey finds a, an, an eye-sized camera. Rose finds, she says, this ship really has heart. Uh, I can tell you, Mickey, this ship has heart. Doctor looks around with his horse. Uh, his hands are in his pockets. Uh, he opens doors to a cowboy side. Doctor preps parasols. Uh, 
Oh, he opens the doors. It goes to the countryside. And the doctor's spying on Renette and her friend in parasols. And they're talking about what seems to be the king. She says, uh, uh, oh, Catherine, you're, you're, you're uh, up to no good. And she goes, well, uh, what about Madame Chatera? And they have a laugh at her. And she goes, the king's going to need a new mistress. Don't you love the king? She goes, yeah, he's the king. I love him with all my heart. I look forward to meeting him. And they kind of catch the idea that the doctor's watching. Uh, she goes, everybody knows your ambitions. Uh, and Renette goes, everybody in Paris shares them. They say, what about the yew tree ball? Uh, then we're back at the ship. Rose and Mickey are being watched by something. Then they're looking through a mirror as they go, is this like a normal two-way mirror? But it goes to France. Uh, and they go, look at this guy or something, Poe. Look at the guy who Poe. Look at the guy who's Doe. And they say, it's a, oh, it's the king of France. Uh, and they go, what is this, a time window? He goes, yeah, it's a time window. And the doctor goes, oh, by the way, I'm hanging with a horse. Uh, so that's pretty sweet. Uh, they go, well, what is this time window for? Why is there a horse on a spaceship? Uh, and the doctor gives a little perspective. He goes, all over the ship, there's, uh, like, windows and doorways into uh, 17, 16th, 17th, 18th century France. Uh, we see Renat meet up with the king. He goes, all along the timeline of this one woman, uh, why? And I like this, how the doctor doesn't know. He goes, uh, Jean Antoinette Poisson, uh, known as Renette, uh, one of the most accomplished women who ever lived, uh, hubba hubba, and Rose goes, hubba hubba, what? Uh, what's she up to? And she goes, uh, he goes, uh, well, mistress of the king, and Rose and Mickey have a laugh about Camilla at that. Uh, and the doctor says, I think uh, this is the night they met. You tree ball, yep, uh. And uh, he goes, if time is flat, uh, then she'll follow along her timeline, become his official mistress, uh, rooms at the palace, Madame de Pompadour. Uh, Renette looks in the mirror. Rose goes, the queen must have loved her. He goes, well, they kind of did get along. He goes, it's France. You know, it's a little different over there. Uh, Renette kind of... Uh, uh, see somebody standing there. It's another robot. Uh, and a doctor rolls in, uh, says, Hey, Renette. Uh, she goes, Hey, fireplace man. And the doctor grabs the, uh, awkward ro robot, freezes it. Uh, uh, Mickey, uh, Mickey and Rose along on this. Let me see. Time window. Close up. Doctor goes in action mode. She checks herself, uh, close-up doctor, action mode, answer all questions. Oh, so the doctor says, make it listen to you, and they said, ask it questions, and it says, yeah, I'm uh, number seven. And the doctor goes, what's up with the ship? Yeah, we lost 82% of systems, an ion storm. What are you sitting around? We're short on parts. Uh, Mickey says, typical, always the parts. The uh, doctor goes, where's the crew? They go, we don't got any parts. Uh, and then Dr. Godak goes, okay, get that now. And uh, they they say, uh, okay, well, you're repairing the ship any way you can. Uh, he goes, what else are you doing? Uh, 
Why are you opening all these time windows? You were using a lot of energy to do that. Uh, why didn't you just go home? And they go, we can't leave till we have one more part. The actor goes, well, why haven't you taken it? He goes, it's not complete yet. And he goes, okay, you're just scanning. You're trying to take Renette's uh, operating system. Why her? And the droid goes, we're the same. And Renette goes, we're not the same. We are in no sense the same. The droid goes, we're, we're in the sa- we are the same. And uh, Renette goes, get out of here. And then the droid teleports away. And they go, let's go back to the ship and find it. Uh, Rose and Mickey do. Uh, and uh, take the horse, Arthur. I named the horse Arthur. It was a good big laugh from Mickey also. Uh, let's see. Get out. Uh, trust me. Okay. Oh, then the doctor does a little mind meld with Renette. Uh, he goes, you got to trust me. I got to look inside your mind. And she's fireplace man. You're in my mind. And then Mickey's trying to stir up trouble with Rose. She says, Madam de Pompadour, Cleopatra, Sarah Jane Smith, uh, this doctor, uh, so he titles, he says he called Cleopatra Cleo. Then they get caught by some some clockwork robots. Say, let's go down and have a meeting, play some chess, uh, first take a nap. Uh, meanwhile, the doctor's like euphoric while scanning Renette's brain. So I said, is this like, this was like, it must be the metaphor part, like with the dancing. And then she gets inside the doctor's head. She goes, oh, it must be lonely in there, doctor. And uh, the doctor's in here, you're not lonely. And she goes, you lonely little boy. Lonelier then and lonelier now. And doctor says, how'd you do that? She goes, once you open a door, it goes either way. And then she says, dance with me. And uh, she goes, he goes, aren't you supposed to dance with the king tonight? She goes, yeah, well, uh, she goes, well, first we'll dance with you. Uh, uh, then uh, they, Mickey and Rose wake up in a clockwork masquerade. Mickey does not like it. They say, you're kind of compatible. And Rose goes, us two? No. Uh, then she tries to talk her way out. Uh, then the doctor reappears. He's singing. Well, first you hear him singing. Then he rolls in. He's in. He's like kind of wasted. He's got a headband, a tie for a headband, uh, sunglasses. He's bragging about inventing drinks. You know, he's he's been dancing. Uh, and I think he said, uh, "Oh, the oncoming storm." Uh, and the doctor goes, "Oh, you sound just like uh, your mom." Let's see. She gets a Concord masquerade. Oh, doctor says he invented the uh, uh, doctor. Doctor says he invented the banana daiquiri. He thinks. Uh, uh, oh, he calls one of them. You're Mister Thickety 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 Thick Thick Face from Thick Town Thickania. Uh, says that to somebody. He talks about a millimeter command circuit, pours wine, but it was multi-grade anti-oil, really. It was a whole fake out. Shuts down the Zeus plugs, uh, the, the, I think. Uh, he says, I don't know why they need the Madame de Pompadour's uh, operating system. Uh, and she goes, come on, let's get moving. We got to sh- shut the ship down. He goes, oh, that's what they use the Zeus plugs for. for. 
And Rose goes, why didn't they just go there when she was 37? And the doctor goes, I don't know. I think they're doing trial and error. But they can't close the uh, windows. Uh, then a bell rings. She is complete. Uh, it begins. Uh, and then we see all the uh, clockwork troops heading out to, for a big dance. We see Renette at the window. And Rose sneaks in. It's, I think, five years later. Her 37th birthday, maybe, or in five years, when she turns 37, is she goes, it's going to be wild, and the, but don't worry, the doctor will be there, and I can't explain, and Renette goes, I'll be ready, you just explain it to me now, she goes, no, 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 I haven't got five minutes, uh, and she goes, we're on this ship, it's got windows into your life, it's complicated, and she goes, so you guys get to jump around, but I, weary traveler, must always take the slower path. And Rose goes, you're really sharp. Uh, and Renick goes, what are we going to do? And Rose goes, just keep the uh, uh, robots talking. And she goes, they'll, pro- they'll respond to you. You might not be able to stop them, but you can delay them until the doctor arrives. And Ren- Renick goes, he's coming. And Rose goes, yeah. And he's there when you need him. That's the way it's got to be. And she goes, yeah, I can't have the doctor without the rest of the Doctor Who parts, uh, you know, the uh, whirring and the tardising. Rose goes, yep. Uh, she goes, no, this was supposed to happen. But uh, Renee goes, well, I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, he's an angel. I'd tolerate anything. Then Mickey calls after Rose. Uh, he comes through a tapestry. And then Renette sees in the ship, uh, she goes, is that my future? Uh, she sees in there, she goes, I'll take the slow path. And Rose tries to help. And then she says, you know, the doctor's worth all this. Uh, then we see the crazy masquerade uh, hide-and-seek party from the beginning of the episode. Everybody's running around. Renette sits at the fireplace to call him for the doctor. The clockwork ro- robots have, like, this... Uh, a synthesized voice thing going, and uh, then let's see what happens next. A proximity to the time portal. Oh, they have to take uh, Renette. They get, get Louis and Renette. They say, "Hey, we caught you hide and seek." Uh, uh, they take uh, through dates, uh, trying to find an idea. All uh, all time agrees. Uh, what does that mean? They escort them. Uh, Rose goes, how'd they get in there? And the doctor goes, they teleported. And Rose goes, can we take the TARDIS? He goes, no, we're stuck in this. Uh, he goes, uh, we need a truck. And they go, we don't have a truck. And then Rose goes, we got to do something. And the doctor goes, well, if I jump into that world, I don't know if I can get back. Uh, and then Rose gives, or uh, Renette gives a speech. She goes, kindly remember it to the robots. She says, kindly remember this is uh, Versailles, the royal courts. No making noises, no bossing me around. Decision is no, I'm not going anywhere with any of you. Not going to your world, not going to the ship. And they say, well, we, you know, we're, we're clockwork robots. She goes, yeah, I don't care. Uh, you're just from my childhood. Uh, and uh, then she goes, you know, she knows the doctor's going to be. Then we hear a horse and we hear hooves. And then the doctor and a horse jump through the mirror. 
Doctors, Madame de Pompadour, you look younger every day. There's hero music, uh, through the mirror. Wow, hero in a suit. Uh, King of France gets a what's up. Uh, I think the doctor says, I'm here to fix a clock. Uh, then there's a brick wall where the doctor went through. Okay, so then Rose is stumped. Uh, Mickey's like uh, asking a lot of questions. How are they going to get? How's the doctor going to get back? Uh, Rose senses that the doctor's not coming back. The uh, uh, link with the ship's gone, and doctor goes, "How many ticks in a clockwork in that clockwork heart?" And I said, "That is a song title, or something." Holy moly! Uh, the doctor that loved the clockwork being. Takes Renette by the hand. Mickey's wary or weary or something. Rose is thinking. She looks at the stars. Uh, the doctor, wine and rackly, looks to the stars. Oh, the doctor with wine and Renette. Oh, boy. He's already, uh, he looks to the stars. Mickey's also worried because, of course, the tar- they can't run the TARDIS. Uh, Renette goes, hey, you know all the stars, don't you? Every star. And the doctor goes, well, just not the names. He goes, those are just titles. They don't tell you everything. She goes, just like you. And he goes, just like you. And she goes, I'd love to see a star as close as you have. Uh, and the doctor goes, well, uh, she goes, but you're stuck here. Uh, did you know that would happen? He goes, oh, yeah, pretty much. And she goes, but you still came here for me. He goes, yep. Uh, and she goes, uh, but aren't there a lot? Can't you use another door? He goes, eh, I don't think so. Uh, he goes, I think breaking the glass on the uh, mirror probably. He goes, I'll clean that up. Uh, I'll pay for that. He goes, oh, money, money. And then she goes, here's my lonely angel stuck on the slow path with me. The doctor goes, yeah, he goes, uh, slow, here's the slow path. Uh, and uh, she goes, uh, it's a pity. I think I would have enjoyed the slow path. I think that was, uh, this is a foreshadowing. And the doctor goes, what do you mean? And he goes, I'm not going anywhere. She goes, oh, aren't you? And it's her bedroom, which she had moved, uh, she says. Uh, my whole bedroom moved, fireplace and everything from my childhood here. And this was a bit titillating because she leads him by the hand to a bedroom, like a bed's covered in rose petals uh, or flower petals. Uh, but then she's like, don't you think this will still work? Uh, and the doctor goes, wish me luck. And he goes, then I'll come back and you pick a star and we'll go to the star together. Be a little, you know, we'll figure it out, me, you and Rose and Mickey. Uh, but, uh, you know, just one trip probably. He goes, if I'm lucky, very, very lucky. And the doctor plays around. He goes, "Oh, it's working. I'll be back in a, uh, I'll be back in a something, a jiffy." Uh, gets back, pick a star. Uh, something is all happy. Uh, oh, the doctor gets back. He's all happy. Rose is on her tiptoes, uh, kind of torn, you know. Obviously, the doctor just goes goes back for Renette. Uh, and the king of Paris is there. He goes, oh, she went back to Paris, uh, or the king of France. So France, uh, he goes, she left a note. He goes, by the way, when I say Paris, I mean big far, the big Paris in the sky. Because uh, he was like five out, you know, five years too late. Uh, and uh, oh, when the doctor goes back, he goes, how long did you wait? Rose goes, five and a half hours. He goes, perfect. 
And he says, okay, well, uh, yeah, she was 43. He goes, here's the letter. Doctor doesn't read the letter right away. Then they go back to the ship. It's Rose, the doctor. And uh, there she goes, off in the rain, only 43. Uh, puts her through a notice pocket. Uh, go on. Something, of course, uh, quite right. Uh, shrugs, of course, quite right. Awkward. Return to the, uh, it was awkward. Uh, so he says, uh, Rose says, why, Madame de Pompadour? And this is a great ending. Doctor says, maybe we'll never know. I don't know. Maybe his ship was mixed up. Uh, and Rose goes, you okay? The doctor goes, you better believe it. Uh, and Mickey goes, Rose, show me around this TARDIS. And then the doctor reads the note. It says, my dear doctor, path never seemed more slow. Yet it's nearing, nearing its end. Uh, and we're not going to meet again. But I don't, that's what reason tells me. I don't want to listen to reason. I've seen, I know all things are possible. Hurry, though, my love. My days grow shorter. Godspeed, my lonely angel. And the fireplace goes out. Uh, and then we see, as it fades out, uh, that there's a portrait of Madame de Pompadour at first. And I say, okay, that's interesting. Where's that? 1721 to 1764. And then we see that the ship is called, the the ship that started the episode is the SS Madame de Pompadour. It's still a little bit of a mystery. Is it like the ship was, na- like, they're the same because the ship was named after her? Uh, it's, it's interesting. It's still a little bit of a mystery, but it makes a little bit more sense. Uh, and the episode comes to a close. Uh, so a few things uh, came up here. Madame de Pompadour, uh, Jean Antoinette Poisson, Poisson, Poirot, Poisson, maybe a uh, uh, member of the French court, official mistress from 1745 to 1751, uh, and uh, influential on the court and the court favorite, took charge of the king's schedule, aided advisor, uh, wasn't popular politically or had, you know, political rivals. Uh, she was, you know, never alienated the queen, 13th lady in waiting to the queen, a prestigious position. She was patroness of architecture and decorative arts, including porce- especially porcelain, patroness of philosophies of the Enlightenment, including Voltaire. Uh, but some people said she was a malevolent political influencer. But historians uh, say she was a patronage, patroness of the arts and a champion of French pride. And people said, you know, dudes were intimidated by her because she was overturning so, social and gender hierarchy. Uh, since she was not an, born into the aristocracy, aristoc- you know, she's worked her way up. Uh, uh, so there's a lot more stuff about it, uh, but uh, she went to salons in Paris, uh, where she kind of met some of the philosophies, and she met the king, became part of court. Uh, so it'll be in there. So from Wikipedia, what about the girl with a pearl earring? The film and the painting. Uh, I didn't see the film, uh, but it's a 2003 romantic drama film by, by Peter Weber. Uh, as adapted to screen screenwriter uh, Olivia Hatreed, uh, 
It was uh, adapted from uh, the book A Girl with a Pearl Earring. It was starring Scarlett Johansson uh, and uh, Colin Firth. Uh, and it's just about Vermeer in Holland. Uh, let's see. They didn't want to um, make it a traditional period film. Uh, like something from Masterpiece Theater. They want to make something quite different from that and use distinctive lighting and color schemes uh, similar to Vermeer's paintings. Uh, it earned a worldwide gross of $31.4 million, 72, 72% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, two Golden Globes, uh, nominated for 10 British Academy Film Awards, three Academy Awards, and, uh, you know, I don't want to move, ruin the plot of the movie uh, or the book. Uh, runs 100 minutes, uh, and it's also based on the book. It looks like the painting didn't. Oh, here's a girl with a pearl earring. The painting, it's uh, by one of the Dutch ma- Golden Age ma- Golden Age painter. Uh, it's a T-R-O-N-I-E. Uh, I don't know what that means. Uh of a girl wearing a headscarf and a pearl earring. It's been in uh, The Hague since 1902. In 2006, it was selected as the most beautiful painting in the Netherlands. Uh, oh, it's a head not meant to be a portrait. It depicts a European girl in an exotic dress with a large pearl earring. Uh, it was on an oil canvas, uh, probably painted around 1665, restored in 94, 1994. Yeah, subtle, subtle color scheme and intimacy of the girls' uh, gaze towards the viewer were enhanced. Uh, they also discovered that the background probably should have been in a deep enamel like green. Uh, the effect was produced by applying a thin transparent layer of paint called a glaze over the present-day black background. Uh, however, the two organic pigments of the green glaze, indigo and weld, had faded. Uh, so I think you could still see it in The Hague. It has been in uh, the, the, the Young. Uh, oh, went on tour, yeah, 2013 to 2014. Uh, so, yeah, and then the uh, historic novel uh, by uh, Tracy Chevalier was, uh, came out in 1999, fictionalized the circumstances of painting's creation. Uh, then uh, it was made in a movie. Banksy used it in a mural in Bristol. Uh, I think, uh, where, did I read that, how someone said uh, that it probably wasn't even a uh, pearl earring? Uh, Let's see. I thought I saw that somewhere, that it was maybe more of a, a tin earring. Maybe I already said that. Uh, someone said, oh, at the time, or aluminum or something like that. But uh, you know, what are you going to do? So that's a little bit about the girl with the pearl, pearl earring. What about masquerade balls? Let's learn a little bit about the history of that from Wikipedia. Uh, it's, you know, costume ball, uh uh, compare the word a uh, formal written and sung court pa- pa- pageant is what mask means. Uh, less formal costume parties are a descendant of this tradition. Uh, usually encompasses music and dancing, nighttime events used for entertainment and celebrations. Uh, in the 15th century, they are a feature of carnival season. 
then involved increasingly in elaborate allegorical royal entries, pageants, and triumphal triumphal processions. Look into listen to this. The ball day are dense. The burning men's ball was held by Charles VI of France, uh, and a costume ball. These ones are all in the 1300s. Uh, they were extended into costume public festivities in Italy in the 16th century Renaissance. Uh, elaborate dances, traditionally elaborate dances for the upper class, uh, even in Venice. Uh, the Venetian Carnival associated with that, and then the end of the Venetian Republic in the 18th century uh, declined. But it became popular. Oh, it's already popular in Europe, uh, Sweden. Uh, so a lot of stuff uh, interesting right around this time, right when it was. Uh, there was a revival of masquerade balls in the 1990s in North America. Party atmosphere uh, with formal dancing being less prominent. Uh, and obviously still have like uh, different ways, you know, we celebrate with that kind of dress. Now, Rose had a, a shirt from Wichita Falls, and I found this from Wichita. I said, I get a look at the shirt, and then, uh, believe it or not, one of the radio stations uh, already had something about it, so I wasn't the only one that took a notice. Uh, this is from 92.9 NIN uh, by Tony Kearns uh, from February, May 6, 2014. Uh, you know, some people, Wichita Falls is unknown, but it's represented in movies and television, including 1971's Last Picture Show, uh, set in the 50s. It's about a semi-autographical book about Larry McMurtry, uh, who's, you know, wrote uh, Lonesome Dove, Brokeback Mountain. Uh, The film uh, lists uh, uh, things... Parts of the movie were filmed in Wichita Falls, and that was up for eight Academy Awards, uh, including Cloris Leachman for Best Supporting Actress. Uh, uh, the W.A.R. at Home, that was an Emilio Estevez movie from 1996. Uh, uh, Martin Sheen, Kathy Bates, uh, Tense Thanksgiving. It was only made on a $3 million budget. Uh, the Real Gilligan's Island. Uh, well, bowling, let's see, uh, BFS, uh, bowling for soup, uh, provided, uh, a rendition of this classic Gilligan Islands for a short-lived uh, TBS reality series, a real Gilligan's Island, kind of like Survivor, but the contestants were dressed uh, like Gilligan's and uh, maybe it's just bowling for soup did a video about it, uh, Pillow Talk, uh, Doris Day and Rock Hudson, uh, uh, that was, uh, they'll never believe this back in Wichita Falls is what Rock Hudson says. Uh, King of the Hill, in the 90s, uh, Wichita Falls was a training camp for Dallas Cowboys. Hank Hill was not happy about that. Uh, so he takes his son Bobby on a trip to Wichita Falls to see the Cowboys training uh, to try to move, get them to move to uh, where a family got King of the Hill is uh, Arlen, Texas. Uh, let's see, a couple. Um, 
Adventures of Superman Season 1. There was a scene there. Uh, James uh, Bond uh, movie. Uh, Licensed to Big Farm from 1989. Uh, James Bond. uh, uh, His buddy Felix Leiter gets married. Uh, They're looking for him. Originally... She says they came all the way from Wichita Falls when they're playing undercover. And then we have Rose's shirt, Wichita Falls Tigers, Doctor Who. And uh, uh, there was, tra- was a friend fashion trend to England with shirt logos of fake sports teams uh, from America. So that might have been where it's from. And there's a couple more. So that's from 92.9 NIN yeah, about Wichita Falls. A little bit more about Wichita Falls, you say? Okay, I'll tell you a couple more things uh, uh, if this thing loads for me. Uh, it's the seat of Wichita County, Texas in the U.S., uh, population 104,553 in 2010. Uh, 35th most populous city in Texas. Beautiful. These falls look lovely. They're the restored falls of the Wichita River. Off, uh, so they look a little bit manufactured, but they look gorgeous. Uh, yeah, off of Interstate 44. And far north, uh, let's see, northeast Texas, it looks like. I mean, I don't know what people in Texas consider northeast Texas. Uh, so it might be north central Texas, but not on the um, the northernmost points. And let's see, it's the geography and stuff. Uh, density, time zone, um, so humid subtropical uh, climate. Uh, you know, it gets hot, uh, and they get down to fifty, fifty. However, fifty to sixty nights of freezing lows do occur. Uh, in 2011, it was the first. It was the first Texas city to have 100 100 degree uh, days. Uh, so uh, a little bit about Wichita Falls. It's a beautiful Wichita Falls. Saying it is beautiful. What about Sunday roast? You know, Scoots. Tell me about Sunday roasts in England. Well, I'll tell you right now. It's a traditional traditional British meal, typically served on Sunday. Roasted meat, roasted potatoes, Yorkshire pudding, stuffing, vegetables, and gravy. Vegetables, roast parsnips, Brussels sprouts, peas, carrots, runner beans, and broccoli can be included and cooked in different styles. Sometimes you'll get a cheddar cheese sauce, also popular in Ireland, especially in Ulster, it says here on Wikipedia. It was ranked second in a list of things people love about Britain. Uh, And let's see. Uh, Yeah, and it's had a major influence on uh, other food cultures. Yeah, it was often eaten eaten after church on Sunday. Eating a large meal following church services is pretty common in Christian countries, but Sunday roast variant of meal is unique, uniquely English. Uh, on Sundays, all type of uh, meat and dairy are allowed to be eaten. Uh, unlike on Fridays, when uh, many Roman Catholics and Anglicans abstain from eating meat and eat fish instead. And likewise, traditional for Anglicans and English Catholics to fast before Sunday services and break the fast afterwards. So, uh, yeah, it's a little, I mean, I don't think I'm going to have it. Uh, 
like uh, roasted. Uh, I got to figure out how to make Yorkshire pudding. Uh, but I could definitely roast some potatoes and some meat. I, I think I have that ability. You know, something about, oh, fireplace mantle took a spot on this episode. Then I decided, you know, let's Google mantle and see what comes up. Uh, this is from thought, thoughtco.com. Six fascinating facts about the Earth's mantle by Andrew Alden from 2018, March 16th. Uh, it's the uh, layer of hot, solid rock between Earth's crust and uh, its iron molten core. Makes up the bulk of Earth. And Scooch, you didn't even know this? It's the mantle, buddy. Two-thirds of our mass on our planet, uh, 30 kilometers down to 20 and 2,900 kilometers thick. It has the same recipe elements as the sun and other planets, other than uh, hydrogen and helium. Uh, It mantles a mix of magnesium, silicon, iron, and oxygen that roughly matches the composition of garnet. the top part of the mantle slowly stirred by plate motions uh, with subduction and upward motion with tectonic separation. Uh, some geochemists think of the upper mantle as a rocky version of a marble cake. Uh, you know, there's plate tectonics, hot spots. Uh, you can explore the man- mantle uh with a seismograph, uh, you can model it in the labs, uh, looking at rocks and uh, how they change under pressure. Uh, mantle has layers, and uh, they each have their own internal boundaries. Uh, this has come over a century of research. Uh, uh, the base of the crust, or the moho, it goes down to 660, then the transition zone, and that's when physical changes start, then the lower mantle. Uh, seismic waves at the lower mantle are affected so strongly that uh, people say that rocks might even be different in their chemistry, not just in their crystallography. Uh, this, uh, the controver- this controversial layer at the bottom of the mantle, about 200 kilometers thick, is an odd name, D-double prime. Uh, yeah, it, it, uh, so that's a little bit about the mantle. Yeah, you could read more on uh, ThoughtCo. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, well, you know, it snowed in Paris. Uh, I mean, it snows. Is, uh, you know, have you seen the snow in Paris? Have you heard me sing that song? Because I haven't written it yet. But uh, there's a big snowfall this year in Paris. There's a bunch of articles. It's in February. A lot of great pictures up. Uh, was, you know, Parisians might have been happy. But the sit- photos from the City of Lights uh, from early February of this 2018... I think is that what year it is. Uh, six inches of snow fell uh, late on a Tuesday, and they covered Notre Dame, Eiffel Tower, and a pristine layer of white. Uh, largest snow acc- accumulation since 1987. You know, brought traffic to a halt. You know, drivers were supposed to stay at home, and uh, they felt like the city wasn't really prepared, and it was slow. Uh, but uh, they also got more than, you know, it was uh, one to, more than one to two inches. So you couldn't really salt the roads. They said they'd learn from it. Uh, but really, the world was sharing the pictures, which are really so beautiful. A couple more things. Here's your SAT word for the week. Uh, resonance, uh, uh, which uh, is uh, R-E-S-O-N-A-N-C-E, a phenomenon in which a vibrating system or external force 
drives another system to oscillate with greater amplitude at specific frequencies. Uh, this is resonance in uh, uh, physics. Uh, let me look up, uh, if I can just look up uh, the definition of the word. I probably can't because uh, it's a tendency of a physical system. Uh, I think that's what we're, oh, here we go. Let's look it up in the dictionary. Uh, can you use resonance in a word? Yes, resonance is slow and scoots down here. Okay, resonance uh, comes from uh, Old French resonance, uh, Latin resonance, res, resonatia, and uh, resono. Uh, quality being resonant, uh, a resonant sound or echo re re reverberation produced by blowing over a top of a bottle. Uh, sound pronounced by a hollow, uh, uh, like uh, space, uh, something that promotes an association or strong emotion, increase of amplitude, as we said, increase in strength or duration of a musical tone produced by a sympathetic vibration. We know about that here on this podcast. And I want it to resonate with you. Welcome to a, a nice, uh, calm, safe place. What about steampunk? I wouldn't have associated steampunk with clockwork things, but I think they are both associated uh, because steampunk is more of an, uh, uh, just for some people, an aesthetic uh, than actual has to use steam instead of winding. But I probably, if I had more time, I could do, you know, because Neo-Victorian, oh no, steampunk and Neo-Victorian are different. Uh, oh, the Neo-Victorian movement does not extricate technology and embraces just the positive aspects of Victorian era's culture and philosophy. Uh, but, but it's like a kind of retro future. Wells and Vern wrote in it, uh, and uh, I just thought about this clockwork stuff. I guess I didn't have enough time to research more clockwork stuff, because I think it's cool uh, that these were clockwork beings. Uh, another thing that came up was parasols, and I found in uh, New York Magazine, nymag.com, uh, a great article from June 5th of this year, 2018, by Allison Freer. I pretty much live under one of uh, my dozen of parasols this summer. And he said, hey, the sun's a real deal, so get out of the sun. And these are some of the ones that Allison recommends. Uh, this one's a deal. A quasi-moon 20-inch white paper parasol umbrella. Around seven, six, seven bucks. Uh, Allison says, I, I keep a ton of these. Uh, they're really portable. You know, you, if it gets ruined and they don't look, uh, and because it doesn't call a lot of attention to itself. Uh, so that's a high recommend. Uh, then there's a Kung Fu Smith parasol around 20 to 30 bucks. Uh, it's a pagoda shaped, a pointy one, uh, striking in a uh, black and white color scheme. Uh, there's also a cotton, uh, lace parasol that looks like it's like, a. Twenty to thirty dollars. You know, you add a little style to that. Uh, there's the Lily Lark Zebra UV Protection Sun Parasol. Now that one is uh, on the higher end. We're talking uh, couple Hondo uh, handmade fabric parasols. So by Lily Lark, wearable art, uh, UPF uh, fifty plus coating, and. Uh, it's uh, you got bamboo frame, hand carved by lo local artisans. Uh, so uh, there, I mean, we get the Tesla parasols. Uh, 
Yeah, this is the uh, Kilofly anti-UV embroidered sun protection folding parasol. That's in the twenty to thirty dollar range. Uh, uh, this one uh, also works. It looks like as a rain. Uh, so uh, that that one's pretty cool. I, I, I'd say. Do I need another umbrella? I would go with that. So there's uh, some parasols. What was the Zeus plugs? I did have to look that up, of course, really quick. Uh, just ends up, let's see what it says. It was just like one or two. This is at the TARDIS wick, uh, and I think I uh, might not work. It's just uh, something used to, to repair. Uh, here it goes. Uh, TARDIS.wicked.com. Uh, Zeus plugs are used in the maintenance of TARDI or TARDISes. Uh, a doctor decided he didn't need the plugs to repair uh, his TARDIS's thermocouplings. Uh, that was in one of the TV shows. And then uh, the 10th doctor used them to close the time windows on the Pompadour. Uh, what about the Palace of Versailles? As uh, Madam says, uh, this is Versailles. Get your act together. Uh, I haven't been to France, so I'd like to go. It's the principal royal residence uh, from under uh, Louis the Fourteenth, uh, 1682, uh, till 1789. And uh, it's uh, 12 miles, uh, 20 kilos uh, southwest of the center of Paris. Uh, it's now, uh, you know, it's a very historic site. Uh, it's a ceremonial hall of mirrors, uh, royal opera. Royal apartments, royal residences, uh, a lot of cool things. A hamlet created for uh, Marie Antoinette, a garden of Versailles. Uh, it, you know, lost a lot of its furniture during the Revolution. In 2017, 7.7 .7 million people visited it. Second most uh, uh, visited monument uh, behind the Louvre and just ahead of the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, it expanded over time uh, from, uh, like, over the years, they kept expanding it. Uh, Louis Thirteenth purchased a hunting lodge there, or built one. Uh, then Louis XIV uh, visited the chateau on a trip. He uh, said, hey, I like this, I like this joint or something. So, uh, sounds like a place I'd love to visit, uh. You get out there. I love those gardens. Uh, if the weather's right and my mood's right, which is a rarity. Uh, let's close on speech synthesis. I just want to look a little bit. Because anybody's born in the 80s and was familiar with like, when stuff talks like robots, uh, which is a speech, speech synthesizer, either by software or hardware. And now we have more like text-to-speech systems that you can convert uh, language text into speech or uh, symbolic linguistic representations like uh, phonetic, phonetic transcriptions into speech. It can be created by uh, concatenating pieces, pieces of recording speech uh, from a database. Uh, uh, systems that store phones and di di dip phones. Uh, have the largest output range but lack clarity. Uh, so it's just interesting, like these early ones, which talk like the clockwork figures in this movie. Uh, but even before uh, electric uh, electronic signal processing, people tried to build machines to emulate human speech. Uh, uh, it was like as early as 1000 A.D., 
Roger Bacon even tried in the 1200s. So a little bit about acoustical. There's even more about these acoustical uh, mechanical speech machines, uh, which I guess these beings would have been on this show. Uh, Yeah, so check it out, and uh, that's it. Uh, Get comfy and good night. All right, everybody, we're talking season six, uh, season two, episode six, or series two, episode six, Rise of the Cyber Person. And it opens in a lab, uh, very much like a famous uh, novel by Mary Shelley. We see a lab coat, we see a switcher, plunger turn, we see a man's mouth talking, powers on, a silhouette against the light, uh, and uh, something test it's working. And the man's voice, who we see his intense uh, face, his driven face, uh, uh, he says, hardly, I think hardly is the wrong word. Uh, that would only apply to machines, he says. Uh, and the scientist says, no, sorry, sir, it's alive, a.k.a. Mary Shelley. Stun of a stance, skin of metal, a body that never ages. I envy it. Uh, and then the man who seems to be in some sort of, sort of mobile chair uh, with a bunch of a dev- devices says to the being, uh, do you know me? Do you know me? Uh, he says, answer, do you know me? Uh, a couple of times. And he says, you're John Lumick, a r- robotic voice, uh, says. And the guy smiles and laughs says, my child. Uh, he says, great job, Kendrick, Dr. Kendrick. Uh, and the Dr. Kendrick says, yeah, we, it's great. I just got to check in with Geneva. Uh, and John Luke Picard, we just created a new form of life. A lot of, you know, the Picard, great Picard conventions, we have to follow those. Uh, and I have, you know, I have to inform them. It's uh, my ethical duty. Uh, what does this say? Worcester, well, his chair's wooden. Uh, and he says, well, it's my ethical duty to do whatever I please. Uh, so, uh, then we realize he's in some sort of ship because he says we have a new destination. We see some portholes even. Set sail for Great Britain. We got rid of that scientist with his pesky ethics. Uh, next thing you know, we'll be you know we'll have to deal with uh, Cheaty and the Soul Squad if we don't play our cards wrong. Uh, then we get to the uh, TARDIS. Uh, and uh, it's kind of like Mickey's kind of getting a uh, third wheel treatment. Uh, Rose and the doctor are in a deep conversation. Mickey's left out there doing inside jokes about past adventures. Uh, I don't know if this was ever an episode or episode at all when they're joking about something. Uh, and they say, oh, you wouldn't get it, Mickey. It was, you know, you had to be there. Asteroid, not a planet. Uh, long story. And we realize Mickey's been holding a button, and he says, how long have you been holding that button for? Uh, and he says, a half hour. He goes, oh, you could let it go. And Doctor almost cracks up, and he goes, uh, Mickey, have you been holding it that whole time? Did you forget? Did you forget uh, I was pushing the button? Mickey says, you just forgot all about me. You're too busy with your inside jokes. And Rose is giggling and laughing the whole time. And the Doctor says, no, no, I was calibrating. He goes, could, could I, you could, when could I have stopped? He goes, oh, 10, 20 minutes ago. And then there's trouble with the time vor- vortex with a capital T and a V that rhymes with vortex and Gore-Tex. Uh, and they say, we're going to make a quick landing, um, uh, you know, unplanned one, get ready. 
and even uh, things are released from the ceilings. Uh, uh, like, uh, and then the doctor says, geez, the TARDIS, I think the TARDIS went to the big farm. Uh, he's not happy. And for a second or two, we actually, I actually believed it. Even in a second, I said, uh, he says, she's perished. Uh, there's things on strings, uh, you know, to, to, to assist in landing. And he says, then the TARDISes are extinct. Uh, and, you know, doctors and the doctor says, well, we got to, we've landed uh, out of the vortex, out of the void, into nothingness. Uh, we're in some sort of no place. Uh, Silent Realm, the Lost Dimension. Uh, Mickey says, otherwise known as London. He's outside. We see a regular part of London, England, Earth. Uh, Mickey grabs the paper. February this year, not far flung at all. And then actually says, really, you're London. Uh, the one we just left. Uh, bang on with the Zeppelins and airships. And they say, wait a second, beautiful, but uh, maybe it's a Zeppelin festival. We don't know. You know, it could be that thing. And Dr. goes, no, this isn't just parallel. We're in a parallel world. Uh, same date, a different world with Zeppelins. Mickey says, well, it's just maybe it's just a Zeppelin world. Uh, he, he actually knows from the movies. He says, yeah, it's an alternative, but just a little different, just with the Zeppelins. uh Maybe no uh, Tony Blair, maybe different uh, streetlights. But then Rose says, well, my dad's here. Yeah, he's on a billboard or a, a sign selling some sort of uh, drink. Uh, light Cherry Vitex. Uh, uh, trust me, uh, trust me, he says there's something. Uh, trust me on this, that's what he says. And uh Doctor says, stop looking at it. Uh, you can't see him. It was a che cherry flavor, new cherry flavor. And he says, if you're trusted at me, you can't, that's not Pete. Uh, you know, you can't, he goes, don't worry. It's a different world. You can't get involved. You can't see yourself, uh, your own version of yourself or your parents. Uh, he goes, didn't we go through this already once when you went to the face? But we keep hearing him, Pete, say, trust me on this. Then he's driving in a Lexus to a country manor, and Pete won as his license plate. Uh, he's in a suit. He rolls up, uh, flowers under his arms. We see Jackie, who's uh, in a bad mood. She's turning 40, and she's not happy about it. I said, what, 40 is the new 20, 28, uh, from what I've heard. There's something about Cuba Gooding Jr. I don't know if he's coming to her birthday party, and she's calling Rose, uh, she, oh, she's not happy that it's, uh, trust me on this, that it, her birthday, he said, well, it's your 39th birthday. Oh, no, it is. It says happy 40th, the thing. And I said, really? No offense, but I said, is Jake, you're really 40? And Pete, I said, man. Uh, and she says, my 30, you know, my 50th, 10th or 39th birthday. I was born on the same day as Cuba Gooding Jr. That's it. Uh. And uh, then she calls Rose a few times, and it turns out Rose in this universe is a dog. Uh, the stairs are decorated with willow branches for her birthday. And uh, he tries to give flowers to uh, uh, Jackie, but she won't have them. She says, your secretary bought them. Lumic, uh, then Lumic calls. Uh, oh, he gave uh, a new Bluetooth to Jackie. 
Lumic calls robe the world below can Rondi. I don't know what that means. Uh, we'll figure it out, though. Yeah, there's Rose the dog. Uh, the world believes... Uh, okay, here's... Uh, he, he, now here's a Lumic calling. Uh, hey, those are handmade earpods, so tell Jack to be careful, of course. Uh, are you coming to the party? No, we're taking over the world tonight, more or less. That's what he says. Uh, we're going to meet the president of London. Or the president. Plans have advanced. Uh, president, we're going to be at the airship strip of five. Uh, he goes, well, it's my wife's birthday. I promised. He goes, world domination does waits for no one. President of Great Britain, by the way, Scoots. Uh, he goes, this is going to be a famous day, Mr. Tyler. Get on it, Pete. Uh, then uh, he does... Uh, Earpod override, Lumic does, uh, with voice commands. Uh, subject Jacqueline Tyler. And he gets every secret info he needs as Jackie's putting on her uh, makeup. Uh, we see how they, uh, uh, the earpods work to kind of uh, thing. He goes, I need everything for the party. So I guess you, you, this is a little foreshadowing of Lumic. Uh, uh, thank you. Picture link, uh, Mr. Crane, extra staff. Uh, I don't know what that is. We'll get to it, though. TARDIS, uh, oh, then we go back to the TARDIS. We'll see. Jakey, uh, still getting ready. So thank you, Mrs. Tyler. Oh, uh, yeah. Then he calls, he's got FaceTime. This is years earlier. He calls Mr. Crane. He says, get me some more peeps. So we're, we're moving. Uh, action time, bruh. Oh, yeah, extra staff. Then we're in the TARDIS. The doctor is uh, mad at Mickey because Rose uh, wa walked off. Uh, uh, the doctor and Mickey, uh, something, comedy, hurt feet. So somebody kicked something and they hurt their foot or somebody hurt his foot. And then we see Rose is sitting. There's some thinking music in Zeppelin's. Uh, uh, we see a free trial text for Cybus. Oh, Cybus shares are down uh, because of something about Torchwood. These are different uh, texts or advertisements or something through Rose's phone. Uh, then we are uh, uh, Dr. and Mickey. Let's see. So here's Rose. She's looking at the Zeppelins, enjoying herself, uh, chilling. Then there's her free trial new, new news of Cybus Industries. Oh, doubling in price. Uh, uh, yeah, so uh, in other news, uh, Torchwood Institute uh, has a study claiming uh, that uh, we're not meant to be here. That's what the doctor says. Uh, this is the wrong universe, and the TARDIS gets its power from the right universe. So it's like putting diesel in a petrol engine. And Mickey goes, it's on the comics, it was easier. And the doctor goes, this is the real world, dude. It used to be easy when the Time Lords were, you know, watching everything. Uh, you could pop in and out, but uh, that all went away when, you know, now I'm the only Time Lord. Uh, worlds got sealed off, walls of reality closed, and everybody got a little bit less kind. And Mickey goes, well, why are we here? Dad goes, an accident. Uh, should have been impossible. Now we're stuck. But then the doctor sees something, a little spark. Uh, and uh, a little glowing down uh, a green light uh, reflection. 
No, no, it's too late. We've got power, Mickey. We've got power. Uh, so doctor's pumped. That's, that's what they needed. Uh, uh, then we see a truck uh, offering sweet tree, sweet tea, not true, temptation, come and get it. Uh, but a dude films it. Then we have another it's alive moment. Uh, the doctor says it's a Mickey about the TARDIS, though. As we see, uh, what does it say? Donut holds your little Groot light. Uh, uh, but I think that probably says the doctor holds a little green light. Uh, crystal blows on it. It's hypnotic. Uh, but it can regenerate its energy. Uh, there he's blowing on the crystal. like, uh, And it's getting more and more green. Doctor's smiling big. Because I just gave away 10 years of my life uh, to the crystal, worth every second. Uh, Rose is searching Peter Tyler on her phone, Googling him. Uh, 24 hours it's going to take the TARDIS to recharge. We learn that. Uh, we've got to keep our heads down. Then they find Rose. She's sitting on the back of a chair. Uh, Rose never there. Doctor tries to swipe her phone. And she goes, I want to see them. Uh, doctor goes, and Mickey goes to break out. Uh, I think they were both like putting the burn on the doctor, saying, Geez, man, you're too, uh, because uh, he gives a really harsh, stern look, or maybe Mickey does. So let's see how it plays out versus how I remember it. And then we have a Zeppelin landing. So now they're all three talking. Doctor's lecturing Rose. Uh, she goes, There is no Rose Tyler in this world, so don't even worry about it. Uh, uh, just, uh, just my, my dad and mom married, uh, and the rich, uh, totally rich, everything my mom would have wanted probably except for me. So then she, ha she stands, uh, she's uh, touching her phone debating and she goes, yeah, I'm going to go see them. Uh, and the doctor said, I can't let you, she goes, we can't 24 hours. She can't be their daughter. He says, yeah, Mickey, tell her. He goes, 24 hours? I'll see you. I got stuff to do. And then Rose and Mickey walk off in two directions. Uh, so the doctor can't, and he's saying, stop, you know. A lot of cool focus poles. I don't know if that's what they're called. Mickey says, geez, well, I'm just a spare part anyway. It's the theme we've been seeing this season. Uh, he goes, so you can only go after one of us, doctor, and you're not going to chase after me. I know that much. That's what Mickey says. Uh, then we have Zeppelin landing, uh, uh, ominous music, Mr. Tyler, Mr. President. Uh, basically, the president's like, uh, what does this dude want, man? He goes, uh, you, why you work with them? What does pop mean? Oh, he goes, what do you do again? You sell pop and pretend it's a health drink. Uh, it's wrong. Uh, he goes, what do you think of this Illumic anyway? Uh, then we see Mickey walking. There's like a checkpoint uh, they have to go through. They say, make sure to stick to cur curfew, bruh. Uh, then there's some emotional music. Uh, then uh, it, the Rose reveals to me, the doctor some of Mickey's history about his mom. And the doctor goes, I never knew that. Uh, and she goes, you never asked. You just take him for granted. Uh, then something about a gingerbread house. Uh, beep a boop. Uh, what about a gingerbread house? Let's see if it comes up. And then there's a beep boop and everyone stops. They get these Bluetooth uh, broadcasts over their earpieces. 
and uh, divide has friendship bracelet. Uh, invade has a friendship bracelet type earring. Oh, dude, a dude with a friendship bracelet earring. Uh, there's a news update downloaded into everyone's uh, Bluetooth heads, the jokes, everyone laughs uh, robotically. Then they go back to their normal lives. Dad, because you lot, you're always obsessed with the latest things. Uh, and then the doctor gives in to Rose uh, uh, to see her father and mom just to check in and look. Uh, the Mickey knocks on a door, and the older woman answers his uh, his mother figure. First, she gives him a speech. Uh, then she says, "Ricky, oh, it's you, big hug." But she's not happy. Numers and whis- rumors and whispers. I told you uh, to fix the carpet, uh, so it's a it is a. A thing, uh, like uh, from his history, if you watch the episode. Uh, and he says, sorry. And he says uh, something about, uh, let's have a nice sit down and a cup of tea. I don't like those friends of yours. Uh, Mrs. Uh, uh, oh, let's see. Here's the bleep loop. I don't see the gingerbread house part. Uh, but she goes, yeah, Miss, uh, somebody told me about your van with your friends, a blue van. Pull, then a blue van pulls up and they grab me. Uh, and they get, they say, Mickey, get in the car, or Ricky. It's a sprinter van. It has a portable dash van. I noticed that. Uh, oh, there's a guy with a friendship bracelet earring. Yeah, it's all downloading to uh, uh, Rose's phone as well. Yeah, Pete Tyler. Waterton Street, SC15. That's where Mickey's headed. A lot of buildings for sale there. Uh, Ricky, Mickey, even his grandmother has a, a Bluetooth or his mother figure. Okay, here's the van pulls up. They say, hop in, Ricky. Let's roll. Uh, we've been looking for you everywhere. So he's important, and clearly, in this parallel world. Uh, but his grand- grandmother, who does this, says, uh, and they said, what are you doing talking to your family? You said, no, don't do that, Ricky. You told us. He goes, yeah, of course you did. And then this guy, he's kind of from a boy band. He says, they got the tape, man. Uh, what does it say? Cybus, uh, cybus uh, sustaining the brain. Ultrine uh, update. Boardroom has uh, lots of meters in it. Uh, still go to the parody, though. So that's, uh, we'll see. This is a. Uh, I think this is the next scene with, uh, it's in a boardroom, president of, uh, Great Britain and, uh, altering, oh, here it is. Lumix making a presentation. Uh, we've perfected a way cyber industries to sustain the brain. Uh, you know, keep sustain the brain. Just like, uh, Cypress Hill saying 30 years ago. And uh, extend, you know, extend existence beyond the big farm, ultimate upgrade, and a great step into cyberspace. Uh, yeah, then we're in the boardroom. It's a mix of a it's kind of not steampunk, silverpunk or something. Uh, some old school. The president says, "No way, bruh," uh, because they can't give you permission, and no one will. Uh, he goes, "In fact, I got an ethical paper ready to go." Uh, signed off by uh, President of World President of Ethics, Anagonye. And Lumix says, I don't got much time left. Uh, 
And the president goes, none of us do, man. Get get with reality. Uh, and this guy goes, I've helped the whole planet, Lumic. Uh, you know, where's my stuff? And the president of Great Britain says, you're just a business person. You're not a god. Don't play god. Get over it. And he goes, Mr. Chow, see you at that birthday party. Can't wait. Uh, could definitely go for a drink. Uh, Lumic, I'm out. Uh, there's something about New Germany. You may leave. Override word. Oh, that's what Pete says. Hey, there's always, always New Germany. Guy goes, this is my homeland, my birthplace. Uh, you may leave. Uh, and he says, override systems or something, probably. I'm watching. Mr. Crane, ready and waiting, sir. He goes, did the override work? Uh, he goes, well, I need some fine tuning. He goes, you know, kind of rushing me, but it's working. He goes, I've been testing the system. So then he shows how he can make the Bluetooth uh, use people to uh, march and stuff like that, uh, back to back, left to right. Uh, uh, then something, this sounds like something Mickey. It's irresistible. And then somebody says, and resist. Uh, oh, he's joking around. Crane, he says, it's irresistible. And the guy, Lumic, is just resistant and quit joking around. And something about tracks in 90. I don't know what that means. Let me see if I could. I don't know what that means. To come noise in the uh, lion sleeps tonight. In the jungle, lion sleeps tonight plays. Uh, lots of uh, oh, steam, a steam pipe factory. Lots of steams and pipes in the factory playing lion sleeps tonight. Yeah, uh, we see a cool factory yeah, with smokestacks. Uh, then we're back with Team Ricky. And they sneak in and they find Ricky. Uh, so we were with t- Team R- Mickey. And then we meet Ricky, uh, which, you know, that could throw you off uh, any day of the week. Uh, and they says, so who is this dude who looks exactly like me? Then we have Rose and uh, the doctor waiting for the birthday party to start, uh, watching the arrivals. February 1st, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. and my mom's birthdays. Uh, uh, miss something. So then they go, they sneak in as uh, caterers with a psychic paper. Who do you want to be? Well, we end up being caterers who could have been important guests. Uh, servants. Uh, Lucy says that the president of Great Britain's here or something. Uh, a lot of other famous people. Uh, Pete makes a speech about his wife's 39th birthday, gets a big laugh. Jackie Tyler introduces, it's kind of like a, I know, I don't, I've never been to a cotillion, but it was a bit like a cotillion maybe. Everyone claps at Jackie's arrival. Rose is kind of stunned because Jackie's like, she says, I'm not giving a speech. Uh, no work, no politics. It's just uh, plenty of uh, partying, good mates. Well, she laughs and she says, sorry, Mr. President, you're my mate too. Let's enjoy. Uh, doctor's ready to break out. Ro- we meet Rose the dog, uh, which gets a big laugh from the doctor. And uh, Jake, Rose says, this is kind of blowing my mind. I got my mom at home and then uh, this mom here and they got each other. Uh, but my mom doesn't, you know, have somebody at home. I mean, it, well, she does the supermarket guy, but... Uh, 
And the doctor says, well, it's just all these different worlds and no one gets it perfect. Uh, uh, then we see Robot Patrol. Big laugh with the, from the doctor about the dog. Yeah, the, yeah he laughs there. He's laughing. He couldn't. He tried not to, but uh, Robot Patrol stops something. Are we mobile? There's Mr. Crane, like, moving the robots out on patrol. Probably Lumic wants to know, uh, are you mobile, uh, dude? Uh, some worker's like, what the heck is this? He goes, the future, bruh. Uh, he goes, start the truck. We're take-. He goes, uh, and now somebody's calling him Lumic. He goes, yeah, Crane, are we mobile? He says, almost, working on it. Uh, he goes, what about you? He goes, get the factory ready. My Zeppelin's, uh, he goes, send them forth and let the good work begin. Uh, just about, I'm arriving, prepare, like, uh, good word begins. Uh, sh- then we see shirtless Mickey. I think Ricky, sh- no, Mickey's shirtless. Uh, let's check his, he's got a, he's in pretty darn good shape, too. He's not as jacked as Cheaty was, uh, like our last hero that we saw shirtless, uh, on a show, but he's in really, really good shape. Uh, like uh, more of like a, a soccer uh, body than a weightlifter body. Cool tattoo. You know, he's uh, playing off himself, uh, acting. So that's enjoyable. He's jacked. Gets uh, scanned. No earbuds uh, equals uh, freedom or something. Uh, so, but the Ricky character's trying to figure out who the Mickey one is. There's a boy band dude. And a woman, all the characters will meet in the next episode because this is a two-parter. Because he looks at me, but he's not the same. Oh, Jake's a boy band, dude. He goes, Mickey goes, who are you? They go, he goes, we're the preachers. Uh, is in gospel truth. Uh, yeah, free from ear pods, man. We don't do the Cybus downloads. We got freedom. Uh, just like uh, uh, George Michael saying. And we're taking Lumic down, unless you're in it. Uh, he goes, from a kitchen? Mickey goes, in a kitchen. You're the toughest people in London. Ricky, Ricky's trying to be tough. Uh, and then they go, we got a message from Gemini. Uh, once we full, oh, then they go, Lumic, then we hit a Gemini. Lumic's making a move. Uh, so then we go into full action mode. Uh, with Lumic and Mickey Ricky crew, all of them. Uh, locked and loaded, I hear someone said. Uh, action van, oh yeah, here we go in the action van. Of course, Mickey's like, what am I getting myself into here? He's, you know, like me, be worried. Uh, then we go back to the party. Uh, the doctor sees a computer in a room, sneaks in. Uh, Jackie's laughing it up with the president of the UK. Uh, Pete rolls up on Rose and says, how you doing? Uh, Rose says, his face, fake thumbs up. Uh, and uh, can you trust me, joke? Uh, let's see what happens. Here's the doctor scanning the computer. There's Rose cracking up with, uh, Rose is holding, uh, barely keeping him uh, level. Uh, Pina Cider and the George, uh, Champagne, sir, Rose says, uh, Pete. And he's pretty charming. Uh, Rose is like a big night. Uh, he goes for Jackie. Uh, he goes, at least she's happy. He, and they say, yeah, she should have a good party. Oh, yeah. 
You can trust me on this. So that's the fake thumbs up, uh, Rose. Says, yeah, Pete laughs. Uh, and Rose says, well, how long have you two been married? Pete says, 20 years. And, and she goes, no children, huh? And Pete says, yeah, we couldn't uh, get around to it. You know, Jackie wasn't totally, he goes, yeah, complicated, right? Uh, Rose goes, well, you never know. She's 40. And he goes, nope, 39. And Pete goes, well, her relationship's in a transit, transitory state in an alternative universe. Uh, anyway, what, I, I shouldn't be telling you. He goes, have we met before? And Rose kind of just stares at him. And then he goes, uh, I don't know. And then he goes, okay, I got to get out of here. Uh, you look so just sort of just sort of right. Uh, that's what he says. And then he says, Stevie, how's Torchwood? What's up? Uh so we these little Torchwood references, uh, making a move, Rose, uh, haven't met, you seem just sort of right. Uh, elevator music, then uh, Vitex, Millhouse, Stakeout. Uh, there's a stakeout, uh, shut it, duplicate, that's what Mickey said, Ricky says to Mickey. We've got to make a move, uh. And then we see a bunch of metal men on the march, uh, right out of a van. Uh, cyber, the cyber folks. Uh, they're they're cyber people, not cybermen, as the episode says, because they are. Uh, but they march. Uh, the doctors uh, hacking a computer. Rose creeps up on Miss Tyler outside having a smoke, or she's cold. I couldn't tell. Cold air. Oh, last cup of tea. She goes, can I get you anything? Uh, and uh, she goes, 20 years. Uh, and uh, the, the, after, first they share a moment about tea and having tea at night. Two sugars. Uh, you know, Jackie's actually being nice. So she's vulnerable. Uh, but then Rose kind of gets too, too uh, close. Uh, and she goes, I don't know you. Uh, Oh, Jack the Lad. He's a Jack the Lad. I didn't look that up what that meant. Uh, nice bloke. Worth a second chance, don't you think? Uh, and that's when Rose, Jackie says, you're, you're nothing but staff. Uh, you're not getting paid for tonight. Uh, who do you think you are? And Rose goes, she goes, just a serving girl. Uh, then we see spotlights of the um, marching uh, metal. Uh, cybus, uh, cyberspace, uh, Rose stares, uh, the doctor looks, uh, uh, to the window. He goes, it's happening again. The actor says, again, uh, cybermen crash the party, cyber beings, really. And, uh, Lumic says, uh, I forbade this. Oh no, maybe that's what the, oh, that's what the president said. Uh, to Lumic, I forbade this, yo, uh. Uh, people without humanity, no emotions, uh, and someone says good night, sir. I think this was on the phone with Lumic, and he says good night, Mister President. Uh, do they have one tear? They kind of Cybermen look like they have one tear in the corner of their eyes, though. And then I said, what in the H E double L? I said, where, where, well, where in the hell is, uh, is Harry Jones? That's what I put. And then there's a cyber takeover. Uh, rain, rain, room with Peter, Jackie in the basement. Oh, they run with Peter and Jackie. 
uh, the doctor. Here's the president's about to make his speech. Let's see what he says here. Lumic. Uh, yeah, Lumic goes, yeah, crashed the party. How about that? Uh, hardy har har. He goes, uh, yeah, he forbade this. He goes, these are my children, my family. And Rose goes, these are robots. And the doctor goes, worse. Uh, and uh, people people without humanity, that's what he says, what I said earlier. Uh, maybe they do. It does look like they have a tear in the side of their eyes, though, but on the wrong side, not on their tear ducts. Uh, hard to steal, motions removed, uh, you know, so they don't have to worry about that. Uh, president demands, uh, who who are these people? He says, Lumix says, I elevated them. Life eternal. And now I leave them in your hands. Good night, Mr. President. Uh, and then that's a robotic takeover. Upgrades. Everybody gets an upgrade. You get an upgrade. You get an upgrade. Uh, yeah, so then Pete, Jack, uh, Rose, and the doctor run. Uh, Jackie's in the basement trying to hide out. Robots can't run. They can only walk fast. Then we see Ricky or Mickey. Rose gives one of them a big embrace. And then the doctor says, we surrender, we surrender. Because uh, uh, first the president tries to stand up for them, and they say, well, no, no, you're getting upgraded. You're not compatible or something. And now everybody's on the run. Everybody's getting upgraded to cyber people. Uh, Jackie's hiding. Uh, yeah, everybody's caught. Uh Mickey and or Ricky and uh, uh, the boy band, they try to stop the bots. Uh, Rose hugs him, but even though he doesn't know her, he goes, who in the heck are you? And then Mickey comes. Uh, he goes, that's not me. That's like the other one. And the doctor goes, two Mickeys. Uh, and the dude goes, it's Ricky. Uh, then more bots. Uh, they're totally surrounded. They try to say, they say, we're going to have a standoff. Doctor says, no, uh, cut it out. Have you seen it? Don't you know what the Daleks are? He goes, we surrender. Hands up, everybody. We surrender. But they say, uh, no, 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 we're going to, um, you're not compatible. Delete, delete, delete your rogue elements. Uh, and the doctor says, we're surrendering, you know, and that's how the episode is. ends on a, and uh, inferior delete, uh, he goes, maximum deletion, uh, delete, delete, delete. And that's how the episode comes to a conclusion. Uh, now let's run through a couple of things that came up. Cyber, the term C-Y-B-E-R on Wikipedia. Let's see what that entry says. It can be from cybernetic, from the Greek for sh- skilled in steering or governing. Uh, may, may also refer to cybernetics, which if you played StarCraft, I think there was a cybernetics building. A cybernetic organism or cyborg. Uh, cyberspace, which is a global technology agreement. Uh, oh, cybernetics is a transdisciplinary study of uh, control and communications. Let's see. So that's just a little bit about the, the, whatever that thing is. What about Geneva Conventions? Uh it's how we just looked that up. It's four treaties uh, with three additional protocols, uh, you know, about humanitarian treatment. Uh, the singular term Geneva Convention uh, refers to the agreements in 1949 after WW2. 
which updated terms of two nineteen twenty nine uh, treaties and updated two new con- and added two new conventions. Uh, defines some basic rights, uh, uh, protections for people, uh, civilians, uh, and uh, you know ratified in forty nine one hundred ninety six uh, countries. Let's see. The history was a Swiss businessperson, uh, Henri or Henry Dunat, uh, was visiting uh, some uh, people after something happened, and said uh, he published a book in 1862, "A Memory of Sol Farino," uh, and uh, it actually inspired him to uh, create a humanitarian aid agency. In a treaty of neutrality, and this sounds like a powerful thing. Like this is just a Wikipedia history, but uh, it led to it led to the establishment of the Red Cross in Geneva, and then the 1864 Geneva Convention, uh, a first codified international treaty uh, that covered these kind of humanitarian uh, type of things. On August 22nd, uh, 1864, Swiss government invited the governments of all European countries as well as U.S., Brazil, and Mexico to attend the conference. So it's just a little brief uh, thing about that. And then what about Geneva in general? I've never been there. Would love to uh, check it out. Uh, let's see. Second most popular populous city in Switzerland after Zurich. Uh, and... Uh, it's the most populous city in the French-speaking part of Switzerland. It's situated where the Rhone uh, leaves Lake Geneva. Uh, let's see, population of about uh, two hundred, just under two hundred thousand, and uh, you know, metropolitan area about five hundred thousand, and the general region just under a million uh, to one point two six million. The commuter area, they say. Uh, global city, financial center, center of diplomacy, uh, headquarters of the UN and the Red Cross, uh, highest number of international organizations in the world. Uh, 2017 was ranked as the 50th, 15th uh, most important financial center. Uh, let's see. It was mentioned in Latin text by Caesar. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's just a little bit about it. Uh, let's see, topography. What is the normal temperature? Uh, uh, Mount Blanc is there, uh, which uh, tops out at 1,200, 1,230 feet, 375 meters. Uh, uh, lowest elevation is the river, uh, 370 meters. So it's definitely above sea level, 1,214 feet, 370 meters above sea level. Uh, let's see, it's got, uh, surrounded, uh, yeah, that's just a little bit, uh, a little bit about it. There's a lot more you can link to it and learn more. What about vortex, uh, vortices, vortex, uh, region in a fluid where the fl- flow revolves around an access line, which may be straight or curved. Uh, they form in stirred fluids, uh, Smoke rings, uh, whirlpools, uh, tropical things, uh, dust. Uh, they're a major component of turbulent flow. Also, time. Uh, uh, the distribution of velocity, vorticity, the curl of the flow velocity, 
as well as the compact concept of circulation are used to characterize vortices. In most vortices, the fluid flow velocity is greatest next to its axis and decreases in inverse proportion to the distance from the axis. Uh, a key concept in the dynamics of vort- vortices is a vor- vorticity, a vector. Oh, yeah, we kind of covered that. Uh, so there's a lot more to learn about it, you know, and there's a, but uh, yeah, just a little surface thing to say, hey, what is a vortex? I'd love to know. I mean, a vortex feels like, uh, but there's Zeppelins in this episode. And I said, what about Zeppelin, the band? which is probably now considered an oldies band. It was classic rock when I was a kid. An English rock band led Zeppelin, LED Zeppelin, formed in London in 1968. Jimmy Page, Robert Plant, John Paul Jones, and John Bonham. A guitar-driven sound, uh, one of, you know, on the leading edge of heavy metal, uh, but influenced by blues, psychedelic uh, in folk music, uh, they changed their name from the Yardbirds, and they, had, they signed a deal with Atlantic Records, but they had a lot of freedom. They were initially unpopular with critics, but had commercial success uh, through eight uh, studio albums uh, from Led Zeppelin in 1969 to In Through the Outdoor in 79. And then Stairway to Heaven, everybody knows. Uh, if you've ever been to a school dance, uh, and you wanted to dance with someone. That's a long song. Uh, they've had a lot of ups and downs, uh, but they're considered one of the most successful, innovative, and influential groups in rock history. One of the best-selling music artists in the history of recording. Uh, record sales at somewhere between 200 and 300 million units worldwide. And the second best-selling band in the U.S. Uh, with certified sales of... Uh, 111.5 million units. Uh, let's see any more history. Uh, you know, they were like after the Beatles, but uh, and not as influential as the Beatles, but pretty influential. Uh, let's see, in 66, Jimmy Page joined the Yardbirds uh, and, uh, as a bassist and switched to, to guitar and uh, had a dual lineup with uh, Jeff Beck. Uh, then Jeff Beck departed... And they uh, got worn out from constant touring. Page wanted to have a super group with him and Beck, Keith Moon, uh, John Entwistle, and Steve Winwood. Uh, wow. Uh, but uh, that didn't work out. Uh, but it looks like in that, let's see, this is pretty complicated. But uh, eventually they hooked up with uh, uh, John Paul Jones. Uh, then... Uh, formed a new lineup with a couple of new lineups. And then they found uh, Robert Plant, who was in Band of Joy. Uh, and then that's how they also got John Bonham. Oh, then John Paul Jones joined. Uh, they played the first time in Below Record Store in Gerard Street in London. Uh, Page wanted to, to, to attempt a train, kept a rolling, jump blue song. Uh, uh, performed in a rockabilly version that Yardbirds had been covering. And he said, as soon as I heard those drums, uh, John Paul Jones said, uh, we're on to something. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so there's just a little bit about them. Uh, you know, check out one of their albums if you've never listened before.
And finally, this is a like an aspirational thing, but I always see Lexus, and I said, where did Lexus come from? Like at some point, uh, when I was a kid, it, it became synonymous with the best luxury car, but it, like a lot of other luxury models, you know, are old models, you know, like Royals, Rolls Royce, Mercedes Benz, BMW. But at some point, Lexus became this luxury standard for a vehicle in the U.S. at least. Uh, and I just said, where did it really come from? I mean, I know it's owned by Toyota, and it's a luxury division of a Japanese automaker Toyota. Uh, it's marketed in more than 70 countries, uh, Japan's largest selling make of premium cars. Uh, it originated from a corporate project to, to develop a new premium sedan codenamed the F1, which began in 83 and culminated with the launch of the Lexus LS in 89. And subsequently, they added a sedan, coupe, convertible, and SUV models. It didn't exist in a brand in its home market till 2005. Uh, uh, and all vehicles marked internationally as Lexus from 89 to 2005 uh, were released in Japan under a Toyota name. Uh, let's see. Uh, they're largely produced in uh, Japan as part of the F1 project in the 80s. In 86, they worked with Saatchi and Saatchi to form a unit, Team One, to handle the marketing of the new brand. So this is, I'm surprised there's not, maybe there is like a documentary about how they did this, because this really is amazing. Let's see, they had a image consulting firm. They went through a list of 219 prospective names. Alexis, E-A-L-E-X-I-S, was a, like a... The front runner, but then they said, "Well, what about Dynasty?" There's a character there, and it eventually morphed, morphed into the term Lexus, uh, luxury and elegance. It kind of uh, associated. It was launched in uh, 1989, F1 project, uh, and uh, the LS was the first car. The LS 400 was praised for its quietness, well-pointed and ergonomic exterior. Interior, engine performance, build quality, aerodynamics, fuel economy, and value. Uh, but some co- critics said it had derivative styling and a suspension uh, too compromising of handling for comfort. Uh, it was priced against other mid-sized six-cylinder luxury cars. Uh, it was rated pretty car- high by car and driver. And Lexus quickly established customer loyalty. And its debut was generally regarded as a shock to existing luxury. So they must have seen a gap in the market. Uh, really interesting. I've never uh, owned a Lexus. I have driven them before. Uh, and uh, I guess because it was so aspirational, I said, well, this is nice. But uh, for, me, for me, any vehicle is pretty nice, you know. Uh, but, yeah, just a little bit about Lexus. I hope... Uh, you're having a luxury uh, rest there in bed as I tuck you in. Uh, thanks so much for listening.